Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This mm-hmm. is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the true planetary and galactic history, history, and true history, history of Nasara. Blessed be everyone, and happy sweetest day. I was reminded by a friend that it was sweetest day. So what we're doing here today is we're taking the sweet energy of love, and we are going to spread it across this planet. So please join me in going into your heart center at this time. And going into the heart center, we call forth the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence with all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and goddess presence. We see ourselves in our mighty pillar of light, filled with the most amazing frequencies of love. It is filled with a beautiful rose pink and violet energy, the violet being, of course, our transmutation as we transmute anything that is unlike love. See, sense, and feel your pillar of mind fully anchored to source and fully anchored to the heart of Mother Earth as we recommit ourselves in being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. We invite everyone across the planet to join us in this work of ascension and bringing heaven to earth as we call them forth as their I am presence. Please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Take a nice deep breath. As we connect heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart, to cosmic heart with every man, woman, and child. Connecting to the cosmic heart of all that is. Calling forth the highest frequencies of divine love for ourselves and for every man, woman, and child. To open each heart to its fullest extent. To fill everyone with acceptance respect, and compassion, and truly transforming, transfiguring, comprehensive divine love for all. We welcome for one and all, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, to partake of all that we receive, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, 
all of our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul pods. And we welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. And we welcome as well all of the realms of angels from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome as well all of our friends in the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work so closely with. We welcome Lord and Lady Arcturus, the Arcturians, the Arcturian healing teams and healing technologies. Lord and Lady Pleiades, the Pleiadian Emissaries of Light and their healing team. Lord and Lady Sirius and the Syrian Archangelic League of the Light and their healing teams. Lord and Lady Chiron and the Chiron Healers. Lord and Lady Andromeda and the Andromedan Healers. Lord and Lady Venus and the Venusian healing teams as we ask them all to go to those that are in need of assistance, that are in any way in crisis, especially in Gaza, in in other areas that are experiencing conflict, in any way, please assist in, in any way that you can, all of the people upon this planet especially those that are suffering in any way at this time. And we welcome the assistance of all cosmic galactic universal healers, individually and collectively for all on the planet here today. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do. And magnifying, magnifying, magnifying all that we do. 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. As we call for the highest of divine intervention in these challenging days upon this planet. We call in all of the rays, all of the flames all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and evocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we, at this time, 
ask for the easy and effortless digestion and assimilation, grounding and anchoring, integration and embodiment into every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field, multidimensionally, and a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level for everyone as well, and to easily and effortlessly accept this with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on a level in love and light and laughter. Take a nice deep breath. We invite in everyone and everything from our circle of support. From the first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every family member, every loved one, every pet, every animal, every friend, every neighbor, all of our communities, and everyone that we hold in our hearts that are suffering in any way on the planet at this time. We have been asked to send pure love, and this is what we do. And as we hold the divine blueprint, we hold the image of heaven on earth in our hearts, in our minds, in our beings, through our actions, through our words. We hold everyone and everything in the circle of support in divine perfection to bring it to the divine blueprint, including every group, every organization, every business, every corporation, every institution, every nation, every military, and each and every government and government And we call in all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension ways to work with individually and collectively each government and the executive aspect of each government, each and every president and vice president and prime minister and state, each and every cabinet post and cabinet member, the secretary of state, the Department of Justice, all on national, state, and local level. So every governor, every mayor, each and every decision maker in each part of each government of each nation. As we ask that the highest and best decisions be made that reflect divine love, divine law, divine justice, divine governance, and heaven on earth. We ask the same for the legislative aspect of each government in each and every nation, every Congress, every Parliament, the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, each state legislature, each uh, city council, each governing board of, of uh, any school, the school boards and the library board and so on. Every legislative governing group, 
that they make only the highest and best decisions and that we promote and enact only the highest and best laws, reflecting the highest good of all, reflecting divine law, divine justice, divine governance, divine government, and heaven on earth. And we ask the same for the judicial aspect of each government, the highest court of the land in each nation, and all international courts as well. The Supreme Court here in the U.S. and all of the decisions that they will be making during this year. And each and every judge, federal, state, and local, each judge each jury, each grand jury, each prosecutor, each defendant, each and every court case and court decision, each aspect of the legal, uh, the legal um, situations in each and every nation. And we ask that, again, if they be, all decisions be based on Divine law, divine justice, divine governance, divine government, divine love, and a reflection of heaven on earth as every nation comes into divine governance on national, state, and local level. And we call in all the weather patterns, all the situations that are unlike love, so that everyone is taken care of and nourished and nurtured. Everybody has clean water. Everybody has housing. And all that they need to be sustained, healthy food. And everyone attains good health. We have everyone's health in the circle of support. And sending extra love, and especially those golden beings from Venus to those in crisis and those that have been wounded and, and all those that have experienced loss and all of those souls in the colony are trained to, to assist all the souls that have transitioned over the last few weeks. as we, again, are here to hold the highest vision, to help humanity hold that highest vision at the same time. We call in all of the energy, whether it's around tonight's U of M and, and University of Michigan, Michigan State game here in Michigan, or <laughs> the college football or sweetest day or um, any of the energies, you know, directed toward what's going on in the Middle East and Ukraine and anywhere else in the world, all of the energies that people are paying attention to, we want to gather all of that energy. We want to gather and place it in our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of all humanity, for the transformation of this planet and all upon Earth as we continue our journey to heaven on earth. 
And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of our work field multidimensionally. And through every ley line and song line. <coughs> every uh, molecule of soil, molecule of water, molecule of air, molecule of fire. To the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the energy grids, all of the multi-dimensional grid systems. And for every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. And as we continue up this spiral of evolution along with Gaia, as she takes the rightful place as freedom star. So we said we were using the energy of love. So once again, go into your heart center, feel that love that you are. As we invoke our Mother, Father, God to create a force field of divine love around this planet and magnify it as part of their divine intervention. Beloved Mother, Father, God, I ask that you now expand the flame of transfiguring and comprehensive divine love pulsating within every heart flame. Expand, expand, expand it and create from the sacred fire a tremendous heart of pure divine love to envelop the entire planet Earth. This fourth field of light now magnetizes the love of Mother, Father, God from every ascended level of beingness in the universe. In this unfathomable influx of light, love pours in turn around every person. And our planetary cause of manifesting divine love within the hearts and muscles of every man, woman, and child on earth. Our Mother of God, the feminine aspects of deity throughout infinity, now send a clarion call for the legions of love to come forth now. Twelve magnificent solar archangels of pure divine love descend into the atmosphere of Earth from the great, great silence. These powerful archangels take their strategic positions around the planet as they willingly prepare to assist in this activity of light. The solar archangels are stationed equal distances around the Earth's equator. As one unified force of divine love, they breathe the love of God, goddess from the very core of creation, into the heart of every person on earth. The influx of divine love flowing through every heart flame creates a symphony of love that ensouls and interpenetrates our beloved Mother in all of her life. This influx of divine love now penetrates into the fifth-dimensional solar heart chakra of every person on the planet. The I am presence of every man, woman, and child becomes a power point of light and love, unified in consciousness with the I am presence of every other person on Earth, in breathing, assimilating, expanding, and projecting 
his fourth field of divine love throughout humanity, the elemental kingdom, the angelic kingdom, and the entire atmosphere of Earth. The I am presence within every person is now the open door for this resplendent light. At inner level, every person on the planet is experiencing this fourth field of unconditional divine love. Through the I am presence, every person is seeing the scintillating colors of love, smelling the fragrance of love, and hearing the cosmic tone, and moving melodies of love. Through this activity of light, we are all truly love in action. We are collectively changing the core vibration of the primal life substance, which has gone into creating the present negative conditions manifesting on Earth. Through the love of our Father God, the feminine aspect of deity throughout infinity, the 12 solar archangels, and the I am presence of every human being, we are the cause of this force field of divine love anchored on Earth. Together we have placed the base spiritual forces of divine love over which humanity is now ascending out of our long exile and darkness into the fifth dimensional and higher realms of light. Unified in consciousness with the kingdoms of earth and the realms of heaven, we are the open divine. We are exploring and rediscovering the great family of God, Goddess, in which we now find complete support for the fulfillment of our divine plans. This is what our Mother, Father, God's magnetic force field of divine love is attracting into each of us personally and collectively. We are all being raised into a profound awakening of supreme love consciousness. We are here in the masters of love we were always destined to be. We are being of love, accepting responsibility for loving this people and all her life free. We are one with the planet, and the planet is one with us. The 12 solar archangels are now intensifying their light for every flame. This activity of light and every person associated with it is being lifted into a higher octave of divine service. Each person involved with co-creating the patterns of perfection for the new earth is permanently being invested with the cosmic force field of divine love. This force field is initiating each of us into a higher order of service to the light. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we affirm. Please join me in affirming. As we affirm with every man, woman, and child for their I am presence. I am a universal force field of comprehensive, transfiguring divine love. The love of God 
is now thriving on earth through me. And the heart flame of every person evolving on earth. The flaming heart of divine love that is now encapsulating the earth is transfiguring into light every frequency of energy, vibration, and consciousness that is less than God's divine love. I'm selflessly paving the way for the new earth. I am joining forces with dedicated light workers around the world who are selflessly serving the light. The I am present of every soul is permanently setting this earth on a planetary force of divine love right here, right now. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the frequencies of divine peace to flood through this divine love individually and collectively for all. And we affirm, I am my I am. I am within the golden light of peace. And it permeates all of my body. I am the open door for the cosmic rays of eternal peace from the great, great central sun. I am a blazing sun of eternal peace, now established in the heart flame of all humanity. I am the golden light of eternal peace, pervading all life. I am claiming every cell, atom, and electron of the sweet earth and all, all her lights into the heart of eternal peace. I am eternal peace, reflecting humanity's victory in all experiences. I am in the world, but through my I am presence, I dwell in the consciousness of the peace of the great solar quiet. I am radiating the golden essence of eternal peace to all life on earth. I am peace. I am peace. I am peace. The entire planet is now enveloped in the golden light of eternal peace. The pink essence of divine love is joyously crowning every electron of that peace. From this day and moment forward, every thought, word, 
action or feeling I express. She'll be qualified with the golden light of eternal peace and divine love. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we anchor this world. Beloved Mother, I invoke your divine light and the light of the entire heaven. Powers of light, powers of light, come forth now. In deep humility and profound gratitude, I consecrate every facet of my being to be the open door that no one can shut. In divine truth, I accept my reality as a beloved child of God. I am a cup, a holy grail, through which the light of God is now flowing to lift all life on earth into the blissful embrace of the new earth. And we affirm, I am, I am, I am present. And I am one with the divine heart and mind of God. God. I, I am one with the divine presence, the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the elemental kingdom of Mother Earth. <laughs> I am one with the angelic kingdom. I am one with all the beings of light, truth, infinity. Now through the unspeakable power of my mother God's love, all life is lifted into the immaculate concept for the divine plan of the new earth. Within this concept of infinite physical perfection, every person remembers they are a beloved son or daughter of God. Every person comprehends the divine truth that all life interconnected, interrelated, interdependent. A renewed sense of oneness and reverence for all life stirs in each heart flame. And the love of our Mother God floods the earth through humanity's heart chakras. As the love of God flows through each person's heart flame, they are lifted up, and their lives are transformed. From this new level of consciousness, humanity taps into the patterns of perfection for the new earth and viable solutions to the maladies existing on earth flow into the minds of light workers everywhere. The light workers forces to create the perfection of the new earth. All traces of pain and suffering are transmuted into life. Every concept of lack and limitation ceases to exist. And the abundance of our Father God flows People everywhere receive and acknowledge the divinity blazing in every heart's name. Humanity now knows and accepts that all life is 
his realization inspires every person to feel and express love and mutual respect for every part of life. As the collective thoughts and feelings of humanity continually empower the perfection of the new earth, the physical plane is transformed and transfigured. The body of motherhood is restored to a verdant paradise of splendor and light. The life of every living being is filled with love, joy, happiness, prosperity, and fulfillment. Enlightenment, eternal peace, harmony, balance, abundance, spiritual wisdom, and every other divine quality of our Mother, Father, God is the order of the new day on planet Earth. Mother Earth dons her seamless garment of light and ascends the spiral of evolution into the full expression of the highest new fifth-dimensional solar reality. The heavens rejoice, and our Mother, Father, God responds, Welcome home, beloved children. Well done. And so it is. I am. I am. I am. And take a nice deep breath as we give thanks for this. And we ask for this to be sealed, magnified in divine order individually and collectively for all. I thank you for your your divine service here this afternoon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I invite you to join us for further service each and every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. If you haven't joined us before, please give it a call, a, a, a chance. Call in and uh, join us in this ascension work, this work of bringing heaven to earth through our visualization, our prayers, our invocations, our activations. We meet at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 Pacific Time, again, it's a Sunday, Monday. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tara and Roma gives a brief update at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time. We are starting our meditation in earnest, again, as we do our work to bring heaven to earth and be that, that bridge between heaven and earth and that open door that no one can shut. The teleconference call. So the main number to dial is area code 480-660-2224. 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-946-7441. 
Cheryl, I'll take that talking stick, and uh, happy sweetest day to you, and thank you for your divine service as well. We're so grateful to have you here each week. So, I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that make it happen, and at this time, we really do need to show up and make it happen as we are behind. And would really like to give CBS Radio the respect of being caught up. <laughs> so pay attention. We need $818 to uh, catch up with last week. And uh, that'd be a really good thing to to do this week. Is here's how we do it. We go into our heart space and see what is ours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com. And we're looking for the schedule for Radio Station 1 and Radio Station 2. On the schedule for Radio Station 2, you will find this program on the Saturday um, listing at the 3.30 hour, neither central time. Uh, the True History History of the Sarah, our Galactic Origins. And as you click on that icon that is there, um, that'll take you directly to our account with CBS Radio, where you could make that donation. In any amount, and again, thank you for your generosity. Let's, we're stepping it up this week and making it happen. So we're going to catch up. And uh, on on radio station one, you'll see our shows listed on the at the eight o'clock hour on Thursday and on Friday. The Thursday program, a night at the round table with the panel, 
And as you click on that icon, it takes you to our account where you can make that donation. And then the um, hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama at the 8 o'clock hour on Friday night. So as you click on that icon, that takes you there too. So three ways to do it. Do all three. <laughs> and lots of gratitude for you taking that action and, and helping us get caught up as we we all enjoy these programs. We enjoy the access to the archives. We we um, appreciate what CBS Radio does and that they have extended themselves a bit for us. And we'd like to honor that in return by being uh, prompt with, with getting caught up. So lots of gratitude for your efforts and actions and, and gratitude for all the ways you show up in your lives. So we're also assisting Tara and Roland with their needs, and they only need $200 this this week for their gas and food, and all their bills are paid. So this is this is giving us that opportunity to catch up with CBS Radio. But here's how you send that those donations to Tara and Roland so that they can buy buy a little bit of food and gas and keep the keep the the, the wheels of living running. <laughs> Uh, so this is how we do it. We go to the rainbowroundtable.net site, and you'll see there on the homepage. At, if you're on a computer, it's on the, the bar all the way to the right, uh, the donate link. And if you're on a handheld device or something different, that menu grid, as you click on it, it'll drop a menu down and near the bottom of that list, right next to the bottom is the donate link there, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable account with PayPal, and there you can make that donation in any amount. And as you want to access the Friends option, you need to apply this email address and make it a gift. So as we are friends and family, that's how we do that. And the email address is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949, at hotmail.com and as you enter that direct um, address in there it should go directly to um, that address as as a gift and that eliminates the commercial charges that makes that money go a little bit further either way is perfect we are so grateful for all your contributions and uh, yeah and your assistance with Tara and Rama is is definitely uh, we're grateful for that too. So, um, and again, two hundred dollars this week, and as they can get that, they stay mobilized and running on all fronts. And so, what else? Yeah, as you're sending something, please let Rama know that email address for Rama Koran nine 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 at Comcast dot net, and. Uh, so let them know what you sent when you sent them. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. The zip code is 87567. And I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information you need. Thank you so much for your gifts. Thank you for paying it forward. 
And may many, many, many blessings come to you in return for taking that action tenfold to a thousandfold. Let it happen. Let it pour. <laughs> so 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. I'm passing this talking stick. And you heard it best from Cheryl. It's full of all those healing rays. And and it's got the healing rainbows. And it's the sweetest day. It's got the sweetest day all over it. And I'm seeing all kinds of fairies and feathers enjoying the sweets. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, the Excalibur Sword of Truth is there. And uh, unicorns and dragons are showing up. So greeting Tara and Rama, here comes this talking stick with all the little people hanging around. Welcome. Greetings. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you, everyone, for being here to participate in this This. Uh, it's going to be a long day. Saga. <laughs> right, Rama? Oh, it's, it's an amazing time to be here. I can say that. Okay, well, we'll start with what you have here. Rama said, I sat with 21 deer and 16 crows <laughs> at 11.13 a.m. late this morning. They cornered me on one of the dirt roads. I literally was surrounded, and they told me, get out of the car. That's hysterical, Rana. <laughs> well, it was gentle, but it was like... Uh... In other words, Rama, you're going to participate, like it or lump it, but we're the council here now. That's yeah. what... So Rama says here, they said to me, Lord Rama, we have created a Jedi Council for you to participate in. Yes. And then they said the humans are out of control. <laughs> they need more light and love. They are focused on money, power, and control instead. Okay, what's next? Read the rest. The light coming in from the sun is the transformational energy to change us all right now. It's the key. It's the gold dust, monoatomic gold coming in from the sun. And the deer are very much aware of this and the crows. And um, what they're talking about is that there needs to be more love and compassion with what's going on on the planet because we're all sentient beings of the highest order, whether we're got four legs, two legs, wings, or even the crystal people. They brought that up. They sent me symbols or actual pictures in my consciousness of amethyst crystals and, um, Arkansas quartz crystals, I saw smoky quartz, the deer, the crows, they all know this. They're, they're very sentient. And um, they just said to share this message because many of the other communities of 
all the different animal nations. There is what's going on on this planet, like Greg Braden talks about, three major things, climate disruption, consciousness being raised to the roof, and conflict. These three things happened 26,826 years ago when uh, Anki and Inville and the rest of the crew from the Nibiru showed up and there just happened to be a interplanetary war between Maldek and a few of the other interplanetary folks and chunks of Maldek hit the earth which caused a flood. Enki and Enlil conveniently refused to tell the people of Earth and we got Noah's flood and things went and downhill the from earth. there. It covered the whole Earth at that time. That's right. That's a big deal. Yeah. Nowhere to go, huh? Uh, nowhere to go but up. But they did. They walked. They walked across, I'm assuming... They walked across all parts of the planet. Yeah, they did. So they did. could find some place which wasn't underwater where they yeah. could start. Yeah, this brings in what happened here in the southwest. The the um, people of Mesa Verde and Zuni Pueblo and Taos Pueblo, Tesuki Pueblo, so many around here. They went into the breathing holes after the flood to escape the nuclear winter which occurred because all the dust and clouds that came in that hit the earth after the asteroid hit was like, I don't know how many times, you know, nuclear bombs you want to think about, but it created a nuclear winter that lasted up until the time of the pharaohs in Egypt and that was called the ice age and things got very cold and the people went into the inner earth and Lord Adama and the people of Telos, Agartha, Shambhala helped all the different native tribes survive along with many other different cultures mm -hmm. around this planet. All these cultures, Freddie Silva talks about this, that came out of the breathing holes after the, you know, destruction and Earth had been changed. We're not going to do this again. And this is why God is... They're not going to let us do this again. No. Right. That's the deal. But they're playing Right to the very edge yeah, right now. On the regular news, these, they're, they're reporting from the Israeli sector that they're going to take 10 years of our lives out of and fight a 10-year war. That's that what makes saying. headlines, so they make money on that statement. That's Ain't going to happen, folks. Ain't going to happen. No, it's our now. Yes. On... Um, then I, I also got a text message from Tom, the ringtail cat, and sweet absolute the cat, and they said, you know, Pluto is doing his thing, digging up all the spooks in the closets, and they are being outed. 
by Pluto Scorpio. Stay safe, blaze the violet fire. That's the message. And as we approach this, you know, full moon, lunar eclipse, Mars, Venus, Pluto are in the mix. It is very volatile. And we have an absent Congress. Put them all in the circle of support for guidance. St. Germain started this country, even though the founding fathers were a bunch of drunks and womanizers. They had some good ideas <laughs> that St. Germain told them, and they had to get their shit together, excuse my language, you know, in order to bring this country into into balance, even though... You mean into existence for starters. Right. Yet the part that is not talked about, except the Aboriginal Moabite Nation brings it in, is that, you know, before George Washington, we had four, we had, I'm not sure, maybe it was nine legislative presidents that were all black. Yeah, George Hansen was the first one, I think. That's right. And George Washington was very light-skinned, black. And this is the whole story of... His mother was the one that was black. She was a slave of his father's and picked her to have George Washington with. Yes, this doesn't want... This is not wanted to be talked about in schools at this time because it is the true history and it's a big deal Ron DeSantis Greg Abbott so many other lunatics on the right um place by the fire and gonna keep it clean I pass the talkie stick okay we're gonna play a 14 minute piece to start with this is about Hanan Ashrawi. She's the former official spokesperson of the Palestinian delegation. And I'm really amazed because Ali Velshi this morning played this uh, interview with her. Don't put that away. Mm. What? Oh, okay. You want me to put it over there? Yes. All right, but bring that back, please. Please bring that back. All right, there is. I'm gonna make sure this starts. Gonna make this what sound. can be done to push back, Rachel? Well, turning point in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. They marked the last direct peace negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. The primary goal of Oslo was to pave the way to the formal establishment of Palestine, a Palestinian state along Israel. The agreements led to the creation of the Palestinian Authority, largely formed out of what was then known as the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. The PA was designed to serve as an interim governing body until a final resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian government could be achieved. But what followed was more violence and a surge in the number of Israeli settlements on Palestinian land, effectively solidifying the Israeli military and civilian presence and acting as de facto control of territory that was intended for a future Palestinian state. 
The reality on the ground made the feasibility of a two-state solution increasingly remote, leading to the breakdown of talks in 2014. The Israeli settlements, central to the Palestinian complaint, are deemed illegal under international law, but that finding is not accepted by the Israeli government, and the U.S. government rarely presses Israel on that issue. International law says you cannot displace residents of territory you occupy for military reasons, nor can you settle your own citizens on that land. As hopes for Palestinian statehood diminished, the Palestinian Authority itself lost some credibility among its people and became widely perceived as an instrument of the Israeli government in its control over the lives of the occupied Palestinian population. In a March poll, 63% of Palestinians said they viewed the the, the PA as a burden, according to the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. Now, amid this growing power vacuum and largely encouraged by the Israeli government, Hamas, an offshoot of Egypt's Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, has emerged as an alternative to the PA. Israel propped up Hamas as a counterweight to the secular PLO and the subsequent Palestinian Authority, a group that does recognize Israel's right to exist and does believe in a two-state solution. Israeli political analyst Tal Schneider writes in the Times of Israel saying, quote, the idea was to prevent the Palestinian Authority president, Mahmoud Abbas, or anyone else in the Palestinian Authority's West Bank government from advancing toward the establishment of a Palestinian state, end quote. In the years that followed, Palestinians in the occupied West Bank found themselves living in a state of political uncertainty, with daily life heavily regulated by Israeli checkpoints, by military personnel, and the growth of illegal Israeli settlements, conditions which human rights organizations argue, and that I argue, amounts to apartheid. Very similar to the apartheid that my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my father, and my sister grew up under in South Africa. Some critics have long argued that the negotiations were fundamentally flawed from the outset and that the PA was set up to fail. Aaron David Miller, a seasoned former State Department official who was involved in the Oslo process, went on record in 2005 saying the United States did not act as an impartial mediator. Quote, for far too long, many American officials involved in Arab-Israeli peacemaking, myself included, have acted as Israel's attorney, catering and coordinating with the Israelis at the expense of successful peace negotiations, end quote. Recently, Miller looked to the future and outlined a potential solution involving multiple stakeholders not limited to the United States. His approach includes the United Nations overseeing transnational elections for Palestinian leadership, a process that has been neglected for over a decade, largely out of fear that groups like Hamas would solidify their power. Additionally, he suspected that Saudi Arabia should offer significant financial support for reconstruction efforts while also urging the European Union to take on a more active role in advocating for Palestinians. This is deeply complex. 
I want to welcome Hanan Ashrawi to the show. She is the former official spokesperson for the Palestinian delegation to the Mideast peace process. She was the first female member of the executive committee of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Hanan has received numerous awards for her work, including the Gandhi Award, the Sydney Peace Prize, and the Defender of Democracy Award. Hanan, it is good to see you again. We speak far too infrequently, and we only speak when things are very bad. Uh, but I need you for this conversation. And, and my audience needs you to understand uh, how to go forward on this. Let's not let's just let's just talk about whether there is a road forward right now. I, I presented some of what Aaron David Miller said. I know you know him well uh, and you've been at tables with him. Tell me about this this idea or whether you have an alternative idea that results in, in peace and, and realization for Israelis and Palestinians. Well, before we start and to reinvent the peace process, we have to ensure that all the requirements are in place. How can you talk about peace or the requirements of peace when you have a whole nation that's in captivity, when you have Israel bombing and shelling and killing and carpet bombing Gaza and committing genocide and war crime? Uh, you need to stop this immediately. And you you need to stop further deterioration on the ground, and you need to be able to open up Gaza, lift the siege, let the people live and breathe, at least give them room to to grieve their dead, to remove those trapped under the rubble, to, to be able to eat and drink and see some sunshine. This has to be done immediately. And then we have to deal with all the requirements of genuine peace. You can't, you cannot have peace between occupied and occupied. You cannot have peace between one oppressor a powerful party, and the oppressed who have no rights whatsoever. It's not just that it's uncomfortable. We live in a state of captivity ourselves. Israel controls the land, crossing points, airspace, territorial waters, everything. Controls our lives and is busy carrying out incursions and attacks on on totally sealed off towns and cities and villages. So this is just a a prison with a siege and with fragmentation within it. So what you need to do is remove these things in order to be able to prepare the table, if you will, or to have a vision of peace. In order to have peace, you need an even hundred peace broker. And the U.S. certainly cannot be and has not been. And right now it is seen not just as a partner, but as somebody who is funding uh, this this massive incursion, the massacres against the the people of Gaza. It has lost all credibility in the eyes of the Palestinian people, the Arab peoples, the Muslims, and all people of conscience in the world. Biden is seen as as the agent of this uh, Israeli extremist right-wing fascist government. He's going around trying to deliver the Arab leaders to Israel. Blinken, the same thing. So how do you expect the U.S. in any way, shape, or form to be part of any peace efforts? It has uh, given Israel full support. It has given it a free hand. And it has given it enormous amounts of money and weapons and everything it needed in order to continue bashing and destroying and killing Palestinians, erasing whole families, whole neighborhoods. It's just unconscious. It's incredible. And then you need to be able to, once you do that, you need to be able to understand that without serious accountability for Israel, protection for Palestine, without adhering to international law and international humanitarian law, you cannot have peace. So there are all sorts of requirements. 
you can say, okay, we want the other regimes to do this or do that, but you will discredit them even further because you have seen the gap between the people who are protesting, demonstrating, supporting Palestine, even in the U.S., in Europe. That they're being beaten up and imprisoned for defending Palestine or for advocating for Palestine. So you need to be able to uh, understand that the Arab regimes cannot be made, again, to go against the will of the people. They've already lost enough credibility. And the same thing with the Palestinian leadership. Yes, we need elections. But who stopped elections? It's not just uh, Abu Mazen, it's not, it's not just Mahmoud Abbas who cancelled or postponed elections. The Americans didn't want elections. They want right. their own people. This is an important point. But let's let's get to that because you, you've talked about the, the various parties that can be at the table and what legitimacy they do and don't have. Now let's talk about who represents the Palestinians. Uh, Hamas was elected at one point. There are very few people who were involved in that election who are even in Gaza at this point. That was 2006. There hasn't been an election since then. Um, it, there was an effort to prop up Hamas by the Israeli government uh, to, to cost the PLO, to, to, to undermine the Palestinian Authority. And that has worked because the Palestinian Authority now enjoys reduced support amongst Palestinians. Um, so what what does the Palestinian side of the equation look like in terms of fair representation? What once we once we get past all this and there is possibly a table to sit at, who represents the Palestinians? Well if there is a table, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's in the making. But let me say anybody who represents the Palestinians has to win the power of representation through elections. And you have to have free and fair elections. You cannot have elections tainted by the Israeli occupation. When I ran for elections twice, and I won twice, but at one point I was taken out of my car, I was beaten up, I was detained, they took away all my uh, uh, leaflets and pamphlets and materials, and they held me at a checkpoint for a whole day. But we still insisted on having elections. So to us, elections become part of resistance, part of defying Israel, who wants to maintain the rift between the West Bank and Gaza, between the PLO factions, the Fatah and so on, and uh, Hamas on the other. Hamas ran for elections. Hamas accepted the two-state solution. Huh? But at the same time, Hamas was labeled as, as a terrorist, and they're still labeling it as that and even worse. And they didn't want to have elections just in case Hamas won again. Now, it's very hypocritical to say, yes, we like, we want democracy, but you have to elect the people we choose, the people we like. Yeah. Now, the reason Hamas became stronger was because the PLO agenda failed. The PLO committed itself to a negotiated settlement, committed itself to a peaceful settlement, committed itself to nonviolent resistance, recognized Israel for heaven's sake, even without Israel recognizing our right to self-determination. That was all part of a very flawed peace process, which led us to where we are now. So, I mean, the, the thing is, if you want peace, you have to be consistent. You have to understand that Palestinians have equal rights, that we have the right not just to our elections, to our own self-determination, which is something Israel rejected, refused all the time. They say it openly, no negotiations. So where is the political will to have negotiations when they all, all they want to do is have a free hand to continue with the Nakba, to continue with the disaster that began in 1947-48? 
continued through 67, continued through several assaults on Gaza, and now they're trying to see the final chapter of Al-Nakba, either by expelling all the Palestinians or and taking uh, part of the land or the whole land, or as they said, either you accept defeat or you die. And the thing is, Palestinians aren't ready to accept defeat or to die. They will resist and they want to stay on the land and we want our own sovereignty, our own independence, our own freedom, our own right to self-determination. So let's see the people who want peace treat us equally, not dehumanization and demonization and uh, uh, erasure, actually. This is how Israel was created through the dispossession of the Palestinians, expulsion of Palestinians to a series of massacres. And now it's being repeated. That same mentality that brought about this horrific situation prevails. Now, is somebody going to intervene and stop it? Or is the West going to pursue their colonial, post-colonial, settler colonialism and give Israel a free hand as well as full support to continue with this uh, policy and this mindset? That is what is needed. Hanan Ashrawi, thank you for your time as always. Hanan Ashrawi is a former official spokesperson for the Palestinian delegation to the Middle East. That's good. That's what we want. Okay, Rama. Let's do Greg Braden. Right now. (laughs) Are you going to be able to talk? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's tell tell everybody what Greg Britton's got for us. <coughs> this is called There Are 22 Wars Happening in the World Right Now. One of them is for your divinity. It is about the AI. Artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, um... I don't think it's a real good idea to plug yourself in to the metaverse. <laughs> Please do not do that. No. It's, um, uh, you saw what happened to Neil. He woke up and he said to the machine world, you know, you need me in order to defeat Agent Smith. And he he did. He ascended. Uh, what can I say? War is over is what we can say, right, Ron? War, no more troubles. <laughs> yeah, I got that song today. Here we go. All right. <laughs> so grateful, Greg, to have you back. This is such a gift. Wow, I'm like literally feeling tears. I just, you, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being here. We're going to dive in and I'm just, thank you for making me the time and your gracious heart-centered energy and wisdom. Julie, thank you so much. Thank you for those. I'm a Cancerian male and if I cry, my voice will change and, and it messes up the whole interview. So so I want to thank you for your trust in sharing mm-hmm. me with your your community. But, you know, I think your community is my family as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just uh, I'm honored to share this virtual stage with you. And 
you know, there's so many places that we could go, so many things that we could touch upon today. And I'm going to I'm going to trust. I said off off camera, this is a dance and I'm really happy for the lady to lead. So I'm going to follow your lead in this dance. So let's let's see where we go. We're just going to let I love I love this is my favorite kind of conversation where we're like, I don't know. Who knows? We'll see where we go. We're just going to we're going to go. I do think the first area that I just I want to talk about this whole realm of consciousness and potentiality. Like what what are what are you seeing? What are you I know you're an expert in this and you can start anywhere you want. I'm going to just open with a big old question about consciousness and the shift on our globe and potentiality, Greg, and let you have a party. <laughs> well, thank you, Julie. You know, I'm a student just like you, and I'm, I'm always learning. I'm, I think I'm a good listener, and I have made a conscious effort to become a better listener because there's a world speaking to us right now. There's a world speaking to us about what it is that's happening. And I'm, I'm just going to say to, to our viewers, you know, it's, it's no secret that we're living a time of extremes. I mean, that can't be a secret to anyone from climate change to social change to buckling and collapsing financial systems. And, you know, the, the, the wars, 22 wars are being waged on our planet right now. We hear about one or two in the media. 22 wars are happening right now. This isn't business as usual. And, it is difficult sometimes to to stay uh, to stay focused on our lives. It's difficult to stay optimistic. This is the forty third year I've done this work in in one form or another, and I've been blessed mm. to travel into some of the most remote, isolated, pristine, magnificent, beautiful places remaining in the world today. Archaeological sites of of temples and uh, and the remains of ancient civilizations to understand what it is that they knew that we may have forgotten or maybe we never knew about our time. And I used to think it was for, for the temples and for, for the archaeology. And what I discovered, Julie, very quickly is it was more about the people, the indigenous people that preserve that wisdom, that still live at those places mm-hmm. and meeting with them and their perspective. And, and they have always said that we would live this time in history where we would live a, a, a time of the convergence of cycles that would change our planet. They said, you won't recognize your nations. You won't recognize your borders. You won't recognize your own neighborhood. You won't recognize your life. And they've said that for over 40 years. 1986 was the first trip that I made. And, and largely those ideas have been discounted until recently. I was doing a radio interview with a New York uh, DJ who I inter- interviewed with in 2012, the craziness around 2012. <laughs> and in 2012, he said, oh, yeah, you know, 2012, when are all these changes you're talking about going to happen? And then I interviewed with him earlier this year or late last year. And he said, yeah, he said, when are these changes going to stop? So he's he's acknowledging that we are you know, living this this very unique time. So for me, uh, there are so many layers that we can go into about what is happening and, and what's changing. And, and, you know, we can talk about climate change, social change, financial change. We can talk all those things and they're important and they need to be discussed with kindness so that we can find resolution. But ultimately, Julie, ultimately on a deep level, there is a battle that is playing out for our thoughts, for 
our beliefs, what we believe to be true about ourselves and our world and where we come from, there's a battle for our very humanness. Our very humanness is on the line because there are proposals to replace our... Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about your blood flow? Redwood uses just a few simple, completely natural ingredients to increase your body's nitric oxide production. This, in turn, lowers your blood pressure and increases the rate of blood flow in your body. This results in several different positive effects, including increased metabolism. Our natural biology with synthetic technology, with chips in the brain, sensors under the skin, chemicals in, in the blood. And the reason this is important is because it reveals the deepest battle of all. This will answer the question about consciousness. Mm. It is through our humanness that we have access to what I'll call our divinity. And then I'll, I'll define this. The divine nature of what it means to be human. Now, a lot of people, when I say this in a live audience, they think we're talking about religion because divinity has been linked with religion. If you look at the definition, this is fascinating. Divinity has nothing to do with religion. What the definition is, divinity is our ability to transcend perceived human limitations, not just to survive, but to, to transcend, to thrive in the presence of the limits. And they may not even be real, perceived. They're the limitations that we've been programmed to accept about our abilities, our, our limited abilities, or our powerlessness. So divinity is about accessing that part of ourself that often is veiled by the fear of all of the extremes I'm talking about. So we can focus, you know, spend your life focusing on climate change or on collapsing financial and economic systems. It's all important on society, on social, on politics. It's all important. However, Ultimately, those are the diversions that keep us from accessing, I think, the real goal of what this time in our lives is all about. And it's our ability to become, maybe for the first time, fully human. We may not even know what it means to be fully human in our lives because at least three generations now, we've been told, and we're still teaching our kids this in, in school today, we've been told that by biology, our carbon biology is flawed, that we are flawed by our very nature. And among those flaws are emotion, human emotion, they say, when they teach this in the, in the schools. And there are scientists that, that believe this. Human emotion clouds our ability to think clearly and to make good decisions. Mm. They say that human intimacy, the intimacy between a man and a woman that, that creates a new life is imperfect because you never know the outcome and you don't know what, what that child is, is going to be like. Eye color, hair color, fast twitch muscles for athletics or, or IQ. You don't know any of that. So here's, here's where I'm going with this. We've been conditioned to believe that we are powerless victims and as victims that we need a savior and our savior is being touted as technology. So technology is being dangled out there to entice us to replace our humanness. And this is where science and consciousness are really coming together in a very interesting way. Because to have artificial intelligence, we have to define what is consciousness. What is intelligence? What is sentience? 
are, is AI a sentient form of life? We've got to define all of those things. So what's happening, Julie, is we're in the process of this tremendous shift on the planet and in our lives. In the midst of that process, we are developing these technologies and we cannot complete that development until we understand ourselves to understand if we want to, to build real AI, not, and I'll define what I mean by that in just a minute. But if we want to build actual intelligence and not just a program that mimics some predetermined answers, if we want actual intelligence. We can't do that until we understand our consciousness, our intelligence. And this is uh, divinity plays a very powerful role in this divinity our ability to transcend perceived human limitations. This is the part of us that's ageless. It's timeless. Mm-hmm. We all have divinity. Sometimes we veil that divinity uh, from our, our access. We do it in one of three ways. We can deny our own divinity. We can certainly, we have free will. We can deny that we are anything special. And there's, People, I know people in my family that, that do that, in my community. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, we can be conditioned out of our divinity by our family, by society, uh, by mainstream media, by what we teach in the classroom, the way we think about ourselves. We can be conditioned to, to deny our divinity. Uh, and number three, through technology. When we replace our natural biology with synthetics, Synthetic tissue, synthetic, uh, you know, and I, I just want to be clear. There are times when we need maybe an artificial heart or an artificial kidney or an artificial hip or a knee. And that's not what I'm talking about. There is a movement to replace our entire bodies mm-hmm. with synthetic material uh, and preserve only the, the brain for immortality. That is a movement that is afoot right now. Mm-hmm. Here's why this is a problem. It is the DNA in our bodies, the the unique formula of DNA in our bodies that is the antenna that tunes us to our divinity in the field. The divinity isn't in here. We access that divinity through the gift of the biology that we were given when we appeared 200,000 years ago. You take away the DNA or you alter the DNA, and there are attempts to do that as well, and we no longer – it's like – turning the dial on a radio, now you lose the station that holds your divinity. So when we give our biology away, when when we begin to replace our natural abilities with artificial technology, our abilities begin to atrophy. The neurons that we once used may not develop because a chip is doing it for us, and the body says you don't need that anymore. So So all there are layers and layers and layers of things happening. Ultimately, I think we are are being tested. We're being pushed to the edge of who we believe we are in lieu of accessing the deep truth of our existence and what our divinity is really all about. Our intuition is an aspect of our divinity, our imagination, our creativity. When we express something deep within us in this physical realm and we're reaching to find that something that that's our divinity that's what i'm talking about and the reason it's important 
is because when we have a clear connection with our divinity, we are less vulnerable to fear. We are less vulnerable to the fear of the uncertain world that we find ourselves in. It's still out there. It doesn't change the world. It changes the way we respond to the world. We are less vulnerable to the fear, and that means we are less vulnerable to the agenda and the ideas that other people have about what our lives should look like and what our world should look like. Another way of saying that is when our divinity is is veiled, when we feel separate from our divinity, we feel lost Mm -hmm. and we feel powerless. And then we become more vulnerable, more susceptible to other people's ideas because we are lost. We don't know who we are. So consciousness is what underlies all of this. Consciousness is the fertile field within which our divinity exists. Divinity is is an aspect of consciousness. Uh, You can think of consciousness as the container and our divinity as a vessel within that container. So where I see things happening, that, that was a long answer to a short question, but what I see happening is that people all over the world, this just isn't in, in America or in, in my community, we are undergoing change faster than we've ever undergone change in a single lifetime. Mm-hmm. And for some people, uh, it is more change than they can really accept because they've never been given the tools to embrace the resilience of change. And so what, what's happening is it's forcing people to come to a deeper understanding of who they are and what their relationship is with their own bodies when it comes to the immune system, for sure, with, uh, with the people under their roofs that they share everyday life with as belief systems clash over the family dinner table and in the living room, you know, after dinner, share, we share a house, we share blood. Uh, we have, you know, common ancestors and we could not be thinking more differently. And, uh, and that pushes us to come to terms with who we are and what's true in our lives. And then now the whole conversation of AI and the role that we are going to allow AI to play in our society. And and in our personal lives, we can't answer that question until we know who we are. How much of ourselves are we going to give away to the technology? How much of ourselves are we going to give away to AI? We can't answer that until we know who we are and what we're giving away. I really appreciate the, I love that you dove into the divinity aspect. And to me, what's coming up is really to get how sacred this is, the the fact that we, with the DNA that we have, with the connection that's possible, that we have an ability to connect. I love what you said. I love how you said this, the um, consciousness in the fertile field, um, that the divinity is that fertile field, which our consciousness exists. And I think, you know, for, for, for those listening who are up against you know, what do I believe? And there's fear and fear can be so disempowering. It can affect the immune system. I mean, I, I won't get into my story with it, but I can say that I know as somebody who breathes and lives this, I found myself kind of in this like fear bug, Greg, where I was like, what is happening? I was waking up in the middle of the night, like with fear thoughts, really scared. Um, and I must say, I feel like anyone listening, anyone here, our family, you, I, like, 
we chose to be here at this time. This is an extraordinary time, as you said. And I think for those listening, you know, just where to start with, I think, because it's that self to symphony, like how do we as individuals, I know anyone listening wants to be their best self, wants to connect with their divinity. I think of that as your USU. Honestly, that's what I mean by that. It's your connection to the divine. It's your intuition. Where do we start, especially, and that's a big question, um, but health, emotions, programming that we've been subjected to, like, I don't, you can just go anywhere you want with that, but I just keep hearing people like, where do I begin, Greg? (laughs) You know, it's it's a good question. So so now I'm going to tie back into the foundation that we just created together. There is a battle. It's an ancient battle that began the moment humans appeared on this earth. And we all know this. We sense this. There's a fundamental battle between good and evil, between light and dark. And it has played out over eons in many different ways through society and through technology and the choices that we make. It's, It's playing out right now. And this battle, the way that we win this battle is by not fighting. If we engage in the fight, we succumb to and fall into the ancient trap that keeps us stuck in this battle. The way that you win this battle is by becoming the best version of yourself, by accessing and embracing your divinity. And here's the reason, because it is through our divinity that we transcend the fear. If we don't have access to the divine nature of our being, and we don't know, it's what I call a soul compass, If we don't know with rock solid certainty who we are as we walk down the streets on this beautiful planet we live on, if we don't know who we are, it's very easy to succumb to the fear of the uncertainty of incoming. And we are inundated with media. And I have to say, Julie, unfortunately, it's it's across the board. I used to believe that there were forms of media, PBS, NPR, CNN, I used to think they were more objective, and now I know that's not true. And the reason is because they're different networks, but they are owned by just a handful of corporations that have an agenda. And I have to say that as a scientist. I'm I'm a degree geologist with a strong background in life sciences, math, physics, computer science, archaeology, and astronomy. And I say that because mm-hmm. it's that multidisciplinary background that allows me to stay current with new discoveries that are being published in these very obscure technical journals. And those discoveries support, the evidence in those discoveries supports what I'm saying is there is a a movement to feed us information so that we make the choices that direct us to support other people's ideas and other people's agendas. If people want to know more about that, it's actually called fifth-generational warfare is, is the term that's used. Uh, it's it's not a kinetic war. It's not about what it, it all happens in the mind and the heart. And it's very sophisticated. Uh, and it goes two ways. And the way that we use that is that we become the best version of ourselves. And when we have that, we are no longer bound by the sh- Olive Garden's never-ending pasta bowl is back, starting at $13.99, which means the never-ending pasta you crave is back. Starting it with our never-ending first course? Well, that's always been here. Never-ending pasta bowl, back for a limited time. The shackles of the fear that keep us feeling small and insignificant and powerless victims in the world, 
It empowers us. It frees us to love. And when we love fearlessly, when we love ourselves without reservation, you know, many people are afraid to fully love themselves because they've been led to believe it's not safe. And if you cannot love yourself fully, it's very difficult then when you reach inside because you have someone else in your life that you truly want to love and you reach inside for the love to give to them. If you don't have it for yourself, your vessel, uh, your vessel is not as full as you'd like for it to be. There are entire teachings about that in, in the ancient traditions. When we embrace our divinity, it frees us to love ourselves and to love others. And in the presence of that love, we are no longer subject to the fear. It doesn't change what's happening. We can watch an economic system collapse. It needs to. It's broken. It's corrupt. We can watch social change because that's where we are right now. And, you know, we can we can watch all of these things happen. But because our soul compass is strong, we know that we are watching the process rather than victims of the process. Because when you begin to, you know, there there are places, Julie, where the words fail and people just have to live this truth. When we embrace our divinity, here's what happens. We begin to see the world differently. Now, and I'm going to offer a tool to do this, by the way, before we leave here awesome. today. But when, when we embrace our divinity, we begin to see the world differently. And through that lens, uh, number one, we change the chemistry in our bodies. Then that's important. But it, we are, uh, we are not frightened by the things that may frighten people around us because we know with absolute certainty who we are in the world. And this is something that's not taught in the schools. We are the product of at least three generations of dumbing down our young people. Most young people don't have an inkling of understanding about their immune system and how it works. They don't have an inkling of understanding about the delicate, highly advanced technological, soft technology that they call their bodies. Mm -hmm. They've been taught that their bodies are flawed because they are human And because of that, they lose respect for their bodies and how they treat their bodies, what they put into their bodies are much more willing to imbibe in chemicals and in processes that actually steal life away from them rather than supporting that life because they've never been given a reason not to, Julie. And in that way, the education system has failed for at least three generations, at least three. Uh, and, And because of that, We now have a population global, not just in the West, that has become more vulnerable to other people's ideas, competing ideas based upon competing agendas. And that makes for a crazy world. It's a world that looks very crazy. You know, in um, my first public speaking I ever did was at the Open Door Bookstore in 1986 in Denver, Colorado. They just closed right before COVID. They closed. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was during that time uh, that a man I admired tremendously uh, was uh, he was still in the world and he passed not long after. His name was Buckminster Fuller. Oh, yeah. If our viewers don't know who he is, you probably know him because he created the architecture based upon the geodesic dome. That's what most people know. But if you study his life, he was a very deep thinking philosopher, a visionary way ahead of his time. And what he said once, Julie, and, and this has stayed with me all my life. 
He said, you'll never change the world by fighting against the things you don't like. He said, if you want to change the world, find a new way that makes the old way obsolete and people will follow the new way and the old way falls away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in our lives right now. If we spend our time fighting against all the things that we don't like, uh, what we're doing is we're actually engaging it in what keeps on a level that keeps us stuck in this ancient battle. The way to win this battle is to find the new way. And people will follow the ways that work better, whether it's new ways of energy, new ways of feeding our families, new ways of society, whatever it is. Find a new way and the old ways fall away. And and I think we're seeing this happen in our lives. I'll give you a perfect example is war. Yeah. Uh, the idea of war is is just horrific. And what we're finding now, I mean, what would happen if they throw a war and nobody comes? Yeah. Like, what if you throw a party and nobody shows up? What if you throw a war and nobody shows up? I have talked to to young people, military people, who no longer feel good about hurting another person who is not threatening them. It's a very, very different concept. If you're attacked, that's one thing. But to go and to hurt our global family, to hurt our brothers and sisters, there's a reluctance to do that now. I could I could see a time when young people refuse to fight and we walk away from war as a way to solve our problems. I could see that happening in this lifetime mm-hmm. because of, of where I think we're going to get really close to some really dark experiences. And I think we'll have to get close to walk away from it. But that tells me you asked me in the beginning mm-hmm. of this conversation shifts in consciousness that wouldn't have happened during World War Two or it wouldn't have happened in the 50s or the 60s or during the Cold War. So I, I'm seeing a shift, you know, in, in that way. So we find a new way that makes the old ways obsolete. So where that comes down to a practical reality in our lives today, we are being pushed, and I, I have to use that word, we're not being invited, we're being pushed into a world called a reset, a very different world than what we've lived in the past. And we're being pushed into a world where we live in compact, centralized cities rather than dispersed in rural areas. We're being pushed into centralization of everything from finances, CBDC, centralized digital currencies, to centralized sources of food, centralized sources of energy, centralized sources of banking and finance and living it in any time, Julie, that is not a good way to live in a time of extremes. It's the worst way. The last thing you want is centralization. What we want is what our indigenous ancestors have always taught us. It is localized living, localized living where we have localized sources of food, localized sources of energy that make sense for that locality, localized sources of economy and finance, localized sources of water, not centralized through supply chains that are vulnerable and can break down and hurt many people. When you live locally, you are stronger as an individual and stronger as a community. And through that, you can help other people when they're having problems because you've taken care of yourself in a way that reflects the natural world. Nature 
is localized. Nature is not centralized. I I am just the thing that I wanted to highlight, and then I would love for you to you just keep going, Greg, because the practices I can I can tell will be so helpful. It absolutely makes sense with the localized living. It makes sense on on every level to me. The thing I actually want to highlight that you said that I think is so crucial, and it, I don't want this to get overlooked by anybody, is you said it a couple times. The way we win is not by fighting. Yeah. And that that can be uh that can be translated in a lot of ways, meaning what I heard underneath that is you said love fearlessly. And putting that into action, I've just as someone who I've talked a lot about the Course in Miracles, I've been working through that and it's a daily practice on this, right? Getting yeah. rid of grievances and judgments and love. And I I'm like, oh yeah, this is no joke. This starts with ourselves. Stop fighting ourselves. Stop fighting with uh, like it's. This is this is this goes from micro to macro. So when you said that, I had like goosebumps over my entire body because it's it's uh like you said, have a war that no one shows up to, like a like a like a party that no one comes to. So I just wanted to say that that what you just said. There's so much here. That's really, that's, yeah, that's really big. And that can be a good place for people to start, I think, is, okay, yeah. how do I start? Well, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And, and just to be really clear, I mean, it, it's easy to have these conversations and go to extremes because they are very primal. They touch very primal elements of our being. Yeah. We all know there are times that we have to fight. We all know that. And we've all seen that. And we... World War II and what was happening in Europe. Yeah. If we wanted to stop what was happening, we had to, to defend what we believed in. But the point is to get to the point where you've got to fight, you've already got to compromise and give in so much of yourself. There are so many places where that war could have been prevented if people had claimed their sovereignty and if they had claimed their divinity. They didn't yeah. do it because they were conditioned not to, Julie. Yeah. And so when it reached the point that it did where all of Europe was threatened with a way of life and with atrocities, we had to fight. And there's a warrior within every one of us. Yeah. You know, we would fight for our loved ones, for our families. We'd fight for our planet if we ever had to do that. So it's not that we never do. What I'm saying is Buckminster Fuller, if you want to to win, to 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 uh to to change the world is what he said you find a mm-hmm. new way now the yeah. science supports everything you just said julie and i know you and i have talked about this in past conversations and you've had some other people on i believe who probably uh, alluded to this the institute of heart math the pioneering research center in northern california that is exploring the human relationship our relationship to the earth and beyond in non-conventional ways, but they're very, very scientific ways. Uh, they now have documented and it's in peer reviewed research. So this isn't hearsay and it's not conspiracy and it's not my theory. This is peer reviewed research. There's a field. There's an energetic field that underlies all of existence. We've got sensors right now, 40 sensors on different continents through the auspice, under the auspices of Princeton University, feeding back to a computer uh, in Southern California, as well as, uh, I believe, six or seven sensors directly measuring this field, also feeding back to, to the heart math 
uh, central server. And what it tells us very clearly is we can see when there are shifts, when human consciousness uh, shifts, it impacts energetically these fields. And the sensors can pick that up, send it back to the computers, and, and it can be plotted you want to know more about this, go to the www.heartmath, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H, two words, or two, two words put together as one word, heartmath.org, and look at the research. So the reason I'm saying this is, is what the research has shown, Julie, is this field, the energetic states of this field, the field only knows one of two energetic states. That's it. It either mm-hmm. knows coherence or it knows chaos. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. So we can be as well intentioned as we want when we go, not you and me, but when our community, when they march angrily in the streets and destroy property and burn buildings, protesting something they feel justified in protesting. You have to ask, what are you feeding the field? Are you feeding the field coherence or are you feeding the field chaos? And the more chaos we put into the field, it actually stimulates greater degrees of the chaos that we say we, we want to heal. So that's the reason that the, that's the scientific reason why anger and hate expressed in violence actually feeds the field, this chaos. And one of the things that we can ask ourselves and say, okay, in this moment, what am I feeding the field? And if I'm feeding the field chaos, don't judge it. You recognize it. You say, okay, yeah, there's some chaos I'm putting in the field. Now, how do I go about shifting that? And and I'd like to offer uh, something to to support the answer to that, if if you're okay with that. Are you okay on time? Are we good on time? Oh, we're, we're doing fantastic. And I was just, you're literally teeing up. I was like, please, Greg, share with us. Because I can hear, like, yeah. I can hear people listening saying, all right, so how do we do that? Absolutely. Well, we, one of the things we can do, and I won't do it here because we've done it. You and I have done this in the past, and it is in so many videos, is creating the coherence between yeah. the heart and the brain. Heart, brain, coherence, three steps. Shift the focus, shift the breath, shift the feelings. It's on my YouTube videos. It's on the HeartMath channel. It's on it's on Julie's past podcast. So check Julie's past podcast with Greg Braden and you'll see it. But sometimes it may not be practical to go into that heart meditation. And when it's not, there are other things that you can do. And so so I like to share practice. I, I do also on a daily basis. And I'm going to preface this with a, a discussion of the power of beauty. Uh, beauty has always played a, a very significant role in, in my life. When I left the corporations, I left academia and the corporations uh, after I was the first tech ops manager at Cisco Systems, and I cashed out my stocks, and I said, okay, wh- where am I going to live? Am I going to live in another big, beautiful city where everything is really convenient? Or am I going to live somewhere where I wake up in the morning and I am surrounded with the magnificence of nature every single day and the beauty of nature won out? So I actually ended up moving in the middle of nowhere, thinking I would never travel to what used to be a Waldorf school in uh, northern New Mexico built in 1888. Uh, it was a fixer upper and it's, it's, it's still being fixed up. I mean, you know, almost 40 years later, I'm still fixing it. <laughs> so. So the point is beauty has played a powerful role in my life. And interestingly, 
here in northern New Mexico, I'm surrounded, and we are surrounded by indigenous people. Uh, the Navajo live in the Four Corners area. And to the Navajo, who call themselves Dine, by the way, they don't call themselves Navajo. That's the, the English. Uh, but to the people that live there, they've always called themselves Dine. They've always embraced beauty as more than a peripheral aesthetic. It's more mm-hmm. than something, you know, you see a sunset and you say, okay, that's beautiful. They literally have, have seen beauty as a force of nature mm-hmm. in addition to the four forces of physics that are acknowledged. So physics says we have the electromagnetic force, the force of gravity, the strong and the weak nuclear force. The DNA say, yep, and there's one more. There is a fifth force that is beauty. It, it literally is a force in, in the, the universe, in the cosmos, and we are changed in the presence of beauty. And, and that's true. When we perceive beauty, we are changed biologically in the presence of beauty. Well, in, in the Dine traditions, they, in the ceremony, they actually have a very lengthy beauty prayer, and it's not practical to do on, on this podcast or, you know, uh, in your daily life. However, a, a Dine artist, uh, years ago condensed that prayer into three phrases that are very practical. And I, I say these to myself every single day. And I have mm. for decades now. And so what I'd like to do is, is share the beauty prayer. Uh, and by the way, his name is Shanto Bigay. Shanto Bigay, I want to honor him and give him credit, was the uh, DNA artist that first made this available uh, back in the 1980s. The beauty prayer simply, the, the abbreviated version, simply states the beauty that I live with, the beauty that I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. Now, those are just words until you understand what they represent. The beauty that I live with invites us, Julie, to embrace the fact that the beauty is already present in all things. We don't have to make it. Our job is to find it, to seek out the beauty, even in the darkness, even in the the horrible events, because they are part of God's creation. There has to be beauty in there somewhere. It may be a, an, a, a minuscule piece of what you're seeing. But Mother Teresa was a master at this. When I had my groups in India, uh, the Sisters of Charity were the hospice organizations, and they would go out at 5 o'clock in the morning as the sun was rising, and they would search the streets for humans who had been cast out of their homes because they were sick. They were called the untouchables and they were left in the streets to die. And Mother Teresa and the Sisters of Charity would search in Calcutta in the stench and the dung in the gutters of the streets. And they would find these humans and they would take them back to the hospice and they would bathe them and put them in white gowns so they could have dignity in their lives for the last moments or hours of their life. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that Filth in stench in the streets. Mother Teresa would see a daisy growing out of the dung. And in that daisy, she would find beauty in the horror of those streets. There's always a daisy somewhere in everything. Our job is to find it. And that's a, it's a shift in thinking to know that the beauty is already there. That's different than thinking we have to make it. So the beauty that I live with, the beauty that I live by, 
invites us to allow the beauty that we have recognized to to be the guideline in our lives to to expect beauty in all things to expect beauty in the worst argument with our intimate partner to expect the beauty in in the disease that is a message to our bodies maybe the beauty is is in us embracing the message what is our body saying to us mm-hmm. so that's the beauty that I live by the beauty upon which i base my life i think this maybe is is perhaps the most powerful it invites us to allow the beauty to play a, a role more than this peripheral aesthetic it invites us to bring beauty into our lives front and center as the foundation upon which everything in our lives is viewed it becomes the lens through which we see everything that happens in the world around us and i i just have to say this is one of those mm-hmm. things people have to experience when we do that we are changed now the scientists tell us that when we perceive through beauty that we begin to build neural networks that become more sensitive and recognize beauty where it may not have been seen before we actually develop a way to see beyond the darkness and to see that beauty so the power of beauty in our lives how for me personally when i see things doesn't change what happens in the world what it does julie is empowers me to be more present for what is that's hap- happening so that i can make healthy choices and healthy decisions whether it comes to my personal life my body it comes to my business whether it it comes to what i am sharing on a live stage you know halfway around the world so in addition to the coherence the the intentional coherence that we can create between our heart and our brain beauty also creates coherence uh and you're not necessarily going through all the steps it's intuitive it's an intuitive way of of creating that coherence so the beauty the beauty of everything that we're talking about is there is a scientific and a technological foundation but we don't have to know any of it what what we know is that we are a highly advanced technologically sophisticated soft technology we are not computer chips and ai we're neurons and cell membranes and we self regulate through thought feeling emotion belief breath and focus and that's all we need to know our ancestors did it really really well you can dive into the tech if you want but some people aren't interested in that they just want to know how to get through the day and so i'm going to invite our global family that's that's watching the millions and millions of people that are watching you right now i'm going to invite them to invite beauty into their lives mm-hmm. i'm going to look right in the camera and i'm going to say my brothers and sisters we're going through a tough time big change in the world but we're wired for times just like this if we allow our mm-hmm. bodies to do what our bodies know how to do and our bodies know how to be divine beauty is a foundation of our divinity so i'm going to invite you to invite beauty into your life without fear don't be afraid to allow beauty to play a powerful pivotal foundational role in your life well julie i want to thank you for yeah. the community that you built around your work your life and this podcast and we need you we appreciate you and i look forward to our next likewise
use the force use as the I force. keep being told. <laughs> I am one with the force, and the force is one with me. Uh, uh, and uh, that's a never-ending story, right, Rama? Capiche. <laughs> okay, well, we will go to our our brother and sister, Michaela Sheldon, and uh, uh, Ethan Fox. Yeah. And it's today it says plasma and the light and uh it starts uh as you don't have YouTube. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um we will be launching also on many more platforms without ads in yet as we go for now in this episode of Channel Revelations Michaela channels the Council of Light Ethan and the guides discuss ancient architecture how it was used and the differences between different collectives so topics include the architecture of the dolmens buddhism quantum field plasma the light body sixth and seventh dimension darren kuyu the grand canyon how the ego expresses itself in different dimensions and minimalism about well I think we have heard enough about who they are mm-hmm. so this is how long Rama two hours two hours and three minutes and three minutes so and 31 seconds <laughs> okay well we'll do as much as we get to before the break so Let's get started. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Channel Revelations. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Mikhail Sheldon. And today we'll be spending the next couple of hours talking about ancient civilizations and valuable things that we can learn from them. And as I always say, Michaela is a trans channel, so we'll be speaking directly to the guides, but just so her conscious mind doesn't interfere with the information anyway, I don't discuss the topics or the questions with her beforehand. So uh, also these shows are a series. So if you have any questions, we may have answered them in previous shows. You may have to go back to the first channel revelations and Watch them all the way through since it's an ongoing storyline that we're uh, we're talking about in every show. So whenever you're ready, we can start. Mm-hmm. Who we're speaking with today? We are the Council of Light. As always, we are pleased and prepared to answer any questions that you have. Also calling upon those who may be necessary to join us uh, to clarify any points. In previous conversations, we have spent time 
discussing the Anunnaki and the Naga and their differences and interactions with human beings. And we also touched in the previous show on the architectural differences and how they built their sites and their cities and their um, homes and temples and things like that. Uh, and today I want to focus primarily on the architecture and the architectural differences. Uh, so to start, um, I'd like to talk about, like in the Caucasus, Caucasus Mountains of Russia, they discovered um, a number of dolmens in that area that they dated from 10 to 25,000 years old. Now, dolmens are a little bit different from many of the structures we've discussed in previous conversations in that they're very simplistic designs. They're generally, they are four-sided, um, and oh, the stones tend to be very large in size. So it isn't something that your average human being would be able to lift and put into place. But So they're typically four-sided with a flat roof, and they're very simple designs, no um, hieroglyphics or markings or artistry, very basic. And many of them will have perfectly circular uh, doorways to enter. So not the kind of thing you would think that a human being would enter through, although some of the other ones do have rough cutouts of a regular human-sized doorway. So they vary, but what's common about all dolmens is that they tend to just look like somebody put together four uh, flat stones and with a flat roof, although some are very precisely cut. Um, and, and so it, it appears that some sort of technological, either inner or outer technology was used to, to make them. Uh, I'm curious if these were primarily reptilian built structures or Anunnaki or something else. Well, not necessarily either, because you must keep in mind that they were not the only races present on Earth at this time. And of course, there was the um, enormity of portals in various locations throughout the globe that had been open to facilitate the ongoing, um, we'll say, hybridization of various races who were here in, in addition to the desire to interface with human beings at the time. And, and there were a variety of different reasons for this. The main difference in the structures that you are explaining right now versus the ones that we have spoken of previously has to do more with a container type of structure in which there is an ability to fashion a portal. Now, We've spoken of portals a bit uh, in our various discussions, but we want to explain that portals are extremely complex in their manifestation and organization. There are portals that exist within the galactic universe between various grid points. Uh, there are portals that also have obviously taken shape within and upon the earth and there are portals that exist within your own energy field, even within your bodies. These are typically areas in which multidimensional communication uh, is, is facilitated. Yet there were some on planet Earth that understood how to bypass the original portals that many had constructed pyramids or temples around. In, in other words, they wanted to arrive on Earth uh, in order to research, perhaps, or to interface with uh, a segment of the population or even uh, have access to certain resources. But 
in order to come through some of the portals that were present on the planet at the time, they would have had to hybridize themselves, which sometimes meant some uh, infinite form of hybridization that could not be returned to the original source. Uh, in other words, some beings found it very difficult to move through a portal to the earth to hybridize and be a part of the experience here and then to travel back and to find themselves in the form in which they had uh, originated. So there were many ET races at the time who would have fashioned a structure like this, not necessarily in a physical way, but using light or a ship in order to move um, um, not necessarily the stones in their original form, but to move the earth in such a way that the stone would find the perfect junction between um, the intergalactic universe or a dimension in which the ETs that were present wanted to come through uh, and um, the um, elements of Earth themselves. So what you're seeing in the exact cuts isn't necessarily done using a physical tool uh, nor a template, as we've previously described. Uh, these were typically moved in relationship to um, um, energy fields that were facilitated through the plasma ships that these beings would have arrived on. Uh, they had the ability to carve um, intricate designs if they wanted, but this was not necessary because these were not areas that were typically being utilized for healing, for example, nor were they storing uh, important records. Um, they weren't necessarily intended to be utilized by humans uh, at all. They were, in fact, um, a very valuable entry point uh, for those who wished to come to Earth. So now some of them appear very crude in design, meaning the stones were not, they don't appear to have been cut very precisely. They just look like rough stones that were just thrown together. So why would you design a portal in such a crude way? I would imagine portal technology would have to be more precise, wouldn't it? Well, it had little to do with the actual stone or the cuts of the stone and more to do with creating a protective field around an energetic we'll say, program or signature that they had put into place. So the stones didn't serve a purpose of creating the portal themselves. It was the technology. They were housing some sort of vibratory technology. Though. That is correct, yes. I see. And what purpose do the stones serve then? Was it like an insulator of the technology or what was the not, point? Not in all cases, although we agree that this could have been a part of their design in some cases. Uh, more so, these were um, um, markers, uh, not because those with advanced technology couldn't have found their way to precise locations uh, within the Earth, but because once they arrived here, they would often become a bit disoriented as to their, um, we'll say, access point. Um, 
it is very much like if you were to time travel from the earth um, into a space between. And a part of you remembered that you were human, but it was very difficult to um, understand exactly where you were in the universe, knowing, of course, that a part of you has um, um, catapulted beyond. Uh, this would often happen with certain races of beings because they were not necessarily structured in the same way that hybrids and gods and those we have been speaking of um, had had come to evolve as. Uh, they were coming to a planet, at a new planet in, in their experience at a, at a time when it was even somewhat still fresh and new. Um, so to arrive here in a portal that they had constructed, uh, it did require some physical, we'll say, marking or um, geographic um, divination of where it might reside on the Earth. Yet keep in mind, of course, that in using a, a natural Earth element like stone, there is always the consideration of resonance. So in energetic technologies or, or any type of, of frequency field that is being created, uh, it is very common to see natural earth elements uh, being the outer edges or um, a protective barrier of that field because within it, the frequency will be multiplied um, because it is an, an earth portal that you are actually working with. In other words, earth energy is being channeled and somehow utilized to create a quantum field. And within that quantum field, um, the barrier or the protection of it is somewhat amplifying it or, or holding it in place. If these beings are coming to Earth in intergalactic ships uh, and they've arrived here, what purpose does the portal on Earth serve if they were already here to begin with? Well, these portals were not necessarily for communication or to arrive on the planet. Uh, portals, uh, they are um, able, they're, they're capable, let's say, of, of holding a frequency that is very important to sustain a being once they have arrived here. Um, in other words, uh, a portal can be designed uh, to facilitate any type of dimensional experience. Uh, to, to give you a very simplistic example, um, if there were seventh dimensional beings that wanted to come to Earth that were not able necessarily to use earthly portals in the way they were fashioned, they might create their own portal that would hold a seventh dimensional energy, not because they needed it to um, uh, enter the atmosphere so much as it would help sustain them once they arrived. Uh, they would be able uh, to shape shift depending upon their form or to hybridize if it was their choice but the portal would allow them to find comfort in some very specific way, whether it was to transmit between the Earth and their star planet or to somehow nourish themselves in a way that 
they were not sure they would be able to um, um, access uh, on the earth plane. Remember, many of the beings that came to earth, they were not physically focused. They did not require the same type of sustenance that human beings did. Uh, they were used to uh, running on light or, or nourishing themselves uh, using plasma, for example. So in anticipation of arriving here, they may have been housing some type of energy field that contained all of the recipe of what they would need uh, from uh, the um, range of, of information to nourishment uh, all the way through to communication to support them while they remained here. Using your example of seventh dimensional beings using these dolmens as portals, if a seventh dimensional being was using these dolmens as a portal, would, did they have to remain inside of that container, that four-sided with a flat roof structure, or could they leave it? It, it would depend upon the being and their purpose for coming as well as their decision to hybridize. But what we can say is in many circumstances, this was the case. Think of it somewhat like a, a comfort zone and a safety zone to manage a great deal of uncertainty uh, coming to a planet in which very little was known. Um, there were times, however, where it was found that an interdimensional being that was seventh dimensional uh, was able to sustain its energy uh, beyond the use of a facility like this, but may return to it in order to rejuvenate themselves or to um, harmonize their energy. It, it was not unusual, of course, for hybrid beings to find themselves in very physical, physically dense realities in which it was hard to sustain the harmony and the balance of their vibration. Uh, many of these um, containers, we'll call them, or, or even portal technologies had the ability to transmit very potent frequencies that would support their stay on Earth for longer periods of time. In any way, is this similar and function anyway from a mechanical standpoint to the handbags that we see many of the ancients carrying around? They are yet not as complex, uh, even though portal technology, as we mentioned, can be complex in its explanation. Uh, many of these handbags were so meticulously tailor suited uh, to the individual being and race that if you were to look inside of them, they might seem completely unique from another. Yet the premise um, was very similar. Um, yes, we'll, we will um, agree that it is very similar in its orientation to the handbags, um, but using, we'll say drawing more of an earth vibration and using it um, technologically to mimic something from beyond the earth. But the similarity would be that similar to the handbags, the dolmens provided these beings a means to be on earth in some form 
while still bringing forth um, some of the higher elements of themselves, the higher dimensional aspects of themselves into this reality so they could function here? Is that what the purpose was? Uh, in some cases, yes, although we would attribute what you are saying more to the handbags themselves than than the dolmens, because these were a bit more archaic, we'll say, uh, in their presentation. They weren't necessarily focused so much on constant contact with their home planet. Sometimes they were mimicking um, a moment in time in which the beings could step back in and remember the truth of who they were or channel energy from their their structure, their original structure to help sustain them in the hybridized form that they had chosen. Um, this is, we think, the primary difference. And we don't often talk about seventh dimensional beings in our conversation. So can you enlighten me as to what is a seventh dimensional consciousness? Is there a particular collective of beings that we already are familiar with or is it something totally different? Well, the seventh dimension is is massive and the seventh dimension does exist here on planet Earth. There is not only one race that has reached the seventh dimension. There are there are hundreds of thousands of races throughout the universe who have chosen the seventh dimension to to manifest in. Um, yet it is quite different than what you may recognize on Earth. Remember, each dimension is expanding access to information, and information is also light. So, so as you move upward through dimensions, you are able to access more light, which is also information, through which you are able to choose what form you manifest in. Now, in the fifth dimension, there are shapeshifters, even though the fifth dimension on Earth hasn't necessarily reached that point in, in its, uh, we'll say, vibrational manifestation, because every dimension is an evolutionary container through which the beings that exist uh, are learning uh, how to work with it uh, as they are um daily interacting with themselves and many others. Uh, in the seventh dimension, many beings choose to move between various states of form and light. However, the physical form that they may present in is far more plasmic, we might say, than what human beings exist in today. And that is the main difference that we see um, in the seventh dimension versus those below it, um, plasma has become extended and operates to its fullest degree, uh, meaning a soul has the ability to immediately receive contact or information from beyond the veil, uh, and they are able to integrate it also in a very expedited fashion. Uh, where in um, your reality, it may take a little time or or lag in time space to receive something uh, from your plasma, which is um, cosmic in nature, and understand how to work with it in, in a physical reality. Seventh dimensional beings are are very adept at this. Uh, they're able to time travel very efficiently. They're able to use their plasma very efficiently. 
yet they still do maintain some semblance of individuality and identity. So as we go up from the seventh dimension, we see beings who are somewhat losing that sense of individuality or having to have a separate ego. Um, there is more unity from a collective experience where it's no longer necessary to have an individual reality that is evolving you because the entire collective is evolving together. It's not um, a, a better choice necessarily, even though many souls would believe it is. It's just a different choice. So, so seventh dimensional beings can present themselves very much like humans. At the same time, we might say they are so tuned in to their super sensory abilities that they are able to transcend their physical nature very quickly if they choose. Is, uh, you mentioned ego. So is ego a factor of dimension one through seven, uh, but doesn't continue from eight beyond? Varying levels of ego exist in every dimension, but manifest differently dependent upon the degree of collective energy that you have decided to be a part of. Uh, so, so even in the 12th dimension, we know there are beings who are exploring the idea of ego, but they are doing so not to the detriment of self or another. This is perhaps the biggest difference is in the 12th dimension, there is always an immediate consideration or understanding of what everyone else in the collective requires in order to go to the next dimensional level or evolutionary uh, marker in their journey. So while there is an understanding that someone in a collective reality is not necessarily holding a separate identity, there's a need to understand how the whole works as one. And and there is, um, we'll say, individual perception of that, meaning that in a 12th dimension, even though it is collective, there are fragments of the whole that are unifying through the idea that they are all perceiving something unique. It is just that that perception does not hold them back in the way it does in lower dimensions and especially here on planet Earth. But in the seventh dimension, for example, ego isn't looked at as something negative. Uh, again, there is still an understanding that each individual that has chosen a seventh dimensional form is very importantly contributing to a collective reality, and they cherish more so uh, what it is unique about them that is purposeful in that contribution. So, so the idea of identity in a seventh dimensional being becomes a bit more fluid. There's no need to hold on so tightly to certain belief systems or ideals about the self. A soul is always exploring what the other can offer to help them grow. Uh, and, and this is why the seventh dimension, we think, is a very ascendant place to be. Uh, beings will choose to be in the seventh dimension for many, many incarnations, even simultaneous to each other, because they want so desperately to study uh, the dichotomy of individuality and collective energy in, simultaneous to each other. It is a 
experience that is hard for us to even explain to those of you who are in physical bodies because um, it's somewhat mystical in its presentation. You speak a great deal oftentimes in, in these transmissions about consciousness and being um, able to observe yourself in a specific reality, uh, even feeling something and having an experience of the feeling. Uh, this is truly a seventh dimensional type of activity that becomes more natural um, in that state where the observation is is simply second nature. It's not something that has to be efforted at. In other words, it's something that a soul has already learned as it's come up through the dimensions beneath and is now able to put into um, some semblance of physical expression. The collective nature you mentioned that happens to the ego in the 12th dimensional experience versus the seventh, is that something that cuts off at the seventh? And so from eight to 12, we're moving more toward the collective nature? Well, you can certainly look at it this way. As you move through dimensions, you are losing more of the egoic perception of self and you are expanding more into a, a unified field. And and even as you move uh, between this reality and, and the next, uh, leaving this incarnation behind, what is happening is you're losing your, your semblance of individuality and, and ego. There is a moment when your soul has transitioned beyond the body where it hesitates because it's holding on in resistance to what it knew before and who it knew itself to be while it's feeling all of that begin to slip away. So, so there truly is a value in transitioning between dimensions in letting go or surrendering some of the things that your soul has held on so tightly to uh, in many lifetimes, not only here on earth, but, but in lower dimensions. But, but certainly, yes, the access to light allows a soul to perceive itself beyond the veil of separation. And, and that is the true difference between each dimension. And so the description of light that you're using here is something that only takes place after the seventh dimension. Well, you have the ability here on planet Earth, regardless of what dimension your timelines are in, to access as much light as you choose. So we want to make it very clear that dimensions are simply organizational containers in which souls that are choosing a specific reality find themselves. But to have incarnated here on planet Earth does not uh, preclude you, in other words, from entering that seventh dimension. The problem is you are not a part of a collective that is also desiring to do the same. And that will always be a contributing factor to your ability to move solidly into another dimension while you're still here on a planet that is accessing one or another. Uh, so, so yes, we, we agree with what you're saying at the same time. It's important for us to help everyone remember that they are all multidimensional beings uh, and within themselves have the ability to choose whatever dimension they wish to explore. It is just holding that dimension and being able to create in it as a physical being would be quite difficult uh, from where you stand today. 
Well, I guess what I'm trying to understand is you use the term plasma to describe the seventh dimensional being's experience, and then you use the term light to describe a collective expression of ego such as the twelfth dimension and alluded to that more access to light gives you the ability to experience things in a collective way. So I'm trying to understand what is the difference between plasma and light and and is it is plasma something that we experience up to the seventh dimension, including the third to fifth, which we are in now, and that after the seventh we move toward light and light is something different from plasma as you're describing. Well, it is um, simply how your plasma chooses to manifest. So we will explain the difference in a moment. But but we want you to imagine that right now your physical body is made of light that is vibrating at a speed that is causing your material body to to transform. So each day uh, when you awaken, uh, as you take a look in the mirror, every belief system you have about the physical body is pulling it together through light in order to present itself in the world as it is. So light is information. It's it's universe. It's godlike energy that has assumed a specific form and taken on a specific vibration. So when we say you're accessing more of your light, it means that your vibration has speeded up enough or accelerated enough uh, to perhaps no longer require any expression of material. And, and that isn't of detriment or of greater service. We know that some on planet Earth would uh, choose if, if they were able to leave the body behind and to manifest only in light. But, but every reality has its advantages and disadvantages. Right now, your free will is expressing through your individual um, uh, identity. And that is very revered throughout the universe because those that are in a collective vibration aren't necessarily uh, living a a unified and um, collective reality through free will. They are considering everyone else in their decision and certainly that's benefiting the whole. At the same time, it's not allowing them to creatively express individually. So so light is what you are. It is just that sometimes in a dense physical reality, the, the souls that exist there forget that their light is accessible to them. And and plasma is what makes this possible. So So we want to bring in first the concept of a light body and then we'll speak about plasma and and infuse these two definitions in a way that might make sense as physical as you are you are made of light and you also have a light body which generates itself beyond the physical earth your light body is interdimensional and multigalactic it is always having a sentient experience even when you're tuned into the physical plane. So if you were to take a walk in the park tomorrow, you would be having a present physical experience of nature and other human beings on the path and animals that were there. You would feel the temperature and the breeze and you would you would notice the direction of the wind. At the same time, Simultaneous to your physical experience, your light body 
is taking in a completely different landscape. It is communing with the various non-physical beings that exist in the forest, the fairies, for example, and, and the gnomes. It may even be traveling beyond the earth to access something that is necessary for your soul to ascend. But both of these components, your conscious mind and what your light body brings in, are brought together through plasma. Now, in a physical sense, you have plasma within your cells and within your body. But more so, we are speaking of the plasma that exists within your energetic field. It is an intangible type of technology that works in concert with the light body to send it beyond this reality and to have a, a, a time-traveled experience. Now, the problem with being a physical being is that the light body and the physical body have been at such different time-space realities, vibrational speeds and dimensions that it's been difficult to consciously recognize where the two meet or where the information of the light body can be helpful uh, to a physical soul. It's as if the light body's information goes to waste. But the more you accentuate plasma, the more that information becomes understood. And the question we know might be, how does plasma become activated? Well, on a physical plane, the meditative practices that you do are growing your plasmic field. And as your plasmic field grows, it's capturing all of that light energy and information and storing it for you in a very valuable way, in a prioritized way, such that the second you need it, it is made available. This is called claircognizance or knowing. Those who have immediate downloads or knowings are working with their plasma to retrieve light in a very quick speed that accentuates their ability to integrate it on a physical plane. Now, what we've just described, it changes as you move through dimensions. You always have a light body. You always have plasma. But what begins to happen is the less material you hold, the more that plasma and light body becomes the um, the primary part of your technology, where there's far more access beyond the reality that is physical and more into the non-physical or the whole of the universe. And it is somewhat like peeling away an onion. Uh, every time you peel a layer, the onion gets smaller and smaller and smaller. There's There's less physical density to hold the light body or the plasma to form. And in so doing, it's free to go wherever it desires. And this is what forms collective energy. Because if we don't have an individual body to associate with, and nothing's holding us uh, to a physical planet, we have no need to individualize or distinguish ourselves from anything else. We find ourselves flowing with whatever the collective requires. And that's ultimately the best definition that we can give you of the 12th uh, dimension, where 
souls have lost, if they've peeled away every bit of that onion to the point where there is no longer a reason to hold back uh, the the light body and the plasma, and it begins to coalesce with the light body and the plasma of everyone else. And then there is a collective experience that becomes born, and, and everyone is communicating simultaneously. There There is no time or no need to distinguish between a question and an answer. Uh, it all comes immediately. So, so what we are saying when we're referring to accessing light is perhaps accessing those abilities, but in your own way, in the way that you are able to uh, on planet Earth, not like any other being in the universe. Are there specific kinds of civilizations or collectives or races that exist in the seventh dimension? Or are there even human beings that are having seventh dimensional experiences or within a collective of human beings that are seventh dimensional, whether on Earth or on other planets? As it stands today, we do see human beings that are accessing the seventh dimension, but but as we mentioned, cannot hold a seventh dimensional reality in full in their physical lives. And also, because of the amount of physical density that they have chosen to manifest in, they are not um, uh, collectively creating with others in the seventh dimension. So, so while the seventh dimension is accessible on planet Earth and it does exist and human beings are able to access it individually, there's no semblance of collective energy on the Earth in terms of the human race um, at the current moment. It does not mean that there are there are not seventh dimensional beings here functioning collectively from other planets. There there certainly are. And the one that we can most um, importantly bring to this discussion is the Pleiadians. Now, there are many others, but but we want to spotlight the Pleiadians because the seventh dimensional Pleiadians have been here for a very long time, and some of them shapeshift into human form. They are aware that they are Pleiadian and not human, but have assumed certain roles uh, here in order to assist the ascension timeline. And they have the telepathic ability to intersect with every other seventh dimensional Pleiadian that is also here at the same time in the same form. What is interesting about this is there are also seventh dimensional Pleiadians that exist in that star system, not on planet Earth at all. And they are still in contact and able to evolve right along with the Pleiadians who are here. So some uh, ET races will say um, have taken such a great interest in supporting human healing and the the um, reestablishment of your original divine blueprint and evolutionary path that they volunteered to come and take human roles uh, in that timeline in such a way that they are seen in a human form, but not necessarily understood as Pleiadian. 
quite often when we've discussed the Pleiades in the past, you've channeled ninth, or this channel has brought in ninth dimensional Pleiadians, for example, and I assume there are some in the 12th dimension as well. So if there are also seventh dimensional Pleiadians um, in the Pleiades, I assume, and on Earth, then um, can a seventh dimensional Pleiadian interact with the 12th dimensional Pleiadian or a ninth dimensional Pleiadian, or, or are those dimensions too far apart? Well, in the Pleiades star system, um, the multi-dimensions work a bit differently than they do here on Earth. Um, right now, within humanity, you are having a very difficult time intersecting with beings who exist in your same dimension or within your same level of consciousness. And that is somewhat by design. It's not for you to suffer necessarily, but there has been a bit of a lag time in moving the whole of the planet together as one. And because of that, human beings are stationed, we might say, in certain geographic areas of the earth where they have chosen to be either a conduit for incoming intel and information or healing, uh, or they are meant to influence others through their consciousness. In Pleiades, the star system has evolved and advanced um, much further than the Earth. And, and you must keep in mind it's it's much older as well uh, than the Earth and, and humanity. Now, the stars in Pleiades, they tend to organize themselves around dimension. So you do find that um, certain stars within Pleiades tend to hold a certain dimension and the beings who are choosing that dimension uh, reside there. Uh, they live uh, communally. There is, however, still a great deal of interchange and sharing of resource uh, between these various dimensions. Now, keep in mind all of the definitions we have just given you about the seventh dimension, plasma, and the light body. Pleiadians are very adept at moving between dimensions and having experiences with those of their same race in other dimensions because they have understood and learned the technology and, and how to access it and how to utilize it. And you may wonder, why then would Pleiadians choose to stay in the seventh dimension when they have access to those in the 12th that could assist them in ascending? Well, remember, these decisions aren't necessarily made in the same incarnation in which the dimension that is chosen is being explored. So so there are many Pleiadians who are at great peace and of great joy to continue to choose a seventh dimensional perspective, even though they know they have the opportunity uh, if they choose uh, to move between various dimensions and to gain that wisdom. And they do, uh, applying it uh, individually within their own uh, collective. Also, we want to point out that the Pleiades is a very open uh, star system in terms of allowing in uh, intergalactic beings from a great many other races. And uh, the Pleiadians take great pride in this because it has uh, diversified their star system. It has brought in uh, new understandings and history and wisdom and creativity. And, and this is another reason that you see so much um, diversity between dimensions in the Pleiades. 
uh, is that some beings are coming in and aren't ascending through the 12th dimension in Pleiades, even though they may have ascended through the 12th dimension in their own home star system, because it's a completely different experience to cherish. There are new things to learn. It's a new structure to be a part of. So, so every soul is choosing what they believe is best for not only their soul's evolutionary path, but also for the whole of the universe and contributing to its expansion. Now, I could be wrong, but um, let me just formulate an idea here. It seems to me that many human beings who are either more self-aware or in some cases maybe more conscious um, don't want to be here in this earth dimension. So, and I, I'm assuming that at least some of those are maybe beings of a higher dimension who chose a third dimensional experience on earth at this time to have that journey, just like you're describing seventh dimensional Pleiadians would choose that journey because it's different than being in the ninth dimension. So why is it that there are so many human beings who maybe some of them are of a higher consciousness or more evolved than third dimension suffering so much and wanting to not be here? Well, ultimately, we could simplify this answer by saying that we believe it has to do with the idea of love. Because regardless of what dimension you are in, a a soul has the ability to intersect with its own love, which is an extension of God, and enables it to have an evolutionary experience regardless of any difficulty it might face. And, And this is what has been taken away from you. It's the organic frequency through which you were seated that you have been taught exists beyond. So we agree that there are many evolved and and cosmically uh, oriented souls that have chosen to come to planet Earth at this juncture who have a remembrance of what that love feels like in their home star systems and and on their home planets and cannot rectify why they feel so alone or misunderstood in this reality. But also we know that it's a difficult timeline. There is a remembrance of much of the history that has been traversed, not only here in ancient timelines, but, but also what is um, cosmic uh, in your history. All of that is being re-explored and, and expressed through your DNA and the spiral of time. So it is misunderstood, we believe, to think that you should not be here at this time and believe that you were brought here to suffer. The awakenings that humans have gone through have brought more dismay, uh, in our opinion, because the clarity through which you are viewing what has happened over decades of time is bringing more sadness than it is evoking the the courage and the ingenuity and creativity to to easily shift it which which we believe is possible we mentioned as we were speaking of the seventh dimension that an earthly experience is often very revered and it is because It is one of the slight opportunities within the universe where vibration is slowed enough 
to actually mold it into a physical form. And intergalactic races throughout the universe cherish those opportunities to to actually assimilate into an identity and be able to use their energy to manifest something physical and tangible. Yet we know in this reality, you've been swayed from the understanding that you are creators at all. So, so much of this comes into play. It isn't just the cosmically evolved souls that are here that are longing for home. It's, it's the ones who have awakened, who see the world through a very clear lens and have forgotten uh, their ability to actually create a life that not only serves them, but makes an impact in terms of the shifts that we know earth is capable of making. And all of you are on the trajectory of, um, but it is difficult for us to say whether or not that will change because we as the council of light and, and many races representing this council have gone through our own challenges uh, very much like you have it might surprise those who are tuning into these transmissions that we still face challenges today. As, as the council, uh, we are still in awe of things that we have not been able to fully understand about the workings of this universe. It constantly takes us by surprise, yet we have learned to garner joy from that surprise. And and we think this is the easiest way for those who are struggling with wanting to leave the planet to, to remind their consciousness of what it's like to be in a state of flux on a planet that is moving between dimensions so quickly. There is going to be a great deal of surprise. And if we anticipate that that surprise will be to our detriment, uh, we will continue to suffer. But but if we uh, can be more neutral in our observation, if we can pull in the energy of our higher self and our oversoul who knows uh, these challenges have been faced in other dimensions before, uh, we can find our peace. And, and that peace is perhaps one of the most powerful frequencies that lends itself to a new reality um, you see, humans are here to create and to to physically do things that support their joy and the movement forward of the planet. But often uh, those who are spiritually advanced have been taught that it is only their energy that should be capable of this. We think this also causes a great deal of suffering because we see many who are lost between worlds um they are exploring the great expanse. They have the ability to understand what it is like in other dimensions. And they are constantly comparing that to the life that they chose. When if they would only ground into their bodies and begin to put their hands to the earth, uh, begin to be fully present with everything in the material world that they so desired to interact with, we think great change could come. Well, how do we resolve, in light of what you're saying, if third-dimensional physical reality is revered in the universe as an experience that beings want to have, how do we resolve on Earth today and the spiritual community in particular, there's such a strong focus toward moving away from physical 
focusing more on mind and consciousness and spirituality and multidimensional interactions and um, moving away from the physical interaction. Well, it is always a soul's evolutionary path to continue to accelerate between dimensions. So, so I think it's natural for any soul throughout the universe, regardless of what dimension or form they find themselves in, to want to explore the next level because it is how um, expansion of the universe truly takes place. But we want to define the difference between the third dimension that you believe you exist in and the third dimension that you were always meant to be a part of because the third dimension is not uh, an evil or dark place. And it has been assumed that what has happened here is third dimensional in nature. What has happened here could take place in any dimension throughout the galaxy. It is the suppression of your free will that has tricked you to believe that your powers only lie in non-physical. Because to be a physical being is very powerful indeed. Uh, we've talked in past transmissions, for example, about emotion. And we know emotion seems very transient. It does not seem physical at all. But, but if you did not have a physical body, you would not have emotion. Because emotion is what enables you to make a physical connection to the earth that you chose but also to make a, a logical connection to how your soul fulfills its destiny. So, so if we are not in the body, uh, we are missing out on some of the most meaningful messages that we may be attempting to retrieve from the astral. But energy and, and astral connection has its place in every reality. It is just that on planet Earth today, it's been a bit out of balance. Uh, human souls have been taught only to live in their physical existence or in a spiritual sense to evolve out of that physical existence. And neither are, are truly the path of salvation. What you are looking for is to balance both, to realize that you are an energetic being with the ability to manifest and to source and and to create and to do all of the things that you are here to pursue. But the body is the anchor for that energy. So there are programs that take humans off track in, in one direction or another. Of course, it's obvious to see where you have been led only into the, the three-strand DNA, the, the physical material world, uh, things like disease uh, and money and 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 possessions. Uh, while these things are very important parts of your reality, too much emphasis has been placed upon them. But we could say the same thing about spiritual teachings. And we even um, covered in our last gathering uh, the idea of manifesting through mind and how this is more a reptilian ability than it is human. It is not to say, of course, that the mind is not important. But if you are not using the entire technology, uh, the full suite of abilities in concert, you'll never truly know what you are capable of and what the universe has in store for you, which is often far better 
than what you have been told to manifest. So if one or the other extreme uh, is embraced for too long, uh, we think humans lose their way. But but to balance those things we know is not easy. So so we want to simplify that as well. While you are meditating, while you are exploring these these various astral abilities and gifts, take a step back in your day-to-day reality from all of the noise and all of the confusion that has been put in your schedule, things that truly don't matter, and spend some time being truly present with whatever your life entails, not the busyness of schedule, not the work that you're here to do, but the eye-to-eye contact with another human being, the foot on the ground in nature, the um, the smell and the taste of the nutritious dinner that you have cooked your family. This is where energy and the material plane coalesce and work together. It is where your most powerful sentient abilities will be brought to the surface and innately you will know things without even trying. There is no true need for guidance beyond the self other than those who are teaching you to go back inward and to find it in the semblance of physical and vibration. Well, if material reality or material experience is valuable, then at what point you mentioned our um, tendency to surround ourselves with possessions, for example, is, is one extreme. So the possessions are material, they're physical things. So what makes possessions, at what point does possessions become a bad thing? Um, so should we not surround our environment with possessions or is it the idea of what the term possessions means? We do not believe possessions are necessarily wrong, but how you think about them has been taken off track. For example, uh, many human souls today would identify themselves with their material possessions, meaning you have been taught to evaluate your worth based upon a, a certain value that comes along with material wealth. And those things could include uh, a home, for example, clothing, uh, a car, or even societal expectations of of how you should be leading your life, which are telltale signs or, or evidence of success. This is not how you were intended to evolve on a physical planet. It is not to say that things would not come into your reality, but every one of those things would have a purpose beyond your identity, meaning they're here to somewhat facilitate a connection to the collective. So so we might say that the very term possession assumes that each one of you as a single identity owns things that are only yours that no one else has any right to. And we are not saying that every human being should have the right to your possessions, but yet universal law dictates that you are existent within a source field. And if you are existent within it, that means you are a part of it. So every human being who is here is a conduit and an extension 
of the source field, not only for themselves, but for every other. So in tribal civilizations and in ancient civilizations, every possession had a meaning that was worthy of the individual's service or contribution to the whole. It was perhaps simply lifting their vibration in such a way that helped them to become a healer uh, at times in which they were needed. It could be something that was necessary to be shared, uh, whether it was wealth uh, or food or knowledge. In fact, in many ancient civilizations and beyond the earth, the most valuable possession that beings request is knowledge. Uh, it has little to do with anything that would establish a hierarchical form of wealth. So if we go back in time and we look at some of the stories and timelines we have been reviewing, it is easy to see where material wealth uh, was important to the gods of the time, and they were using uh, others to accumulate that wealth uh, as opposed to activating the source field, which would have provided everyone equally with what they required to be a part of the collective that they had assumed to incarnate for. Um, releasing possessions is something we see a part of a fifth dimensional transition. And we say this not because you are meant to go without, but we think your consciousness is coming to the point where it's scrutinizing everything that it has either acquired or attempted to manifest in its life according to a divine purpose or a true intrinsic understanding of, of why each individual is here. It is time, we believe, to lighten the load because all of this accumulation of material is also energy. And and we could go into a great explanation about how every material possession that you take ownership of is connected to your energy field. And that means that if it doesn't have a purpose, if there is no intention to it, it's it's truly weighing you down in, in your ability to bring from the source field things that are better suited for you. And if you have ever heard the phrase that, uh, prior to new incoming treasures, uh, we must purge uh, what no longer resonates. Uh, this is something that we believe and and has been a part of, of many different universal uh, belief systems throughout history. Uh, when we release what no longer serves us, we are clear conduits for the intelligence of the universe to provide what we have already dictated is necessary at any given time uh, on our evolutionary journey. Okay, let me use a very basic, simplistic example to articulate what I think you're saying, and you can help me clarify. So let's say, for example, um, I had a Rolex watch or a diamond ring, uh, and these are both things that in our current third-dimensional society are considered um, measures of wealth or status or affluence. Um, and most people who buy these things, that buy very expensive versions of these things anyway, are buying them for that status and for that um, sense of identity that it gives them. So 
does it make these types of um, material possessions um, something that takes us off track? Or let's say, on the other hand, I have a Rolex watch or a diamond ring, and, but it has some sort of personal meaning. Um, it's not really a status symbol as much as perhaps I just love the way a Rolex watch looks or um, or maybe the diamond ring is my representation of my marriage or unity to a um, relationship partner, for example. Does that change the dynamics of that possession and their impact on us? We never want to negate the idea of joy and receiving joy from a possession that has come into your life. Um, at the same time, we ponder whether or not these things are actually leading human souls to true joy. Uh, it is typically a temporary satisfaction, in other words, than a long-standing, sustainable frequency shift. And if we were to go back to ancient times, you would certainly see some of the goddesses uh, adorned with various headdresses and, and even arm wraps and jewels. But these had little to do with some hierarchical status. It had more to do with the vibration and its ability to shift that individual's energy field. So everything was very purposeful in how it was adorning the body and how it was worn or brought to be a part of an individual's grouping of possessions. Uh, this today in modern times has been lost. And so, so we see a great deal of energy actually being wasted in, in creating some of these things. Again, not that joy is wasted. Uh, we know that you came to have a material experience and some of you have dictated within your own divine plan that that material experience would come through decadent wealth. But that's only because you're repeating timelines in history that hasn't really served you or been extremely meaningful in your ascension. So, so a wealthy experience can actually be a highly conscious and meaningful experience uh, when it is tur turned towards the collective and, and offered something um, or offers the collective something that is is truly valuable. This is where we believe the fulfillment and joy that extends beyond the moment is accessible. Uh, in addition to this, we know that where you're going, uh, it's going to require um, a new type of perspective in terms of productivity and mechanics and technology. Everything that you're apt to do is going to have a purpose either uh, in your healing, uh, in your wisdom or ability to access greater knowledge, uh, or even to communicate universally. We think that is the way that you are able to shift into the fifth dimension far easier, and we don't think it will happen necessarily overnight. So, so do we believe that the lift of vibration from accumulating uh, a very uh, decadent possession is important or worthy of a soul? Well, certainly, we think that anytime you surround yourself with things that you love, you're creating an environment that contributes to a better world. 
what we question is whether or not the value of those items is truly worthy of you. Now, there's a movement in recent decades, in particular in Western nations like in the United States, toward minimalism. Now, I'm wondering, is what you're talking about the move toward minimalism or is minimalism more of a global agenda by the world leaders to have people own nothing and be happy? There is no one within the universe that operates under the ideology of minimalism because you are all expanding. The universe is expanding. So this very idea goes against the laws of nature And we think, yes, it is a program designed to create more suffering. So so we are not saying that you should release all of your wealth or possessions to the degree that you are uncomfortable or, or living a life that is below the caliber of what your human soul deserves. At the same time, we know that resources have been slighted from humanity, as you have been taught to operate outside your true connection to source and have looked to others to source for you. So until that changes, you will truly not understand the the definition of prosperity because that prosperity would never come from another. And those we know who are struggling um, on the planet, and there are many who do not have enough possessions or monetary resource to feed themselves can not only be sustained through your contribution, they also must understand that they have an organic connection to the source field that they have been taught um, to not follow or, or have been led astray of, in other words. So if all of you were operating in alignment to source, there would be no reason to minimalize anything. We think you would still have many possessions at your fingertips, material and otherwise, that would bring you great joy. It is just that those things might look a little different uh, in the future than they do today. They would all be accentuating your health, uh, your vibration, your attunement to the universe, uh, your connection to each other, and also your connection to the earth. Elaborating a little bit more on what you just mentioned about some people in the world may not have a lot of possessions or wealth or even the resources to feed themselves. Now, can, and it's primarily because they have a disconnection from source. But of course, I think even in Western countries, we have disconnection from source, even though we may have more material things here. It's just a different way it expresses, right? Yes, that is correct. And and we always have to account for the great spiral of time, because until poverty, for example, is no longer a timeline that humans experience, it will continue to repeat uh, in, in your potentials. That does not mean that It has to express as the poverty that you see on the planet today. You have the ability to incrementally and vibrationally adjust that timeline uh, based on your consciousness to become whatever it is you choose. But hierarchies, we believe, is ultimately the problem. And we know that when we say this word, many refer to a small number of human beings on top who are making the decisions and who own 
everything on planet Earth. And certainly that is true. But we want to allude more to uh, an energetic type of hierarchy that humans have been brought up in that sustains certain belief systems. Uh, in other words, you have been taught at a very young age, whether it's through schooling or through your parents, that certain facets of humanity or the collective uh, are not as worthy as others. They have faced certain things in their history or in their past that has slighted them from maintaining a certain level of wealth uh, or abundance. And and these programs and beliefs are causing some of the biggest problems, we believe, especially in those who are experiencing uh, the poverty, because as these stories continue to spiral through the DNA and through multiple generations, they're continuing to weaken um, groups of humans that truly believe that they are not worthy or or capable of receiving the same amount of abundance or source that others do. Now, those who have come into very wealthy lives, uh, who have been somewhat abundant from a very early age, may have chosen that as a part of their soul's expression, because there are timelines throughout history uh, of the very same nature. But also we see there is still hierarchy going on here. Uh, these souls have learned to work against universal law, which is meant to be very collective, to hoard resources from others. It does not mean they are doing so with neglect or through ego. It has just been entrained within the human mind that competition exists. And because that competition exists, there are certain things we must do in order to keep resources for ourselves. Now, ultimately, if everyone was working through the source field, there would be no competition whatsoever. The very idea that competition exists is a falsehood in your reality. It's, again, been programmed into the minds of humans to believe that they must work hard in order to achieve what they have in their physical life, when in fact, everyone is meant to receive from a cosmic inheritance and collective pool exactly what is necessary to benefit themselves and the earth. So prior to leaving this incarnation, regardless of how much money you have acquired or how many possessions you have at your fingertips, the most important thing you will evaluate is whether or not you left behind something meaningful. And this is not even a tangible physical thing we are speaking of. We're talking about a legacy in terms of your ability to be kind and, and compassionate and present with others and, and sharing uh, what is necessary for, for others to receive. Ultimately, you are all here expressing source through you. So until the fifth dimension fully arrives and these hierarchies come down, we think the charitable contributions that you're making beyond yourself are going to continue to be a very important thing. But even here, you must be wary because there is a great deal of negative influence, uh, even in these sectors. So, so we're not speaking of great organizations that come together to support humans through government influence. We're, we're speaking about your relationship, uh, that is forged with the neighbor. We're speaking of uh, your presence on the street with another who may be in need. These are the very small acts that we believe will sustain you 
as you walk through this transitional period. Well, by this measure, would it be also fair to say that the world leaders and billionaires who have all the money and power and control everything are just as much disconnected from source as people who are living in poverty because they're depending on the rest of us to provide them with their source. Well, they have made you their source. So you are, you are being sourced from those in power. And it is not just in the physical sense. Um, as we have pointed out, there is the constant, um, draw of energy that many of those in power, uh, even who are hybrids, for example, are, are feeding upon. So the entire mechanism of sourcing and manifesting on planet Earth has, has somewhat been turned upside down and, and hijacked uh, by a small number of humans who have trained those beyond them to believe that they must work in order to receive. But through that work, there are only a slight few that are benefiting. So our methods are in practices such as Kabbalah, designed for that purpose? I mean, does Kabbalah, for example, serve any beneficial purpose for humanity or was it created in order for a few to use these methods to siphon the energy from everyone else? Well, this and many others. We we can't say there is only one area of focus or or practice. Um, you know, uh, we'll say unfortunately, there have been many throughout time that have sprung up that um, continue to uh, rage on uh, on planet Earth. Uh, at the same time, we cannot negate the understanding of the DNA because there is a, um, a force that is here that has focused on bringing human DNA into its most uh, restricted and weakest point. Uh, and because of that, there's no ability to truly see some of these negative programs uh, and, and mind traps, we believe, that exist in broad daylight that are constantly being used uh, to siphon this energy. Uh, in fact, those who are um, orchestrating these events uh, have been trained at a very early age and, and understand the importance of energy but they are not necessarily using too much of their physical um, uh, focus either, which we have already mentioned is uh, an, an extreme that takes them out of balance. So anyone who is here, regardless of whether they are the ones enslaved or the ones doing the enslaving, um, are out of alignment uh, with not only source, but their organic and true evolutionary path. And, and that will weaken every being that is a part of it. Okay. I, I guess what I want to know in, in particular, I understand there are probably many different kinds of teachings, which we'll touch on in future conversations, but the Kabbalah, from my understanding, originated as different parts of knowledge that um, developed in the Mesopotamian area, perhaps from Anunnaki influence or the fallen angels. Am I correct so far in that understanding that that's where it comes yes, from? Yes, this is a, this is a strong influence that is continued on today. 
So does the Kabbalah serve any positive practical purpose for human development and advancement, or has it been developed for the few to control the many? It was not developed for this purpose, but has been taken out of context and and shifted, we might say, in order to benefit the, the few and slight the many. So is there any benefit for the average person to study the Kabbalah, or is it just for that purpose? In its study, you unfortunately might miss out on some of the more beneficial aspects of these practices because they have been hidden through time, although we know there are many who are oracles, for example, who have the ability to go into the Akashic Records and retrieve uh, these these lost teachings uh, or components uh, of the practice. Um, it's somewhat like focusing on a symbol. Um, it is sometimes holding the influence of many different timelines and 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 beings who have focused upon it. And regardless of how you use it, you will intersect with that influence, which may not be in your highest and best interest. And and this is what we think about the Kabbalah, for example. There are very um, intriguing, we'll say, and powerful translations of universal law that are beneficial for some humans who are curious to understand. Do we think that negates the power of it being used in opposition to the human collective? Uh, that we think remains to be seen because its power has been focused for so long in the, we'll say, darker aspects of of its power um, that it would be difficult for you to fully uh, and truly reverse over time. Are any of these lost teachings uh, particularly found in the Zohar, or is the Zohar primarily more of the darker teachings? Uh, we don't see these so much as dark. The uh, the teachings that we speak of, some of which are there, um, are more a neutral type of translation of these practices that can be looked at as a bridge to connect them back to their origins. Okay, I'd like to return to our initial conversation, which was the dolmens. We've gone quite a range of different topics here. But one of the things we discussed was Pleiadians often are in the seventh dimension. Now, were the dolmens that were, that have, that are around different parts of the earth, including the ones in Russia that I mentioned earlier, were they primarily used by Pleiadians or a variety of different kinds of seventh dimensional beings? This was a group of Pleiadian hybrids, um, but not necessarily identifying with the Pleiadian star system. Uh, the majority of these um, structures uh, are tied to these beings. Okay, so they were all Pleiadian. So dolmens even found in the United States, for example, would also be Pleiadian. Origin. Not necessarily. Uh, we see a little difference here in some of these structures relating more uh, to those who would be considered um, descendants of those seen as the uh, ancestors of the Anunnaki, which are tall whites. So what is the commonality then? Are dolmens primarily a seventh dimensional technology or structure or 
or are there certain kinds of races that would have used them? Not in every case. What you are looking at here is the housing or the structure of an energy field or a magnetic field that we have defined as a portal that holds information that is able to sustain beings that arrive on the planet who are not intending to move back through an, an original portal connected to the earth. And and why would, let's say, an Anunnaki being choose to use a dolmen for, as a portal versus the Anunnaki portals that the other Anunnaki's used? It, it truly depends upon the timeline and the dimension in which these were created. And what you must keep in mind, as we've mentioned before, is many of the portals that uh, connected Earth to the universal grid had been assumed uh, by those that were um, using very malevolent technologies to do research, for example, or, or to observe. So there were some that would not have preferred to bring their energy through those portals, even if they were Anunnaki at the time. Also, uh, there was such a split in timelines that those that came may not have wanted to associate um, with their own um, race that may have taken on a malevolent type of manifestation. All right. So we have these dolmens that are portals and they're housing this technology. And so let's say a Pleiadian or an Anunnaki uses one of these dolmens to um, to experience this reality. And you said in some cases they would have been able to leave that dolmen to explore the physical earth and but and return to it to essentially recharge or reconnect. Am I on the right track so far? Yes. You can think of it as a home base on earth. And um why why the difference in entryways for example some have perfectly circular entryways which typically um you wouldn't expect to see like um, a tall human structure being wanting to use to, as an exit point um versus some that have actual doorway looking entry points is was it the different kinds of um uh uh, shape shifting that they were doing into different beings when they exited or where they were just simply viewports to see outside? They, they weren't necessarily doorways at all. Uh, many of these were aligning with specific um, meridians or even grid points uh, from the earth to their home's planets, uh, not necessarily for observation at all. Uh, and yes, certainly these beings were hybrids. They were shape-shifting. They were using this technology to recharge their energy, to to download information and knowledge, and sometimes uh, to even send it back to their their home planets. So these various cutouts, uh, we'll call them, had more to do with the alignment of a specific planet or heavenly body than they truly did access to the energy that was inside. What's the difference between a perfectly circular uh, opening versus one that's rectangular? It was simply the the preference of those who were designing the structure. Uh, we do we do not necessarily see that the beings had to fit in them so much because 
yes, they were using more of their energy and light than they were form uh, to have to carve out a doorway that would accommodate them as a structure would not have been necessary. But but sometimes they were disguised uh, as well. We, we want to reiterate that some of the beings who came to planet Earth who may have been using these structures attempted to make them seem as if they would have been uh, accepted in a, in a more earthly fashion, uh, either as um, a place of um, solace for a regular human being or something that an animal may reside in. Do these dolmens that still exist on the planet, at least the ones that are not weathered to a significant degree to where they're uh, deteriorated substantially, but the ones that still seem to retain some of their structure and design, would they still be able to serve the same purpose today as they did when they were originally created? Well, the Earth is a very different planet today than it was when many of these were created. And, and keep in mind, these were advanced beings. Uh, these locations were chosen because there was the perfect combination of elemental energy beneath the Earth uh, or some very specific direction or alignment to energy coming beyond the Earth, which may not line up as perfectly today as it would have in the time that they were constructed. Yet, we do believe that some who are sensitive, uh, empaths or telepathic, uh, would be able to still feel the residual energy of the technology that was left behind, uh, not in all cases. So is there any benefit for human, you know, as human beings tend to like to sit inside of ancient structures and experience things? Um, is there any benefit with the exception of you said very sensitive people to sit inside of a dolmen today and what would that be to uh, connect to that energy that was there once if well, it's not well, there these, anymore these are very different than portals so so when we speak of a pyramid for example we we do consider a pyramid uh constructed uh, as a portal meaning it is holding an unbroken connection uh, in the 369 to the universe and because of that, even if there have been shifts in the portal or the construction of the pyramid itself, uh, humans that still enter these areas today uh, could be transformed based upon the codes and the frequencies that were embedded within the structure itself. These were designed more for the beings that would inhabit the earth as opposed for humans, they were not necessarily healing chambers that humans would benefit from. However, keep in mind that they they did contain the um, possibility of uh, astral travel, meaning a connection could be made beyond the Earth to a specific race or home planet. And because of this, uh, a human could uh, enter these facilities and perhaps make a channeled connection uh, or download information that would be suitable or helpful to them. Keep in mind, we just had a discussion about plasma. Anytime that you're intersecting with a creation from an extra dimensional being, uh, whether it's a field, uh, a portal, uh, a technology, your plasma will forever be changed. Uh, and that isn't necessarily negative. Um, plasma is intergalactic. It's interdimensional. 
Uh, it will store any information from the experience that is had and hold it in wait until there is a vibrational match. So to give you a very simple example, a human could enter one of these um, fields or, or structures today, uh, receive a download into their plasma about the beings who are there, their history, and some of the experiences they had on planet Earth, but not detect that information until many months later or even years later when they are having a meditative experience and there's a reason for them to understand it, you see. So so while we don't think they're as beneficial as um, other portals on planet Earth, we still think that some influence um, could be made. Okay, you started out by saying these are not portals, meaning that dolmens are not portals, but pyramids are portals. Can you clarify that? Yes. When we speak of a portal, we are using a very all-encompassing term to look at how energy flows on a physical planet. Uh, what a portal is doing is it's opening up a window in time, but that window of time is is defined by the consciousness of the technology within which it is sustained. Uh, this is why pyramids and temples were later built around very sensitive PowerPoints considered to be portals. They were directing the energy in a very specific way. Uh, it's easy to see how the simplicity of the housing of what you are uh, considering uh, simply holding the energy but not necessarily programming it. So so this would be the difference. We're, we're trying to put a word or a term to it. In other words, um, it's a field, certainly. Uh, you could call it a, a magnetic field through which um, communication can be exchanged, but not necessarily for or with human beings, uh, only for those within which the technology was constructed. All right, let me just sort of review um, what you're saying, make sure I understand. So the dolmens um, were built by beings. Uh, I don't know if I clarified this, but was it a particular range of dimensional beings, like seventh dimensional, who used dolmens? Maybe you answered that question already. Can you clarify? Or was it a variety of different dimensional beings? So the dolmens are essentially a sixth to seventh dimensional uh, manifestation or construction, at least in the time in which uh, they were constructed. Okay. So the dolmens today, if we were to sit inside them and meditate or whatever, they don't really serve a purpose in our own advancement or ascension, but they may serve a purpose for us to connect with the beings or even the collective or the dimension that originally manifested their technology within the dolmen. Am I correct? This is, this is correct. Yes. Okay. Whereas using a pyramid or let's say some of the Egyptian pyramids, they are, because they're built on specific ley lines and, and so on, they're, they can still be used today for, uh, for our spiritual advancement as well. Yes, yes. And, and, and we want to um, help you envision the difference here, especially as we use the terminology portal and, and how it might function if you are to look at a pyramid and how it is directing the energy 
even though there might be a, a very significant PowerPoint or Meridian crossing beneath that is creating a portal, uh, the energy of that portal is being um, uh, programmed, we'll say, via the um, structure that is created around it. In a dolmen, you do not see the elaborate programming of the energy that exists within it because the energy is so specific to something that was needed. In other words, it doesn't have to be programmed to be anything other than what it is. So this is the slight difference uh, in these two structures. Okay, moving on to a slightly different form of ancient architecture. There are many... um, Ancient uh, Buddhist monasteries, for example, located all over the world, primarily in the Asian area um, that are located in very high mountaintops um, and extremely hard to get to from from the ground level. Um, and um, many people today do go on these long term uh, pilgrimages to these monasteries that are located in these distant places. And in many cases also. These ancient uh, that are used for monasteries today, maybe they weren't originally, um, are carved right into the mountains uh, and in very precise lines, um, often right angle lines and smooth surfaces that could not really even be achieved today. Of course, many archaeologists believe that they were done with hammers and chisels, but um, would these, when we see these structures that are carved inside of mountains, especially in, in very high places that human beings can't easily get to, would these have been reptilian influence or locations? Yes, they would have been reptilian influence. And much of their construction um, organized from within the inner earth, surprisingly, even though they are found uh, in very high places. We have explained the idea of ships using various templates and sound and light through the template to change the content of uh, rock and granite and crystal. Uh, This is similar uh, in that the inner earth beings were accessing um, very sensitive areas to vibrate. Uh, and to have a similar result, meaning the template wasn't put in place via a ship. Uh, it was imagined and envisioned by those that were beneath the ground uh, coming together as a collective and understanding how to create a frequency field that would emanate in uh, a template itself and showing itself in a material form. Uh, this did not happen immediately. Uh, it was a constant progress and, and process by those who were focused upon it. Uh, even at times, uh, using the frequency of water uh, and sending it upward into the caverns uh, of, of the mountain to clear out any residue that may have been left over as the material of the earth transformed. Is this why that many of these ancient sites that are located in these um, places ended up being used as Buddhist monasteries um, or Tibetan monasteries, for example, teaching these mind-based 
teachings from ancient times that because of the reptilian or, or origins of that location? Well, there is a long lineage here of, of those considered enlightened reptilians who uh, chose these locations, not only because it brought them great solace, but but also because of the frequency that they would elicit, meaning they were not only carved in perfect symmetry in order to accentuate uh, certain activities like meditation and chants, but also in harmony with the various earth elements to sustain those who were existing within them uh, because the reptilians as shapeshifters were highly advanced in using their own internal elements to uh, change realities. And this took a great deal of their non-physical energy on an earth plane, very much like we have spoken of um, ETs coming to the earth and, and rejuvenating themselves within their own energy field. This is similar to what you may see uh, happening in these structures very early on. Now, nowadays, many of these places I mentioned are used as temples for spiritual worship or even for monks to reside in their own practices. But were they originally used in that way by the reptilians who created them, or were they just simply places where they lived? Uh, both. They were places of practice as well as living quarters. Uh, they also contained hidden passageways into the inner earth, which is why they were held so sacred and, and very revered. Uh, these passageways were not only for entry uh, into the inner earth to intersect with those of their same lineage, but but also brought inner earth energies to the surface, which uh, are very valuable in terms of restoration uh, and healing. Uh, in 1909, um, there is a gentleman by the name of G.E. Kincaid who worked for the Smithsonian Institute and um, there was an article in the Arizona Gazette in the United States and that talked about this expedition that he went on in the Grand Canyon and that he found this um, entryway into an inner earth uh, cave system that went almost a mile, that he at least the portion that he explored. And at the beginning of the entryway, there are what appeared to him to be Egyptian hieroglyphs. And in the very uh, early part of this cave, there was a um, what he described as a Buddhist um, uh, statue of some sort in a meditative position and, and many caskets of uh, all uh, male um, beings, although the, the there is no ability for people to visit there today because the Smithsonian has blocked off access or is not where it's considered to be illegal to visit this location. So we don't really know. And of course, um, the whole story. All right. Well, this has been quite an educational process here. I'm very appreciative of Michaela and her channel and Ethan, and we'll finish this process after we take this break and come back with some music and take a look at the stars with our brother Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle, etc. But we're going to take this break now. Thank you, everyone. It's so wonderful to have 
all of us participate in what we get to share. Because on each every Saturday <laughs> on BBS Radio, Best Radio in the neighborhood. <laughs> all right, Namaste, everyone. See you in a few, about ten, fifteen, maybe. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Okay, thank you very much. All right, we're starting a little early tonight because Kaipacha is long-winded. So uh, <laughs> go real quick here. As I explained last week, we're now in it. Sun conjunct Mercury conjunct Mars. Square Pluto mm-hmm. conjunct the moon. And what's interesting about this is that moon conjunct Pluto is exact right now. The moon just moved into the 28th degree of Capricorn. Pluto is direct at 27 degrees and 55 minutes at Capricorn. Yay! And Mercury is at uh, 30 degrees of Libra, and the sun's at 29 degrees of Libra. And Mars is at 7 degrees of Scorpio. So we're now, we got that going for us. The other aspects are pretty much the same. Pluto trine Uranus over there in Taurus. Uh, Jupiter's in the 13th degree of Taurus. And Chiron is at 13, 18. Chiron's at 18 Aries. And the node is at 25 Aries. Neptune's at 26 Pisces, Uranus is at 22, Saturn is at 1 degree Pisces, and Jupiter is at 13 degrees of Taurus. So that's your layout, and at this time of night on the East Coast, all the outer planets are in the sky. Wow. At the east with Jupiter and Saturn, Neptune and Saturn overhead and Pluto just just slightly to the west of straight overhead with the moon. Yeah, the moon is just, it's out full, just coming up. Well, again, the moon is seven days old. Yep. <laughs> So it should be pretty much a half circle out there, if you can see it. Yeah. All right, then. Well, let's go see what Kaipacha's got on his mind. He usually has, uh, oh, we forgot about Venus. We forgot about Venus at 12 Virgo trying Jupiter. And Taurus, that's pretty nice. That uh, triangle between Pluto and Uranus and Neptune still there. Saturn still square Uranus. Those are still the same. All right, then. Take it away, Rama. 
Day, what's going on out there? Kai Pacha here with a weekly paleo report for October 18th, 2023. Made it back to California here for a little bit. And the moon is in Sagittarius. Let's do some traveling <laughs> while we still can. <laughs> Before they close those borders, man, I'm trying to pack it in. I'm going down to uh, Patagonia, uh, and uh, you'll be hearing more about that, but it is going to be an outrageous trip. I'm heading over to Bali uh, next month. I hope you can join me there. But, uh, yeah, better get while the getting is good. Anyway, for now, yeah, I'm here. It's amazing. Um, I'd like to get out of here, these old here United States, because I'm walking down to the river here, right? And what happens? My phone goes, bang! There's an emergency alert for an earthquake, and I should find cover and duck down and hold on. I mean, it's like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Samsung, man. They just update your phone. You know, they don't they don't let you choose. You have to get the update, and then they stick that stuff on there. Anyway, I'm going to be talking about truth today. Sometimes the truth hurts, and it's not so pretty. So let's get on with these aspects because there's a ton of aspects. Oh, my God, right? We had that solar eclipse, and then we're going to have the first quarter moon, 28 degrees Capricorn, 28 minutes. I will be reading you the Sabian symbol for that degree. Absolutely phenomenal. Has a lot to do with, uh, you know, this week's mantra. But in the meantime, the sun has moved on, and it's going to be going into Scorpio on Monday. Squaring Pluto on before it does on Saturday, and you know it's traveling right along with Mercury, exactly conjunct Mercury tomorrow, Thursday. So here's the Sun and Mercury moving together, right? Mercury goes into Scorpio on Saturday. So they're leaving Libra, last chance for peace, <laughs> going into Scorpio, sign of conflict. Oh, man, right? And that is as, I mean, thank God, right? They get into Scorpio and they trine Saturn because Saturn is at zero degrees of Pisces now, about to station. November 4th, Saturn is going to station, so that's going to be all right. And uh, so that's a good trine. Hallelujah. Another good trine. Venus trine Jupiter. She's over there in Virgo, trining Jupiter in Taurus. I'm going to be talking about that today. All right. And Mercury. Yeah, trine Saturn. So we do have some trines happening uh, along with, you know, but I mean, it's pretty intense, right? Mercury squares Pluto Friday. Sun squares Pluto Saturday. And you, we know Pluto is still square the moon's nodes. It's only like three degrees off. 
super intense time of evolutionary transition. So the moon moves into Capricorn uh, tomorrow on Thursday, and she joins the party, right? On Saturday, she conjuncts Pluto, squares the sun and Mercury before she heads off into Aquarius. I mean, ay, carambas. <laughs> this planet is getting so freaking intense, man. By Saturday, yeah, she goes into Aquarius and then uh, uh, spends uh, the rest of the weekend there. Uh, Tuesday, she goes into Pisces. So let me look at the camera and talk to you, yeah? All right, everybody. Some of you like it when I get preachy and some of you don't. But guess what? <laughs> Moon's in Sagittarius, the sign of the preacher. <laughs> oh, my God. And so today we got some truths to discuss. And I, I'll try not to get too preachy, but with a, with a Sabian symbol like this, okay, coming up for this uh, first quarter square moon, um, it leads me right into, okay, that kind of a space. Let me read it for you right now. And, uh, yeah. I think I've I've read this one before because Pluto has been going back and forth and back and forth, right, right on this degree. So we have a Moon-Pluto, right, you know, conjunction squaring a Sun-Mercury conjunction and the Moon's nodes. It's just like super, super intense. I'm sure you're feeling the intensity. This intensity is not going to stop. It's building. The Moon is building. It's waxing. To the lunar eclipse, which I think is going to be so super freaking intense. Oh my God. I don't know how much I want to talk about Mars opposite Jupiter, but it does play into this a little bit because on that, on the lunar eclipse, it is, I mean, if like a lunar eclipse is not enough, okay, we've also got an exact Mars opposite Jupiter on the same day as the eclipse and Mercury opposite Jupiter. So a Mercury-Mars conjunction in Scorpio with the Sun in Scorpio opposing the Moon in Taurus. This is definitely having to do, Scorpio is the sign of conflict, it is the sign of death, it is the sign of endings, of letting go and facing and confronting the mysteries of life and death and everything that is beyond our control. And there's a lot that's beyond our control, especially these days. Yeah? Armies, governments, you name it. There's a lot of things that are beyond our control and we need to deal with them. The who, I just posted on our Telegram uh, station if you're not on Telegram, check New Paradigm Astrology out because it's uncensored and I post a lot more on Telegram than I can on Facebook or YouTube or anyplace else. And uh, there's a 14-minute clip there about what's going on that everybody should know about. Um, but uh, backing away from that and getting a little more into this whole realm of polarity materialism and the spiritual world 
So we've got this polarity, right? The moon's nodes are a polarity. The Taurus-Scorpio polarity. The Aries-Libra polarity. Astrology is basically dealing with six polarities. And if we balance out these six polarities, we're in, we're centered. I always say, and we, we freaking ascend, baby. Ow! <laughs> yeah! In the meantime, <laughs> we're in these polarities and yeah, I think I'm going to save, you know, I'm going to wait until next week to bring up to you the Sabian symbol that has to do with the origin of the Mars-Jupiter conjunction in Aries that happened in May of 2022, year and a half ago, just about, right? Okay. And now is coming around into this opposition, right? So the seed was sown in May of 2022 that is now coming into fruition at this polarity of Mars opposite Jupiter. And I'm going to say that if we give it a five-degree orb, which in astrology we usually give like a nine-degree orb, okay? So a five-degree orb is a pretty tight distance. It's a pretty tight orb, right? If we do that, then we're going to say that Mars is actually opposite Jupiter from October 22nd, this weekend, all the way through November 4th. So this is a long period of Mars opposite Jupiter. And what is, you know, Jupiter wants to expand And Mars is my will, my power, my desires. This is about boundaries. This is about, you know, expanding our borders, expanding our boundaries, wanting to take more, have more, get more, own more. I mean, and this brings us right back to this theme of materialism and this third dimensional world of time, space, and matter, physical matter, that I really want to talk to you about today because there's no place on these rocks for my freaking book. You should see where I'm sitting here. (laughs) I'm on a freaking rock, dude. Anyway, Capricorn, the 29th degree of Capricorn, where the moon is going to be squaring the sun, okay, this week. This is the this is the mantra, right? Not the mantra. I'll give you the mantra later. This is the Sabian symbol. A woman reading tea leaves. The ability to see the signature of hidden meaning in every occurrence, every occurrence, drawing one's attention. Humanity has always sought to interpret the meaning of events. Isn't this great with the moon and Sag right now? Right? And Jupiter, the ruler of Sag, in Taurus, us finding personal meaning, a personal philosophy of life. This is what each and every one of us needs to get a hold of here. Make some sense out of the events of our lives. <laughs> anyway. Back to the Sabian symbol. Interpret the meaning of events or situations which baffle us 
in terms of specific omens or signatures. The reading of tea leaves is only a commonplace modern version of a certain type of procedure used by priests of all ancient religions. The practice is based on a realization of the relationship of everything to everything else. A definition of astrology given by Mark Edmund Jones. That's what got me into astrology. The relationship of everything to everything else. Astrology helps us. The eighth house and Scorpio, these archetypes, you know, they relate things that you would not think were related, but they are related. And astrology shows you the relationships between them. It's freaking awesome. Dream interpretation in depth psychology belongs to the same category as it is based upon the establishment of a close connection between the unconscious and the conscious. But in dream analysis, the individual that's in italics, unconscious, at least at first, is mainly referred to while in omens or oracles, right, or readings, one relies upon the power of occult forces or entities to convey the information that will clarify confusing situations. That's what we want to do here today. We want to clarify confusing situations. This symbol implies the ability not only to perceive the facts of everyday existence, but to see through these facts and discover how they are related to the realm of basic meanings or archetypal processes. This is essentially what is meant by true clairvoyance. The capacity to see everything, to see in everything, the signature of deeper realities. Not everything is as it appears. And there is way more depth and meaning behind, through, and underneath what we can see, touch, taste, hear, sense, and feel. Yeah, with the five physical senses. This is what this is about, and this is what I want to be talking to you about today, is the spiritual worlds, the multidimensional realities, because we're really getting smashed. We're getting hammered. We're getting propagandized. We're getting programmed to believe that this is all there is. And it blows my mind that so many people are buying into it. Come on, baby. I just saw this clip 
okay, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm watching what's going on out there, man. I'm probably too much. I probably, I know too much. <laughs> They're going to get me. Anyway, the AI Mark Zuckerberg is giving the speech about the uh, how meta meta glasses. If you don't know about meta glasses, it is the combination of uh, artificial intelligence AI with Ray Ban sunglasses. Man, they're coming out in the United States first, but all over the world. And you're going to look around, and you're going to, and, and you'll talk to your glasses, and then your glasses will talk back to you. And you can look at a building, it'll give you the history of the building. You can look at a foreign language sign, it'll interpret it for you. You can point it to a leaky faucet, it'll tell you how to fix it. You can do this and this and this and this. You can have conversations, you know, with people. This is another one, the virtual realities. Actually bringing people, you know, like into your space and having conversations with their avatar. Not really them, but them. And then the guy goes on, actually, to give a little bit about how it's uh, ultimately going to be even with people that have passed on. So we're going to be talking to ghosts. If they've got, if you got enough footage and enough uh, Facebook information on you, that they, they, they can, you know, make up you. You will be made up. And this is what the whole thing is here that I'm talking about. And it's, this is Scorpio, right? This is Halloween. Ghosts and goblins can be seen. <laughs> this is the time of piercing through the veil. This sun and Mercury moving into Scorpio is looking at the mysteries of the portal and what is on the other side. And, 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 and look through the window of this reality and not be limited by this reality. Because this is the problem with AI, right? It's programmed. It even says on there, it says like, you, you know, you, you'll be in a debate with somebody and you'll be able to win the debate because you know the truth. So you can click onto your Google-driven AI glasses if you want to know the truth. What truth? Whose truth? Who wrote the algorithm? Give me a freaking break. The idea that truth is some kind of factual, left brain, mercury, third dimensional, you know, bullshit. That's not truth. We've got the Sun, Mercury, not only going into Scorpio, but trining Saturn over there in Pisces. And if you want to get into the truth, it's multidimensional. Science has proven 13 dimensions. We're looking at three here, folks. I think time is the fourth, right? So it's just, you know what? <clears throat> this idea of people finding truth finding immortality, finding fulfillment, love, happiness, understanding, truth, meaning, purpose, identity, through computers. I mean, look at the, look through artificial intelligence, what does it boil down to? It boils down to ones and zeros. It boils down to transistors. 
It boils down to square waves. It boils down to polarity. Polarization. God, I should read that other. Next week, I'm going to read you the other uh, Mars-Jupiter about, you know, this polarized reality. We do need to polarize into yin-yang, light and dark, masculine and feminine, for counterpoint awareness to expand our consciousness, but mostly to show us that there is a world beyond. There is a world beyond. And that we are not going to find fulfillment. We are not going to find love. We are not going to find conscious, what, consciousness. Let's, you know, let's have AI define consciousness for us. I mean, these are feelings, emotions, spiritual realities. And we are being, yeah, brainwashed into denying the higher dimensional, the higher vibrations, the higher frequencies, the higher realities of what it means to be human. And this is in the world of dreams, like, you know, like the Sabian symbol talks about today. You are not going to find, okay, dream interpretation, understanding, you know, I mean, yeah, they'll come through with some kind of artificial, that's the whole thing. That's what is so perfect about it. It even says right in its name, it's artificial. (laughs) It's not real intelligence. So this is about Sun, Mercury, Mars moving into Scorpio. Scorpio, and for this month of Scorpio, what is Scorpio about? Investigating, researching, calling people on their bullshit, calling ourselves on our own bullshit, kind of, you know, asking unconsciously, subconsciously, other people to call us on our bullshit. This is where it comes into conflict, but it also comes into digging down into the deeper realities for a greater understanding of truth, of self, of love, of unity, of the taboo, of all those things that people are so afraid to talk about these days. Evil, God, sex, money, death, you name it. It's all getting, there's a lot getting censored now. Yeah, it's all, so Scorpio, you know, has a lot to do. I mean, really, you know, it's like, okay, are we going to control? Scorpio wants power and control wants to, you know, dominate the narrative. And Sagittarius is about opening and expanding, you know, and, you know, exposing censorship so that consciousness can be expanded. So what is this a good week for? This is what I really want to, you know, get into. I, I think this is a good week for that Venus trying Jupiter wants to put our house in order. Venus is love and money. Jupiter's in Taurus of money. This is a good week for looking where your assets are. 
Okay, your taxes, your inheritances, your insurance, uh, you know, uh, you know, car, house, fire, bank accounts, you know, uh, you know, like really put, let's get our house in order here in a very practical, real way. Make sure that you are investing your money or placing your money or putting your money in the right place, that you have an income, that you have a source of stability, of security, of food, shelter, and clothing. I'm telling you, I, I, I need to do a, you know, a, a larger uh, talk on 2024. As Pluto goes into Aquarius and what is around the corner, I'm telling you, this is really a time for us to get your house in order. I've been saying it for a long time to get out of the cities. And to grow your own food or live uh, or make friends with a farmer or whatever. I mean, I, I'm, yeah, this is, this is time to see. Are you where you want to be? Are you content? Yeah, you know, where you are because next year is going to really be bringing in a lot and it's starting now. Yeah. And not just over in Israel, but you know, with the whole entire globalist agenda. Yeah. So uh, I'll talk about that again in another video. But also in our personal lives. Scorpio has to do with our most intimate lovers, our most intimate soul partners and connections. And this is a time of really looking at the shadow, looking at what you're projecting, Looking at what you are fearing. And, you know, this is a big time of working with our fears. Uh, and of loss. Of letting go of control. And some of that has to maybe letting go of, of, of some of our freedoms. Of some of our autonomy. Of some of our, you know, income. Of some of our security. I mean... So much is getting challenged. Saturn's in Pisces till 2026. And we are, you know, needing to come to terms with, you know, how little control we really do have, but also what we really can control. And that is our inner state. Our mind, our thoughts, our heart space, and our feelings. And so this Venus trying Jupiter, Sun, Mercury, trining Saturn, this is a time, I think of the Mantec Chia meditation of smiling at your organs. <laughs> That's one that, you know, I'm really working with. But there's also this place. How much time have I got? Okay. Very briefly... You create a feeling of gratitude, the highest vibration of love, gratitude, and compassion is right up there too, yeah? These are these very high frequency uh, uh, energies, feelings, emotions. Think of a sunset, think of a person that you love, think of a gift or something beautiful, something you've created, something that you've done, a dance or a song that you really love. Get that feeling in your heart. 
of appreciation, of gratitude, of love, and meditate on that. Close your eyes, picture it, hear it inside your head. Develop your clear audience, your clairvoyance, your, your develop this this sense of creating an inner inner reality. This is Jupiter, Uranus, and Taurus with the North Node in Aries and Chiron in Aries. This is our innermost world, Aries and Taurus, right down to Gemini and Cancer. This the first four signs. This is our innermost world. And we want to take control of that. And we want to master that. And so what you can do is become familiar with that feeling in your heart, in your gut, in your soul of serenity, of peace, of happiness, of joy. Find that frequency by focusing on these and then become familiar to the point where you will be able to recall that frequency, recall that feeling, because it's so familiar, it's like coming home, you will be able to like bring up, recall that feeling in your heart space, in your belly, you know, in your mind of serenity, of peace, of gratitude, without the picture without the image, without the music or the sound or whatever you used in the first place to get you there. You know what I'm saying? This is like an exercise where you practice plucking a certain string on the guitar, a certain note, a certain heart string. Practice plucking the heart string of love and gratitude and compassion in your heart and pluck it, pluck it, pluck it, pluck it, pluck it, pluck it. And then it will become so familiar that you can go there whenever you want. You see what I'm saying? This is a, this is a good exercise, um, that we can all work on because then when the outside world gets so insane or so crazy or so wild, we go inward and boom, find that inner peace and inner serenity. And this is the spiritual world that is inaccessible to technology. Yeah? So, the mantra. Yeah, the mantra for this week. What gives me the courage to let go in this world is knowing there's more beyond time. Touch, taste, sight, smell, and sound. That is truth and love combined. There is more beyond time and space. Time and space go together. So if you take away time, you got no space. <laughs> you take away space, you got no time, right? <laughs> Let's get that clear. So. When I'm told what I'm talking about is a world beyond time and space. I'm talking about the spiritual world. Yeah. The inner world. The ult the ultimate reality out of which this world emerged. This is Pisces. Yeah. 
the infinite cosmic totality, the infinite potential out of which every desire, image, uh, experience, reality emerges out of this infinite source. So this third dimensional earthly physical reality was created out of a divine intelligence of non-time, outside time and space, multi-higher dimensional realities and consciousness. Yeah? And so if we tap into that, that's what reading the tea leaves is all about. It's this finding this other world and that other world gives the truth, the significance, our identity. No computer is going to tell you who you are. Yeah? What, your consciousness. Your dreams. So these all come from the spiritual world. And, we, and what we're experiencing now is the fall of humanity. And the fall of humanity is the fall into materialism, duality, polarization, and it leads to nothing but conflict and war and consciousness, I have to say. This is what the whole evolutionary journey is about, okay? Is developing consciousness through polarity of what is right, of what is true, of what is love, of what is me and what is you. And da, da, da. I mean, this is our whole, this is what the school of planet Earth is all about. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Ow! But we don't want to get lost in it and think it's the only freaking game show in town. Come on. <laughs> yeah. We got to create alternate realities that are not artificial. Ah. So what gives me the courage to let go in this world? Scorpio is about death and dying and letting go and surrendering and, you know, just like, and it takes courage, guts. Mars and Scorpio. We're going to face our fears. I can't live without that. I can't live without you. I can't live without this. I can't, I can't let go of that. Well, we may need to. And this eclipse is going to be showing us. You can't always get what you want. There's a song for this week. It was going to be My Sweet Lord. Uh, you know, I'll have to check it out. I may have you already used uh, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Uh, you know, on, on Spotify, there is a New Paradigm Astrology playlist with 60 hours of music or something. I don't know, man. But it's all my songs, and I, I think I already used You Can't Always Get What You Want. I may have used My Sweet Lord. I'm running out of songs now. Anyway, whoosh, to get back on point, yeah, is knowing there is a world beyond time. Touch, taste, touch, taste, sight smell and sound that is truth and love combined. I mean, it's a poem. 
It's a mantra. I'll say it with the cadence, with the with the rhythm in there a little bit, because we are in time and space, and time gives birth to rhythm. And you got to have rhythm to dance. <laughs> what gives me the courage to let go no. What gives me the courage to let go in this world is knowing there's more beyond time. Touch, taste, sight, smell, and sound that is truth and love combined. If you repeat it over a few times, it'll make more, you know, make more rhyme, make more sense. And I hope that this Pele report makes sense. <laughs> and that you take time out. Yeah? To like really cultivate relationship, cultivate you know, your inner world, balance out like I've been talking about, okay? You know, communication, compromise, cooperation with the other, holding your own, finding your truth through the mirror of relationship and partnership, not getting lost in it, but not being afraid of it, and letting go whatever is in the way, whatever is in the way of you, Creating love, peace, balance, and harmony in your life. It's, it's kind of got to go. If it's not feeding you, it's bringing you down and depressing and dull and challenging. I mean, it, it, you really want to be looking at this time period as a time of surrendering that which is no longer serving your soul evolution. Not necessarily your bank account or your this or your that or the, you know, you know, your desire body, but your soul evolution, which goes beyond the physical. Anyway, blah, 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 quack, quack. <laughs> That's all for today. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Talking straight back to you, Richard. All right, then. All right, then. <coughs> I guess I he's guess. Uh, uh, seeing the, the same sort of mess that I'm seeing in a general way. He just explains it a, a lot tougher. I mean, see, the this... This planet is not like most of the other planets with their civilizations, which are mainly on the uh, etheric plane, not, not dense physical bodies like we walk around in. This planet is known as a battleground planet. Among the other, and this is just among the other civilizations in this solar system. Yes. We are, we are, we are known as the battleground planet. So, and we're living it, and we're watching it. And the, I guess uh, 
the wise man is either hard at work or keeping his distance. And was, why, why be in the middle of all that? Anyway, right. anyway we're lucky to be in the United States. So count, count your blessings. Yep. And, and have a have a have a good safe week, everybody. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, and, and be careful too. out there. Well, remember now we've got we got a tricky weekend here with Moon conjunct Pluto in Capricorn, and then in uh, two and a third days it's going to conjunct Saturn. That may calm things down, but not for long, right? And you get the moon in Pisces, people go back to being uh, delusional and oh. mental, insane, yeah. childish, you know, immature, and uh, it's a it's a great it's a great opportunity for self strengthening. So that's that's my parting my parting thought. It's a it's a great planet for self strengthening. Thank you. Namaste, my friends. Namaste. Namaste. Here goes Tanya. Now nah, get Tanya up there. And welcome to Star Codes. This is the astrology and numerology forecast where we look at an upcoming event in the celestial realms to help us navigate it with the most compassion and high vibrational energy as possible. And in this case, it's the Taurus eclipse, the lunar full moon eclipse with the moon in Taurus, the sun in Scorpio, both at five degrees. And it happens on October 28th. At 9.24 p.m., that's Universal Time, 4.24 p.m. Eastern in New York, and 1.24 p.m. Pacific in L.A. And you don't have to be a Taurus or a Scorpio to benefit from this forecast because you have both signs in your astrology birth chart. So this full moon is happening somewhere in your chart as it is for everyone. So full moon eclipses are really powerful culmination points. And with the sun in Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto, and Pluto making its final moments in the sign of Capricorn, basically Pluto's been in Capricorn for a long, long time, many, many years, and is in the process of leaving and moving into Aquarius. So Pluto's very activated. And because of that, when Scorpio is part of any celestial events at this time, the energy is even more magnetized. So Pluto just moved direct about a week ago or so, and is still stationing at 27 degrees because it moves so, so slowly. So when a planet is at a standstill, it is at its most powerful. It's very magnetic. So... During the Libra eclipse on October 14th, 
we were introduced to the sign of supreme balance, a sign ruled by Venus. And now we're moving to the Taurus full moon eclipse. The Libra was a new moon eclipse. And Taurus is also ruled by Venus. So we have a double Venus emphasis, which is such a beautiful planet of pleasure, of love, of beauty and harmony and everything that brings you a sense of equilibrium and things that you value that are uplifting. So let's look at the numerology code for a minute before we go deeply into the meaning of the stars. So it's the 28th of October and the full universal date adds up to 18. 28 reduces to 10 and 1. 18 reduces to 9. So we have a major shift of the number 1, new beginnings, and the 9 endings, the first and last single digit. This means there's a lot of releasing, a lot of resetting, a lot of bold new beginnings, changes of plans, shifts, big decisions, and stepping into leadership because 1 and 9 are both leadership numbers. So these two eclipses, both governed by Venus, they are symbolizing the importance of balance and diplomacy and communication and harmony, which is Libra. And for Taurus, Venus emphasizes security and peace and pleasure. And so with the Sun in Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto and also the ancient ruler Mars, these are planets of power and transformation and courage and confidence and forward momentum. So there's a lot of forward momentum energy regarding these particular topics. We are in the 21st century. We are in the 2020s. 21 is the number of truth. The truth shall set you free. And 2020 gives you 2020 vision symbolically of two sides coming together and communicating. So the combination of these two energies is really being activated right now. And this is a really big turning point as so often the eclipse cycles are. Now, what's very important is we're moving into 2024 in a couple months and 2024 is an eight universal year. And this eclipse season is happening in an eight universal month, October, 2023. So it is activating a theme of taking ownership, taking responsibility, stepping up, and walking your talk. And because the eclipse happens at five degrees, the sun is at five degrees in Scorpio, and the moon is at five degrees in Taurus, and five is the number of flexibility and, first and foremost, freedom and liberty. So really the theme here now is, the truth shall set you free. And Scorpio really brings that home where the sun is. And also two other planets. We have Mars in Scorpio. We have Mercury in Scorpio. So Mercury is communication. Mars is confidence. It is a, it can be very aggressive on the one hand. And on the other hand, it can really dive into having the courage to speak your mind. So we need to now really understand how important it is to trust and to have hope because the moon is not only a 
in Taurus, but it's conjunct Jupiter. Jupiter is currently in Taurus, and Jupiter is the planet of trust and hope. And so this can bring very fortunate energy if we allow the highest vibrational energy of peace and compassion to infuse what it is that we say and do. The opposition makes it very tense, right? A full moon, in this case, full moon eclipse, has the sun, Mercury, and Mars opposite the moon and Jupiter. So we need to bring that tension into balance. There are two sides in a full moon equation, and those sides need to talk and communicate and come into a place where the listening is really emphasized so that each side puts itself in the other side's shoes and conversations can bring harmony and solve whatever tension is there through the act of compassion. So these two eclipses are truly emphasizing truth and freedom through the lens of beauty, peace, love. And the truth that is being talked about is the universal truth. So what is always true about life and how life actually operates and that some things are unchanging, such as physical laws about nature. There are certain unchanging laws that we know to be true. And in the same way, we have metaphysical laws that are true and they are true whether we believe it or not. For example, nature does go through its natural cycles whether we want to believe it or not. And in the same way, we have metaphysical laws as well. So it's important now to really understand those metaphysical laws, especially at this time, because not acknowledging them is like not acknowledging the laws of nature. And that will not serve us. So many people struggle because they don't understand the truth about these metaphysical laws. They don't understand that they govern actual life and how life operates and what life actually is about. And I know it's very difficult to recognize these laws versus the laws of nature, which are physical. They're represented to us in a physical way. Metaphysical laws are not. And metaphysical laws operate over a long period of time very often, whereas nature is constantly unfolding and and very easy to observe. And so that brings us really, when we're talking about lifetimes regarding metaphysical laws, that brings us to the law of karma. And when you look at Scorpio and Pluto, the ruler of Scorpio, the laws of karma are very much embedded in that sign. And the really the most important metaphysical law initially to understand, and there are many, is the law of karma because it's central to truth, just as gravity is central to the laws of nature. And karma is often stated as you reap what you sow, but karma isn't that simple. It's very complex. Those words imply that what you do to others, they will do to you. However, that misses the purpose and intent of karma, which is not to punish, it is to teach. And if karma is looked at as punishment at times in certain cultures or just certain belief systems, really, it's only because 
it's often a very efficient way to teach something. However, the soul always agrees to the experience of the teaching method itself. And that's really important to understand because life does not punish, it teaches. So it's a teaching method if that's how you want to look at it. And if it seems to teach in a very harsh way, there has been an invitation to do that by the soul, which is learning through that particular method. However, there are so many ways for us as soul-centered beings to learn what we need to learn. And we choose many different methods. We can learn gently, which usually takes a bit more time, or we can pick a more challenging way to learn, and that goes more quickly usually. But in either case, the events or the experience of what it is that we're learning are purely designed to heal, to evolve, and not to punish Punishment is actually not a very effective teacher whatsoever. It can teach you not to do something, but at a great cost. And a cost it also loving yourself and loving others, which is really the ultimate lesson. Those who receive punishment have shame, they have anger, they have resentment. And that's a very difficult place to be, to learn from. So we need to understand that Punishment is more the ego's way to remedy whatever mistakes were made or crimes committed, whatever the case may be. And we as humans need to see the ineffectiveness of punishment itself because punishment perpetrates pain. It perpetrates a negative energy and it doesn't magnify healing. And there's nothing healing that comes from punishment Love is what heals. Love is what brings people out of the egoic state of consciousness. And love is compassion. It's kindness. It's attention. It's acceptance. And these are the qualities that heal. These are the frequencies of healing. And it is true that we reap what we sow in this lifetime or another lifetime And often what we sow, we get an immediate reaction. If we're not kind to somebody, they will respond right away, right? Other decisions we make take a longer time. For example, if we are on a diet that doesn't support us, then we will feel the health effects many years, sometimes decades down the road. And some of the things we do are not met until another lifetime. So it really does not make sense to use punishment from a karmic standpoint because it's not the best way to teach what needs to be learned. And all that really usually needs to be learned is compassion. You know, walking in somebody else's shoes. So life is a school for us to evolve. And Scorpio and Taurus are fixed signs, which means They give us security in many ways, but they also point out those things that we have been accepting, especially in our belief system, with a fixity that means we're not flexible about it. So this eclipse, the series of eclipses, but especially the one in Taurus with the sun in Scorpio, we are learning to release ourselves. It's five degrees. Five degrees sun and moon means freedom, flexibility, letting go, exploring, curiosity. So if we all understand that 
life is always trying to teach us something when we're confronted by a challenge or a problem or a difficult person, then it's much easier to learn from the experience. However, if we don't understand that life is a school, it's more difficult for us to learn from our experiences because then we feel victimized, ashamed, we feel like a failure, we feel angry, we feel confused. So it's very important to see that everything that life brings us serves as a purpose for our soul to grow. And curiosity is very important because we want to be curious about what that purpose is. We want to know what it is, why our experiences are showing up in terms of how they're helping us to grow and how they're helping us to shape our character to become more courageous or responsible or reliable or joyful or kind or persevering, strong, patient, loving, wise, resourceful. Life teaches us all these things, and life is the only thing that can teach us these things. We cannot learn these things by reading books, by watching videos, right? Only life teaches us this. Life is the lesson, and we can either learn our lessons willingly or we can learn them unwillingly, which means it's either going to go more quickly or more slowly. Of course, if we're unwilling, it just takes longer, right? So eventually, everyone comes around and embodies those beautiful qualities. So also remember that karma can work through others, and it often does, life circumstances that bring other people into our life they're designed for us others are our teachers and they are our teachers by how they respond to what we do and what we say so that they give us instant feedback like a mirror on how our words and our deeds affected them which is an opportunity for us to learn to speak and act in ways that produce better results. So this is the key, really, because if you don't treat others well, then they they won't treat you well. If you do treat them well, they will treat you well. So your relationships really are the key to understanding the law of karma. And how you treat others really matters. In Libra, the first eclipse we had is very much teaching us that. In the Taurus-Scorpio eclipse is teaching us that as well, because in an opposition, we have two sides. So it really requires listening, as I was saying. You can create a positive experience of life for yourself or a negative one, and that is up to you. When we look at Venus again, Venus is the planet that rules both eclipses. The law of love, which is another metaphysical law, is governed by Venus. And love is what gives birth to life. It sustains it, it guides it. Love is behind life itself. And giving a loving hand, not a judgmental hand or a cruel hand, is behind all life. And this is one of those laws, the law of love, that is very difficult to feel, to understand when we come from the egoic point of view. Because the ego thinks that life is to be feared. The ego thrives on fear, on cruelty, on being scary, on just projecting its own fears onto life. And so the ego is what makes life scary and cruel, not life itself. Life is not cruel. Life is beautiful. Life is benevolent. Life is wise. But the ego is not. 
it creates the confusion, the conflict, the negative feelings. So without an ego, we would be in love with life itself. We would see the benevolence of life. And we would see the divine design of life. That life has a purpose, that life has a design, and is guided by higher forces. So looking at one more planetary transit during this Taurus eclipse, there's a trine to Saturn from the sun and a sextile from the moon. And Saturn really speaks to the constancy of all divine laws. Saturn brings longevity and stamina and the practical manifestation powers. Saturn rules Capricorn where Pluto is in, the ruler Scorpio. And Taurus is also an earth sign, just like Capricorn. So there's a lot of energy here to make things last. And Venus, the ruler of this eclipse, is trying to Uranus, the freedom planet, just like the five degrees, the number five. So Venus is bringing a new sense of freedom regarding how we express affection and romance and love and pleasure and welcoming unexpected approaches, new beliefs. Venus brings a connection to positive energy, love, harmony. And the truth is love is behind life. So love supports us and we are beloved by creator and the creator is making love manifest in form and life unfolds perfectly with divine law. And this is for the highest good of everyone, for the highest good of the whole. And Venus embodies that. So the stars and numbers, as you can see, they always reveal the messages we need at the moment we need them. They're behind all the teaching that we need in order to live life in the highest capacity. So it is my pleasure to also introduce to you my launch of the ultimate yearly forecast for 2024, which like I said, is an eight universal year. And to watch a video about this annual event, it'll be the 10th time I'm presenting it, this live stream, go to 2024forecast.com and you can learn all about it. It's going to be really exciting. So I hope you can join me on December 12th, on 1212, 2023, for this amazing live stream. In the meantime, I wish you a very beautiful, peaceful, harmonious, loving Taurus lunar eclipse and sending you so much love and compassion And thank you for joining me again on Star Codes. Are you still there? Okay, Rama, it's your turn to give the... Um, well, the phone number to go to the conference call is 720-716-7301.
And the pin code is 353863-POUND. One more time, Mama. 720-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-713-
uh, echo through these various mountainous chambers, as well as um, coming up through the earth in such a way that it would accentuate vibration. Now, this um, gentleman, G. E. Kincaid, mentioned that um, there were they went far into this cave system, and there was a room that they didn't explore because with all the lighting that they brought with them, the more lighting that they used, the darker the room became. These are his actual words. And that the room had a deadly snaky smell. Uh, so using that terminology, what was he describing exactly that he, that that room contained? Well, much later after these areas had been exposed, uh, different beings, even reptilian hybrids, began to inhabit them. So they were not always used for healing or in the highest light or vibration that they were founded in, in other words. Now, because these chambers were so potent with energy, um, they were not always used uh, to sustain others, but to channel energy for an individual to become powerful. Um, so what you are sensing in this chamber is the residue perhaps left over of those more malevolent in their focus, um, channeling energy to their greatest expansion and still remaining in this area. It, it is not, again, unusual for the spirits uh, of those who have passed on uh, to remain in uh, inner earth, especially caverns or, or tunnels, uh, because it is very much like um, a magnet that, that holds on to their life force. Um, this cavern you speak of, or this area, we'll call it, of the tunnel, it does not respond to light, not only because of the dark residues here, but it was also meant to remain uh, as dark as possible because, remember, the reptilians were using caves to find solace or silence. Uh, they were very uh, adept at focusing the mind and, and training the mind uh, to immediately manifest. And they were doing this on a physical planet mostly because they were reorienting that, reorienting that mind and their abilities uh, to a different material density. And, and it took longer periods of time for them to sustain and, and channel that energy through the mind in a physical form than it did uh, well beyond the earth. What is the motivation? So are you saying um, at that time that this individual was researching this location, were there any reptilians in physical form that were still there or was it just a residue left over? Uh, we're speaking more in spirit form than in physical. Okay. What's the motivation of institutions like the Smithsonian to hide all this knowledge and to prevent people from going to these locations? Is it because they're afraid it's going to change the narrative of um, how human beings came into being, which may lose some of the power of the world leaders, or is it they just don't want us to have access to these PowerPoints or portals on the planet? Well, we believe in general in this circumstance, there is um, an undeniable effort to keep the history of the reptilians on planet Earth hidden because many would make a logical connection, uh, we believe, between 
the families who are still here as a part of that legacy that are focused on the enslavement of uh, the human collective and uh, what has happened in these in these various locations. Also, there are valuable um, transmissions that have been left behind, uh, both in archaic writings that have been carved on various cave walls, as well as amulets and technologies, for example, that have been confiscated, some of which they cannot yet um, um, take possession of because the frequency is so, so strong and so high that uh, they have not yet figured out uh, without harm to their own bodies how to remove and, and research these things. Uh, so there is a lot of protection in these sensitive areas and, and hiding of this knowledge because those that um, uh, fund, for example, organizations like the Smithsonian uh, are behind much of what we've been talking about in our various transmissions. Um, they are keeping this knowledge in order to empower themselves. Is there any benefit for human beings to go into any cave systems where some of this ancient um, archaeological artifacts still exist, indicating that there was a civilization. So, for example, taking the the uh, Grand Canyon as an example, the ones we're just discussing, would there be any advantage or benefit to human beings to be in that environment today? Well, we see the Grand Canyon as um, a, a frequency field, uh, in other words. So so anyone who visits it is receiving valuable frequencies from deep within the earth that are transformative in nature. It does not mean that every soul is open to receiving and integrating those frequencies for the benefit of their soul's evolution. So, so consciousness and awakening are always a factor. Uh, it is just like someone who could visit a, a pyramid in Egypt, but be solely interested in uh, the history and not the energetic uh, power or technology that is available to them as um, an ascendant soul. Uh, this is what happens in, in every location uh, on the earth in which there is powerful energy. Yet you're speaking about entering the inner earth or these caves that have been left behind and and we're cautious about this because, as we've mentioned, there have been a great many changes. Um, the the original beings who were more loving and benevolent, who uh, inhabited these areas and perhaps even created them, uh, were displaced at times uh, by more malevolent beings that may have shifted them slightly for their own use. And some of that influence still remains. And even this explorer that you bring to our attention was entering another dimension uh, when he had this experience. So in these, um, uh, we'll say, uh, frequency fields, we'll, we'll call it, um, many different dimensions exist. And if you were to enter a certain area of the Great Canyon, or the Grand Canyon, you may find yourself in a completely different dimension than you were uh, literally uh, five miles before. Uh, this is constantly shifting as well. So so to have an extra-dimensional experience, a, a vivid and physical experience of an underground cavern that, that leads to the inner earth would require uh, 
a bit of advancement in terms of your plasma and and light body, uh, as well as some pre-preparation. And it's not to say that this event did not take the explorer by surprise. Uh, many are here and do not have any idea that they have these advanced abilities at their disposal and will awaken to them in the most surprising of ways. You mentioned that the Grand Canyon in particular was a very advanced um area in ancient times was this primarily reptilian considering they were all cave systems or was it by other other beings also it was founded uh with reptilian influence yet it was not exclusive to these beings uh meaning there were many others that came to explore and to uh, enter this reality uh there are even ships that have landed in this area and intergalactic beings have done research here because of all the areas um, on planet Earth, this is a very rare opportunity, we believe, to explore uh, the culmination of many different um, cosmic elements and minerals that came together at the very beginning of time to form the Earth. And there are many who are observing how these cosmic entities have evolved and hybridized. Uh, so this still happens very often today, even though it's no longer looked at as an active um, city or, or gathering place for these beings. Um, intergalactics do still come and take samples and observe and measure frequencies because it is offering a great deal of information about how the inner earth is shifting and giving um, intergalactic collectives insight into how to assist humans uh, within the Ascension timeline. In Turkey, there is a, an underground cave system that was found in recent decades that goes down many levels and it's uh, referred to as Darren Kuyu. And um, it's believed that uh, at least by archaeologists and researchers, that human beings actually lived in this cave system. But should we, uh, during the Great Flood or to escape the flood or the Ice Age or some other uh, mainstream concept today, was should we assume that when we see elaborate cave systems that are that intricate and large that they were primarily reptilian in origin or would human beings have lived in an underground location like that? Well, there is almost always reptilian influence here in terms of the underground caves, um, especially if they are very elaborate as this one uh, in nature. It does not mean, however, that human beings were not led into them at, at some point in time, uh, either uh, to, to chant and to study and, and to learn from these enlightened beings or to escape various cataclysms. Uh, the reptilians were very heart-centered, some of them, at the very beginning of time. They they were very clear that they wanted to serve the humans who were here, knowing, of course, that the possibility of them being taken off path was so great, even through their own, uh, in the influence of their own race. Um, at times, what we notice is that humans of certain ancient civilizations uh, we're following the insights of these reptilian um, leaders so closely that they became hybridized themselves, uh, meaning they took on more 
of a reptilian type of quality than they did human, which would predispose them to living within these areas. Now, many of these that we've discussed today in previous conversations, such as the what are used for monasteries today that are very high up and nearly impossible to get to by human beings, and even the the cave systems in the Grand Canyon, the researchers talk about how it was almost impossible to reach them. So these are not easily accessible by human beings. Now, is it fair to assume, based on our conversations thus far, that the reptilians, one of the reasons they position themselves in such distant places or inside the ground was to not intermix with the human genetic by proximity as in order to avoid their own genetics become all, becoming altered. Yes, both of those reasons are in fact true. There was concern, of course, to not um, take the true evolutionary path of the new humans um, off course, but also uh, they knew that they were not in the strongest structure to be present on a physical planet. Uh, and any type of influence from either a physical being or even another hybrid could um, take their energy structure out of harmony. And, and this is often why the inner Earth was preferred, because even though it was a planet very different from the one that they had known, uh, the inner earth did provide uh, a great deal of energy and frequency that was uh, suitable for um, their constant um, rejuvenation, we might say, uh, or ability to thrive in a material environment. Even if we look at the density of the inner earth, and we're not speaking here of energetic density that is accumulated via karma, we're speaking of uh, dense material, uh, like the uh, combination of rock and, and molten clay and in various components like this, it it suited them very well um, in terms of resonance, not because they are lower vibrational beings, but because they thrive in dense environments where they are able to shapeshift and have no barrier in terms of um, um this kind of a field, uh, in other words. So, so there were many different advantages to them remaining in close proximity to Gaia's inner meridians and channels. Well, if there was a, a concern over their genetics becoming altered by proximity, by physical proximity to human beings, then why did some of the more enlightened ones choose to teach human beings to Evolve was that purely out of a self-interest to alter human genetics to become more reptilian so that the reptilians could coexist, or did they have some other motivation? Well, some of this is true, and it is dependent upon the teacher, of course, and the timeline that you are referring to. But but certainly at at some point in their evolution, uh, even the most loving reptilians understood that to make this planet their own or to be here of service, they must somehow support the human collective and becoming more like them. Uh, it's innate in, in every being throughout the universe to believe that their reality is, is the one that is best suited for another. And, and this of course um, uh, took place in, in various circumstances, but, but beyond this, imagine that, to hybridize with the human race in a, in a more neutral state was what they were aiming for. 
not that one group of beings or the other would become more influenced in any direction, but together they could find some semblance of peace in, in becoming more like each other or even birthing, we might say, uh, a new hybrid race, which was never the intention of the original cedars, but but certainly um, was carried out uh, in the intentions of those more enlightened reptilians who found themselves here and and knew that they could be of support at the same time, uh, benefit themselves as well as the human race. Well, we're going to stop there for today and we'll pick up next time. Thank you, Michaela. Okay. And I hope you all enjoyed the show today. Thank you again. And we'll be back in another uh, another week with a uh, another Waking Power podcast. So if you um, are seeing any ads on YouTube or any other platform, you can also watch us on Rumble or various podcast platforms like Spotify and iTunes as well. So thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. And... Oh. Uh, Ethan, this is um, our brother Steve Nobel again. <laughs> it's I'll read this and I'll get you'll get you there. Um, it's called Archangel Christiel transmission. Downloading downloading six D divine feminine light code. Archangel Christiel, often spelt C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-L rather than K-R-I-S-T-I-E-L, is assisting humanity at this time in anchoring feminine frequencies within the Christ grid. She is helping to restore the original template of peace and harmonious living on this ascending earth plane. Archangel Christiel is the angel of the divine feminine Christ. Turn the page here. Consciousness. She is a very high vibrational angel who can assist you in activating the Christ light within connecting you to the energies of love, compassion, peace, forgiveness, courage, strength, and higher wisdom. The Christ light is usually associated with Yeshu, yet many masters of light, such as the Buddha, also worked with this energy. Archangel Christiel can help you connect to this energy of high consciousness and love directly through the higher chakras, the soul star, causal and stellar gateway chakras. From the Angels Among Us guidebook, the Divine Feminine Christ Light is returning to this dimension of the earth now to help end the darkness this planet has endured for thousands of years. This remastered transmission will assist you in reconnecting with the 
60 divine feminine template of harmony, peace, love, and divine female Christ consciousness. It will help to clear your pain body of lower frequencies, uplift all your earthly relationships, and also help to increase the light within the planet itself. Music by Rebecca Rietz. And the track is called Counting Stars. John is the channel to get access to perks. Did you find it, Ronald? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, again, being in... uh, This is 40... 44 minutes, everybody. So let's get started. Here we go. Downloading six dimensional divine feminine light codes. And as always, open, soften, relax, and breathe. Allowing light into your body with the in-breath. As if with your breath. You can invite light from the universe around you to flow and ripple into your body from 360 degrees. And on the out breath, releasing whatever you need to release from your body. Releasing from the physical body, body of bone and blood. Releasing from the etheric body, the chakra system. Emotional and mental bodies releasing other people's energy or low frequency programming. On the in breath, allow more light to flow to you from the universe. More light from 360 degrees. As if you're the center of a great web of light, a universal web of light. And follow the cycle of breath. On the in-breath, light into the body, into the bones, the blood, the organs, all structures of the body. On the out-breath, the release. On the in-breath, light into the chakra system, etheric body. light to flow and releasing anything of a lower frequency nature in the etheric body and light into the emotional body releasing other people's emotional energy in your field on the out breath mental body, light into the mind, releasing other people's thought processes, other people's visions, values, ideas, world perspectives, releasing on the out-breath. Allowing more light to return to you. Centering yourself in light. And as always, we call the archangels of the horizontal plane beginning in the east with Raphael, 
change the veil. The symbol of this angel was a caduceus, a crystal wand with golden snakes and golden wings. As you focus on the symbol, you call the energy of the angel to you. This angel is emerald green fire, the wielder of emerald green fire. Allow that fire into your field to hold and support you in this journey, to hold and support you in this journey. Breathing emerald green fire, wherever you need it in your body or energy bodies, holding you, clearing you, aligning you to a high frequency of light. And as this is happening, call to the south, to Michael. Archangel of fire. The symbol of this angel is a silver sword. And the energy as you focus on this symbol is electric blue fire. Invite that fire to support your journey, to support this transmission wherever you need it in your field. Allow it to open, cleanse and align you to a higher frequency of light. And as that is happening, it's called to the West, to Gabriel, Archangel of Water. symbol of this angel is a silver chalice. And the energy is diamond white fire. Allow that fire into your body as you focus on the symbol to open, cleanse and align your field, supporting this journey in this transmission. Open, soften, relax. Three angels around you, three fires, holding and supporting you. In completing the circle, fourth angel is Archangel Uriel of the North, Archangel of Earth. The symbol is a golden pentacle, a five-pointed star in a circle of light. As you focus on this symbol, you call the energy of the angel to you. This angel is the wielder of ruby red fire. Allow that fire into your body wherever you need it to hold and support you on this journey. Four angels, four fires. 
allow these four fires to hold you, open you, align you with a higher frequency of light. Inviting Metatron from the central sun Archangel of the ascension grid to bring down that grid Golden white fire from the sun down into the space you're in towards top of head Sweeping through your body through the head, the neck, torso to anchor into the heart. Anchor this light into the heart. To allow all chakras from the heart upwards to align with the Christ grid, the ascension grid from the central sun. Open, soften, relax, and allow this light to touch you, to open you, to align you to a higher frequency of light. And as that is happening, called to Sandophon in the earth below to bring up that great crystalline grid from the earth crystalline silver white light from the earth flowing up to the feet flowing up through the legs up through the torso up to the heart and anchoring that grid in the heart and allowing all chakras from the heart downwards to align with the crystalline grid of the earth allowing this beautiful crystalline silver white light to align you to a higher frequency of light self and your team in spirit the highest resonance and light to come and be with you to help you align with these two grids of energy aligning with a higher frequency of light 
in your body and your reality. Allowing this light to ripple through physical body, cellular systems, DNA, subatomics, meridian systems, chakra systems. Rippling light in the physical and energetic systems of your body. And open and soften and relax with this light, this rippling light. This light aligns with your energy fields that's called Christiel and all supporting angelic forces working with Christ consciousness and the ascension grid of light, calling those forces now to be with you and breathe and allow these energies, these angelic forces around you. working through the ascension grid, the Christ grid. A very soft, powerful, feminine energy touching you now, through the ascension grid touching you. your breath you can invite that energy into your body and Christiel and the supporting angels open a six-dimensional stargate within the ascension grid to allow a higher frequency of light to flow through the grid to you frequencies of light flowing through the ascension grid down into your body allow the space around you to absorb this light also the room you're in this shimmering light Shimmering light in the walls. Furnishings, objects of the room. A shimmering light coming down into your body through the ascension grid. Down to the heart. light to reach deep into your body 
twinkling light begins to intensify. A white golden light to the crown, crown chakra of your body that opens. Opens. And light, rippling light, flowing into this chakra until it forms a great golden white sun. A great golden white sun. Just allowing that energy to intensify and form in your body. Increasing the light in your field as the crown chakra becomes a blazing golden white sun radiating light to your body. this light is being transmitted into your pain body pain body anywhere you hold anxiety, fear, self attack or any low frequency energies that causes pain in your field pain allow that light to ripple through your energy fields particularly into the pain body Softening, clearing. Allowing a higher light into those parts of your energy fields. Releasing anywhere you hold anxiety, fear or self-attack. Breathing, allowing this light to transmitted to the pain body from the crown chakra and as you breathe and open and soften you notice the slide begins to form another sun in the body shimmering light rippling light down to the heart second sun begins to form in the body increasing in intensity increasing intensity and allowing that sun to become as bright as the sun in the crown certain point it reaches the same intensity two suns in the body and then these two suns from crown and heart begin to transmit light to your pain body 
anywhere you hold fear, anxiety, self-attack. Anything that's not love in your body. Release, neutralize, clear, cleanse with this light, two suns in the body. happening, notice that light begins to form a third sun in the body. A third sun in the body, in the base chakra that opens. Light rippling and shimmering into the base chakra, forming another sun, a golden white sun that begins to grow in intensity. point it reaches the same level of intensity as the other two suns and then all three suns begin to radiate light into the pain body anywhere you're holding fear anxiety guilt shame self-attack any low frequency energies or emotions transmitting light transmitting the higher frequency light divine feminine light into your field, softening all old patriarchal structures or programming. Those old systems and structures and ideas and beliefs, perhaps trapped emotions, trauma. Softening, clearing, releasing. Suns in the body radiating light. And allow this light to begin to radiate out into your reality, beyond the body. into your relationships the energies and connections between you and others increasing a sense of light and harmony softening any hardness or low frequency energies or cording
uplifting all of your relationships. Allow these three suns to radiate out 360 degrees out into your reality. Open, soften as this happens. Allowing Christiel and all supporting angelic forces and Christ consciousness through the Christ grid to begin to work through you. these light codes and this energy soft divine feminine energy and light first healing your energy field and uplifting all of your relationships softening bringing a greater love warmth harmony, beauty. And of course, this energy may cause some people to leave your reality. And at the same time, it may invite new people, new situations, new experiences. Breathe and allow that to happen. As that's happening, the light in your body begins to intensify and begins to ripple down, shimmering downwards from the base chakra, down. Through legs and down, through feet and down into the earth, 
into the earth star chakra beneath your feet. another sun begin to open in, in the earth beneath you this light begins to shimmer ripple as a new sun begins to form within the earth beneath you growing in intensity until it begins to reach the same intensity as the other suns in your body. But this sun begins to become more intense, growing even larger than the suns in your body, even larger. A great intensity of light in the earth. Christiel and all of the angelic forces supporting her begin to intensify the light through your body, through your energy field into the earth. And allow this sun to form growing in intensity. large sun, two or three times the size of the suns in your body. And allow light to be channeled through your body into the earth and allow that light to grow in intensity and at a certain point there's a shift, there's a shift as this light begins to radiate out into the earth. radiate out and anywhere this light's needed allow it to be sent into the earth where there are great crystal veins within the earth that can absorb this energy Allowing light into the physical earth. dimensional feminine light codes into the earth just channeling that light through your body into the earth into the crystal veins of the earth
and allowing this light also to be transmitted to inner earth, other dimensions of the earth that need to receive this light. Trusting your inner wisdom to send it wherever it needs to go. and softening allowing more light to flow through you opening the inner channel so more light can flow through you from crown to heart to base to earth star beneath your feet out into the earth physical earth and beyond the physical earth into other dimensions of the inner earth. Radiating light, sending it wherever it needs to go. No need to force or push anything. point this light begins to decrease in intensity as the transmission is done begins to decrease in intensity sun within the earth begins to lessen in intensity coming back now the star chakra returning to almost its normal size still radiating a certain light base chakra begins to lessen in intensity, lessen, still radiating a light, lessening in intensity. As the heart chakra lessens in intensity, lessens 
back, coming back to its normal radiance. Perhaps a bit brighter than normal. As the crown chakra begins to lessen in intensity, lessen. Lessen, coming back to almost its normal size, perhaps more radiant than normal. Just allowing the angels around you and your team and spirit, the highest light, to adjust your field. Adjust your field. So that you can still channel a certain degree of this energy throughout the day, but not so much as to stop you functioning normally in this 3D to 4D world. Breathing and opening, softening and relaxing. And thanking all the angels in this transmission from the North Uriel, allowing this angel to seed with thanks. To the West, Gabriel, allowing this angel to recede with thanks. To the South, Michael, allowing this angel to recede with thanks. East Raphael allowing this angel to recede with thanks. And thanking Metatron and Sandophon, allowing the grids to decrease in intensity. Still retaining your connection, but not as intense. Thanking all angels, all beings, your higher self. Thanking Christiel and all supporting angels. As always, this transmission is offered to you with love and blessings, love and blessings. Nobel, everybody. All right, now we're going to get a little different story here. 
Oh, that was really good. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, being an empath is topic here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guest is Anita Moarjani. I think that's how you say that. Moarjani. Oh, it's two O's. Okay, Moarjani. All right. Anita Morjani recounts a near-death experience that spontaneously healed her of terminal lymphatic cancer. Mm. Wow. Morjani recalls reaching an ecstatic state of pure bliss during a 36-hour coma, which enlightened her to the power of living fearlessly. Wow. This best-selling author of Sensitive is the New Strong, quote-unquote, advises that empaths with healthy egos are necessary to share their gifts with the world. What as instead of seeing empathy and sensitivity as a weakness. We decided to see, we decided it was a strength. All right, Ram, I see you got it there. Mm. This is 48 minutes, so let's get started. Mm. Regina Meredith with Anita Murjani. are very, very Hindu, wanted to set me up with an arranged marriage, Yes, but they sent me to a British school for education. I was also a huge fan of Cindy Lauper. His parents made it clear I would not be allowed to work or be independent or go back to study or earn my own money. Did you go through with it? Inflating your fashion choices with the salvation of your soul. Yes, exactly. Bad guru. Very bad guru. <laughs> I went into a coma. The doctors told my family that these were my final hours, but I started to become aware that I was surrounded by beings. Three weeks after the NDE, they could find no trace of cancer in my body. (laughs) It's not about doing and doing. It's about undoing, letting it all go and setting yourself free. We look up to ruthless people. We see empathy and sensitivity as a weakness. What if we decided it was a strength? With us today is a woman who came to the public's attention about a decade ago when she wrote her book, Dying to Be Me, about her near-death experience from terminal cancer and an amazing spontaneous healing. I'm speaking of Anita Marjani, whose new message is as poignant today as her original book. This is both a cautionary tale and a tale of total empowerment. Welcome, Anita. It's so good to meet you in the flesh. We've kind of had near misses with each other. We have. I know. I'm I'm really happy to be here and speaking to you today. Yes, and likewise. And I want to start this interview off with a story that as I was reading this, I thought, no, this is so wrong. And we're talking about a chapter in your new book called Banned from Nirvana. And the book is Sensitive is New Strong. And your parents took you to a guru because you were in the shameful position of being unmarried at the age of 26. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this is from the East Indian tradition. Yes. So let's talk about what this guru said to you. So I want to backtrack and set it up. So a couple of things going on in my life at that time. My parents are very, very Indian, Hindu, wanted to set me up with an arranged marriage. Yes. But they sent me to a British school for education. So I was very westernized. Yes. I was also a huge fan of Cindy Lauper. Oh so my I had, yes. <laughs> so I had my hair cut like hers. I, I would, I would color my hair, yeah. you know, with the neon colors sometimes and I would emulate her, the clothes and everything. Um, because that song, girls just want to have fun. It just spoke to me mm-hmm. back then. Um, <laughs> so my parents are trying to arrange a marriage for this daughter that emulates Cindy Lauper and the, Parents of the potential intended didn't like this whole girls just want to be fun attitude. No, because in in my culture at that time, a woman's um, worth was measured by how good she was at housework. And it was cooking and cooking and Uh cleaning. I'm terrible at cleaning. I'm not good with housework. (laughs) And also we were measured by how valuable we are to the men in our community and in our families. So we always had to make ourselves um, serve men and be of service to men. And I was um, I was kind of brought up and um, trained or geared towards one day I'm going to have an arranged marriage. And so I have to be able to please not only a husband, but his parents, because you marry into the whole family and you end up living with his parents. And so what my parents would see when they would look at me is that, oh, any future potential um, boy or fiance or husband's parents are not going to approve of you. They're not going to approve of you. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, when they took me to see the Indian guru and in our culture, again, these gurus are what we call the marriage. Um, they check your horoscope and they tell you when you're going to get married. So they took me there to say, we're having trouble getting our daughter married. Could you check her horoscope to see when is she going to get married? Mm -hmm. And he looked, he took one look at me and like any potential Hindu in-laws, he looked at me with the same eyes and said, oh my gosh, no wonder she's not married. Look at, yeah, look at how she's dressed. Look at her hair. She's not wearing Indian clothes. She's, and they took it as a sign of disrespect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he actually started to tell me what it was that I needed to do in order to gain favor from my religion, my culture, from nirvana, to be able to go into nirvana. And he was saying all these things which are out of character for me to to be. Now, again, remember, all my friends, my peers were British kids. Mm-hmm. So I had this huge exposure to this other culture mm-hmm. that's not just my parents' culture. So um, I was I wanted to fit in with my peers. So when he would say that you need to do this, you need to be more respectful, subservient, you need to cover your head when you come here and so on and so on. And I would say, but why? I questioned it because none of my my peers needed to do that. So I said, why do I need to do those things? And he said, if you ever want to get to nirvana, you have to do those things because God will not let you in if your soul is still dirty, if it's still tarnished. You have to cleanse yourself and and follow these things. Conflating your fashion choices with 
the salvation of your soul. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Bad guru. Yes, very bad guru. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So what, what, when you walked away from this, uh, sage, um, how did you feel and what did that do to you and what did that do to your family? Well, it crushed me completely. It crushed me because here I was being told now from somebody who ha- who is an authority of right. spirituality and the other side. So it really crushed me. And it set me on a path where I felt, oh, my gosh, maybe I do need to become more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to try to figure out what does it take to be to be more spiritual? Like, do I have to meditate more? Do I have to pray more? Do I have to dress differently? So, but, but before that, I had this, um, this spirit, this really like a, a very joyful, like a, a, a free bird spirit. Right. That got crushed. It really started to get crushed because he reinforced in my parents that this is why they're having trouble getting me married and that I don't respect the culture. I don't respect the religion. And, and so it ultimately did, them and ultimately them. So it did. It crushed my spirit. OK, so then you became a pleaser, a people pleaser. I did. You started twisting yourself into a pretzel to be a good girl and make everyone else happy. And let's talk about that phase of your life, a perfectionist. And- yes. So then I really believed that I had to be more subservient, be more of a homemaker, although that wasn't my preference. I actually wanted to travel. I wanted to work. And I was told in terms of working, I wanted to study more. I wanted to um, go to university. and uh, and But I was told that all of this would be dependent on your future husband and his parents that they would have to approve. And so the more you educate yourself, the less desirable you are for an arranged marriage. Certainly it was true at that time. Um, and so I had to literally pause on a lot of things that I wanted to do. I wanted to earn my own money, work, travel, do all of those things and be independent. But all of those things were seen as wrong in my culture mm-hmm. unless your husband or and or your in-laws approved of it. And so finally, in order to please my parents, I did say yes to an arranged marriage. And when I was engaged, were they unique because they accepted because they accepted you? Or had you calmed everything down? Were you appearing to me more like a normal girl? I was appearing to be more like a normal girl. Mm-hmm. However, um, at that time, uh, for an arranged marriage, you had to be more around the age of 19, right. 20, 21. Yeah. So they were, they made me feel like they were making a huge adjustment, accepting me at age 26. Doing you a favor. They were doing me a favor. So because they then accepted me, I wasn't allowed to say no, because then I was seen as being really picky and mm-hmm. ungrateful. And what about, okay, so between you and them is the man. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a moment. What, would, what he, was he like? How did he perceive you? So although he was nice and he was sweet, he wanted me to make his parents happy. I see. And his parents wanted me to learn 
um, learn to cook and clean and, and wear, and they wanted me to wear more Indian clothes mm-hmm. and to cover my head and to go to the temple twice a week. And his parents made it clear I would not be allowed to work or be independent or go back to study or earn my own money. But None you of those things. went through with the marriage? Did you go through with it? No. So <laughs> three days before the wedding, oh, this I is couldn't. Busy. <laughs> I know. I just couldn't go through with it. I thought, oh my gosh, this is the rest of my life. I can't, I can't do it. And I ran away. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And this if you is know, a big deal. Yes. And if you know anything about Indian weddings. Oh, they're so, they're days long. Yes. So oh. everything was booked. Oh, you know, yeah. the venues, the yeah. people had flown in from all, all the over caters. the world. Yes. Oh my gosh. All of it. The musicians, the horses, like everything. that is so gutsy to do that. I have been to Indian weddings and the pre events and all of it. And yes. it's, it's so staged. Yes, it yeah. is. It's choreographed. It's staged. All of it. The videographers, all of it was booked. So this was in 1987. Uh, wow. Yes. What a courageous thing to do. Yes. I look back on it now and I think it is. I, I, I am surprised that I was able to do it because I used to be so fearful and such a people pleaser. And it seems really courageous, but at the same time, um, I was very fearful of getting into the marriage and the whole. And, well, and understandably. The yeah. I mean, yeah. it wasn't for you. I just, I mean, I really admire your courage. I, I would have never been, I, I was in that situation. I couldn't do it. It's like, oh, God, everybody be so upset. I'll figure it out later. (laughs) So what happened, actually, and I don't I haven't shared this part publicly, is that I confided in my mom three days before the wedding. And I just cried and cried. And I said, Mom, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And she said, why didn't you tell me earlier? You didn't you don't have to go through with this. I said, but I can't back off now. Everybody's going to be upset. And she said, yes, they are. But I'll back you up. Oh, I know. That's Bless wonderful. her. And she just passed away. She just away. passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. She and I were what so What a wonderful close. mom. And sure enough, everybody was upset and they took it out on her as well. They said, you've spoiled your daughter. You should just slap her and have her show up at the temple. How can you let her do this? What a story. Yeah. So what happened to you then? I mean, obviously you and your mom understood each other and stayed close, but what happened to your family and what happened to you after this? So I was ostracized from the community completely. Um, I was told that no other Indian man would marry me after what I'd done. No parents of Indian men would let their son come near me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was basically, yes, completely yeah. rejected. You were an outcast. I was an outcast. Exactly. So what I did was I gradually um, started to become more independent because of this, mm-hmm. because I was rejected anyway. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. So I started working. So I worked for a few years and I started to meet people from all different cultures. And my life was actually pretty okay. It wasn't bad at all. And then interestingly, I met my husband, Danny, Mm -hmm. who um, happens to be Indian. But the interesting thing is he had told his parents that he's not going to marry an Indian woman. And 
they had been trying to arrange the marriage. <laughs> You're for both black sheep. <laughs> so he was a complete black sheep yeah. as well. And so we realized we really hit it off. Oh, that's wonderful. So then you just had a private marriage on your own and the, you know, not a big deal. Yes. Not we the had kind a of production as before. Yeah. Yes. We had a much smaller. Did your wedding. mother and father come? Did your mother? So my mother was there, yeah. but my dad had passed away oh, prior yeah. to me getting married. Okay. But your mom was there to support you. Yes. She that's was. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. So, um, um, when was that? When when did you marry Danny? We got married in 1995, December of 95. Okay. So it was about seven, eight years after after I ran away from the arranged marriage. So so I went and worked for a few years and uh, and how now let's talk about your spiritual path because this is important. You were trying everything. You were trying really hard to be a spiritually wise, developed woman. Yes, I was. And a seeker. A seeker. <laughs> And so I took the spiritual path of like, I, I really lived my life to, you know, the, the guru impacted me. So I really lived my life to try and create the best possible afterlife because I had this belief again, because of the, not only because of that guru, but things that were instilled in me that I had this belief that you have to try and finish your karmic cycles. You attain nirvana when you don't need to come back again. And that's the reward that you don't need to come back here again and live another life. So you have to live perfection in well incarnate. Exactly. So I tried to attain that perfection so that I wouldn't need to be incarnate again. And so by attaining, uh, in order to attain that perfection, I would, tr- um, I, I felt that I needed to meditate more, cleanse myself more, be more pure of thought. But of course, what I didn't realize at that time is that when you're trying to do it, it's contrived. It's not who you are. It's so much pressure. It's based on, number one, it was based on fear. Yes. Fear of not getting into nirvana. Exactly. So everything was fear driven, which is not a good way to blossom. Exactly. And because of that, um, I didn't realize that I had actually I was over the years since this whole thing happened, even after running away from the marriage, even though I was, I had a job and everything, I still really held on to that guilt of, mm-hmm. and, and the feelings of being ostracized from my community and having people. It just feels awful when you think that there's so many people that disapprove of you and yes. your choices and yeah. think a certain way of you because inside I knew I was not that person. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so I lived with all of that eating away inside at me. So you're trying to overcome it by being good and pious and everything correct. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so along the way, you had your friends and you had a couple of key people close to you that had developed cancer, right? Yes. So let's talk about that part of your journey. Yes, so um my best friend who I grew up with, we were the same age, and we knew each other since we were at school, she developed cancer and it seemed to just come out of the blue. And so, and it was an aggressive cancer. It was literally as right from when she was diagnosed. She, and so she's like fine one day to me, that's how it looks, but she's having trouble breathing, a little bit of trouble breathing. Mm -hmm. But other than that, she looks fine. And she's like going up and down the stairs and she's saying, Oh, I'm, I'm having trouble catching my breath. And Would you have been in our 30s? We were in our 30s. Yeah. So we were young. We were in our 30s. So she goes to the doctor and they find that she has this huge tumor 
in her chest mm-hmm. that's pressing against her lungs and her heart. And so they told her it was a very aggressive form of cancer and that her survival rate was zero to five percent, that there was a 95 percent chance that within two years she would not be around. Mm. Um, when she got that news, it was devastating. But for me, I felt it as if it had happened to me. I couldn't believe it. It was devastating for me to hear that he is my best friend who's like a sister to me and she's just been diagnosed with this. And I suddenly found that I couldn't even live my own life without constantly thinking about her and Mm -hmm. worrying about her and worrying about what she's going through and her family. More fear, loads of fear. Loads of fear, loads of fear. And I was um, uh, like, I couldn't even go out with my friends to have fun because I would be thinking, what right do I have to be out here laughing and eating when she's dying? Mm-hmm. I should be there with her and comforting her and cheering her up. And so for the entire time that she was sick, I just did not take care. Devoted. I was devoted. Mm-hmm. I didn't, her. yes, mm-hmm. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't do anything for myself. And then I think it was almost two years, a year and a half to almost two years into that, into me not doing anything for myself. Um, and she was deteriorating. She just kept deteriorating and, and so you were she, eating poorly, sleeping poorly, all of that, all of that, yeah. eating poorly, sleeping mm-hmm. poorly. And then I found a lump on my mm-hmm. neck over here mm-hmm. and I went to the doctor to have it checked out. He did a biopsy and he told me that it was lymphatic cancer. It was at stage two lymphatic mm-hmm. cancer, which was a shock. At first it was a shock, but there was also a feeling that came into me of, ah, now I get to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. It was like, now I had a reason. I had cancer too. Mm-hmm. Interesting yeah. how far one has to go to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then she did ultimately die. She did ultimately die. Yes. And then you fought the cancer about four years, right? Four years. I was fighting. And then they told you it's over. They told me I had three months to live. Yeah. And now were you in your early 40s? I was in my very early 40s then. Early 40s. Yes, I was in my 40s. And then um, they told me I had three months to live. And um, when they told me that, I actually started deteriorating even faster. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, much faster. You weren't fighting anymore. I stopped fighting mm-hmm. and I really started deteriorating. And then I reached a point where my body stopped absorbing nutrition. And so this was lymphatic cancer. So it had spread throughout my lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. So by then I had tumors about the size of golf balls all around, like from the base of my skull, mm. all around my neck. Your immune system was collapsed. It was collapsed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my body stopped absorbing nutrition, mm-hmm. so I weighed about 85 pounds. I didn't have the strength to stand up and walk, so I was in a wheelchair, but I couldn't even hold my head up. My head would be hanging down like that, mm-hmm. and my lungs were filled with fluid, and so I looked like a skeleton, and I had these open skin lesions where toxins were coming out of my skin, mm-hmm. and if I lay down, if I lay flat, I would choke on mm-hmm. my own fluid. Mm-hmm. And I was breathing with the aid of oxygen, like I had a portable oxygen tank with me. Did you have enough strength to even be fearful anymore? 
No. Um, well, I was fearful of death. Um, but yet I reached a point where I stopped fighting yeah. to stay alive because yeah. I had been fighting and fighting and fighting. And right. then it was like, you fought for her. Then you're fighting for yourself. Yes. Yeah. And then I was done. I was done. And so and then the wonderful part happens. Yes. And this is where it gets <laughs> and this is what made your story, your story. So share with us what happened next because you're, you're gone. Yes. So mm-hmm. I went into a coma on February the 2nd. Um, I had been being treated, I was being treated at home, but my husband rushed me to the hospital and the doctors told him and my family, my mother was there, my brother was there. The doctors told my family that these were my final hours and that I wasn't going to come out of the coma. And they said that my organs were now shutting down one by one and my kidneys had already shut down and they were already running the tests and I, and they were putting um, like I was connected to all these tubes mm-hmm. and I was in the intensive care unit. But what the people around me didn't know was that I had left my body mm-hmm. and I could see all of this. I could see it all happening all around my body, my physical body, but I was watching everybody. And we're not looking through physical eyes because we don't have physical eyes. It's more like a pure awareness. So I was aware it was like I had 360 degree peripheral vision and I was aware of everything that was happening not only in that ICU unit not only in that intensive care unit but beyond outside the unit what was happening what what the nurses were doing and what the conversations that my husband was having with Mm -hmm. the doctors outside and the doctor said to my husband that um, she's not even going to make it through the night And also I was aware that they were trying to remove fluid from my lungs Mm. because my body started to choke. And so they started to insert needles through my back and remove the fluid. So I was watching all this happen. But then I felt myself go deeper or higher. Mm -hmm. And I started to become aware that I was surrounded by beings. And all I could feel was this beautiful feeling of just unconditional love, just this incredible feeling of just being bathed in love, pure love, opposite of your guru. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the complete opposite. And the part that struck me was that I didn't have to do anything or be anything. I didn't have to work at being spiritual. I was loved just because I existed. And I understood that I am spiritual. We all are. We all are spirit. We don't have to work at it. So I just felt incredible. I don't remember feeling this way ever in physical life. Sure. Um, Yeah, who does, right? Yes. Yeah, that completely. Completely and being fully accepted for Mm -hmm. who you are. No matter what, no matter what you've done wrong, I was fully accepted. So... Then there comes a choice point, I would assume. Yes. So I eventually reached a choice point. So I was in the coma for about 30 to 36 hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I, my, my dad was there. My best friend was there, the one who I had lost. And I reached a point. And of course, a lot happened in that time, but I reached a point where I was given a choice as to whether I wanted to come back or not. No part of me wanted to come back. 
Absolutely. I, I would, I think we can all relate to that. Yes. 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 And, and why would I? You and know, especially if you're to... coming back into a body that's, well, so devastated with illness. Exactly. Exactly. So, but in that moment when I made the decision that I don't want to go back, I felt my dad coaxing me to come back. He wasn't forcing me, but it was a gentle that now that you know the truth of who you really are, you should go back. And then there was a message of that you haven't completed your purpose yet. That you don't have to go back, but in actuality, this is not your time. There are still some gifts waiting for you. And the other thing I realized, um, and you know, the communication there is not done with speaking. Right. You can't speak. Right. It's more like you know what they want you right. to know. And I realized that um, my husband and I, Danny's and my purposes were linked. And if I didn't go back, he wouldn't be able to complete his purpose either. Do, do you mind sharing what his purpose, your linked, your shared purpose was? Well, our, it, and what's interesting is at that time, I didn't know what my purpose mm-hmm. was. So the purpose wasn't revealed to me. Uh-huh. I was actually just, just that you had to go on faith that this is true, that this yes. is true. And I was the instruction I was given is just live your life fearlessly. And what was meant by that was be yourself fearlessly because I had never been myself. Right. I had always been trying. It to sounds be. like when you're trying to be Cindy Lauper, that was the closest you were to yourself. <laughs> yes. And that was wrong right. in my culture. <laughs> right. yes. Exactly. So talk about the experience of after the decision was made to come back, your dad says, basically, you know, honey, go live and live your life fearlessly and be you. Now you know the truth. Yeah. So now you have to rejoin with the physical world. So the minute I made the decision to come back, my physical eyes started to open on my body. My physical eyes started to open and my family were all around me. And so they were like elated and they said, oh, she's back. And and Danny was like jumping up and Mm -hmm. down in joy. And I started saying things like, dad's here. Dad's right here. Dad said, it's not my time. So they were wondering what's going on. Like, yeah. it's, it's, is she delusional or, um, right. and so they called the doctor and the doctor came in. And so I recognized the doctor immediately as the one that had tried to remove fluid from my lungs. And I said, Oh, um, hi, Dr. Chan or good evening, Dr. Chan. And uh, he said, how do you know my name? Because he was not the doctor that had ever treated me before. Right. He was just the emergency doctor on duty at that time. So he said, how do you know my name? And I said, aren't you the one that removed fluid from my lungs in the middle of the night? And he said, yeah, but you were in a coma. You didn't see me. So everybody started to realize something had happened, but he tried to dismiss it. And then he said to my family, something along the lines of don't raise your hopes because it's not unusual for a patient to open their eyes for a little while, but she's still critical. Mm-hmm. She's still critical. In other words, I was still dying, mm-hmm. but don't have this anything. moment of grace. Yes. So he leaves the room. And then I said to Danny that why was he so surprised that I recognized him? I mean, he was in here and then, and then he said to you that, um, I'm not even going to make it through the night. And Danny said, you couldn't have heard that. He didn't say that here. He said that to me outside in the nurse's station. And that's when everyone started to realize that something had mm-hmm. happened. 
And in four days, the tumors shrunk by about 60%. That's when the doctors also started to realize, okay, something's happening. And so your lungs, the fluid, everything else that was going on, how long did it take for your body to recover? So three weeks after the NDE, they could find no trace of cancer in my body. (laughs) (laughs) And so they were shocked. They didn't even know what to write in my medical record. And in fact, my doctor made the gesture of wanting to sort of throw my medical record in the trash. There was a, a trash bin right there. And he goes, I don't even know what to write in here. I Spontaneous I, healing. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So this is what ha- your spirit, your, the, your soul, um, and maybe a little help from friends. Something happened Something to happened. make this statement so that everybody could witness it. And then you came to the attention of others after this. Yeah. So how long did it take for you to kind of, Get your get your life back a bit where you gained a little weight and you could start functioning again. So it took about two months for me to actually be able to start functioning and mm-hmm. going out and walking properly because I had to do a bit of physical therapy sure. to get strength in You've my been legs. atrophied, yeah. Yes, I'd been atrophied. Mm-hmm. And so it took um, maybe about two months, but to really look normal and gain weight, maybe around three, four, five months. But people would see me, people who I hadn't seen in months who knew I was dying and I would walk into a room and they would gasp. They would actually gasp. It was like, oh my God, you look normal. <laughs> you look, you know, they were shocked yeah. because they didn't know what to expect that if they knew I was coming to an event. Right. They didn't know what to expect, how bad I would look because I looked terrible leading up to sure. it, like really awful. Yeah, skeletal. Skeletal, mm-hmm. yes. So you understood something during this, which was, it was the joy itself that was the healing. Yes. It wasn't the fear. It wasn't the beliefs. That wasn't there anymore. No, it was the joy itself. So the number of times that I had been told things like, there was another guru that actually said when I had the cancer and I was, and I tried everything and nothing seemed to work. And he said, Oh, it's probably your karma. You'll have to do more good work, more good karma. Now there I was already at that point, somebody who had already been doing all this good work mm-hmm. because I wanted to clear my karma. Mm-hmm. And I was already this really good person and pious and um, meditated and thought of myself as super spiritual. And then to be told you need to do more good work, more charity what it does is it completely depletes you oh yeah it removes you of every like you become invisible yeah. like totally invisible there's no joy at that point no joy what i needed was the opposite message and this is why for me my story is so important it's not about doing and doing it's about undoing letting it all go and setting yourself free setting your spirit free because when we get these messages that i need to be good i need to do good and it's my karma and mm. i need to do more good works the message you're sending yourself and your soul you're not good enough you're not good enough yeah. that your spirit is is essentially flawed yeah, yeah. what what a beautiful simple direct beautiful message but almost everybody seems it, i think the demands of society and other holds sway over us to where we do feel we have to perform and please others and 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 actually instead of listening to what's best for ourselves i think that's very common for people watching this 
Yes, it is. Most people do this to one extent or another. Yes. And I find especially people on a spiritual path. Yes. And so I was taught when I was trying to be very spiritual, I was taught that you you have to be of service, which is great. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to see God in everybody's eyes and see God in everybody, which I did. I was of service. I saw God in everybody. When I died, I realized I'd forgotten to see God in my own eyes. Yes. Yes. So you spontaneously healed from that ecstasy, that bliss and that joy. Yes. Your being was healed. And also, I think that was probably in the design all along, would you say? I that think this so. happened in your life so that you could come because your mission wasn't finished. It had only begun. Yes. So you could share this story with others that that's what it's all about. And this is not to be confused with fulfilling 3D sensual desires and narcissism. And talk about that for a moment because the new book that you've written really has to do with honoring empaths and honoring sensitivity, honoring kindness, that this is where humanity has to go to find its strength. So tell us about that. Because we're not talking about just narcissism, like it's all about me. I'm just going to do what feels good now. Yes, it's People confuse and conflate those two ideas oftentimes. And they do. And the reason they conflate these ideas is because um, the messages that we receive, for example, when you have spiritual messages telling you things like, the ego, um, the ego is bad and you have to squash your ego. You have to repress your ego. And we see the ego as the enemy. It's not, but it's not. No, you it's just your identity. It's, it's who you are. Exactly. It's who you are. Yeah. But I grew up believing that. And a lot of traditional conventional spiritual teachers still teach you that the ego is your enemy. They don't know what the ego is. Yes. They haven't what... even defined it properly. Exactly. And exactly. to be preaching this is. A disservice to humanity. And it's dangerous, actually, because it represses the wrong people. So what I realized when I looked back on the trajectory of my life and I looked back at all the people and, and the spiritual teachings and the classes and everything I went to, I realized that the people who go to these spiritual teachers are already people who are of service. They are already sensitive people. They're already being of service. And they are getting the message that the ego is bad and you have to do this for karma. So in other words, it's repressing them even more. Yes. But if we're, if people are sharing messages like, you know, like let's say the ego is bad and don't be greedy, don't be a narcissist and so on. The people who really are those things are not going to the classes or the lectures. So the message is not landing on the ones that it's targeted at. It's actually reinforcing the ones that you're speaking of, the ones who are already tend to go into more self-service and narcissism. Yes. It's like, that's okay, you go. <laughs> yes, so what ends up happening is that we've created a world where the ones who are already repressed repress themselves Even more. more. Yeah. But those are the voices we need. Yes. We need the empaths and the kind people and the service-oriented people to have big egos because what does the ego do? It magnifies who you are. Mm-hmm. So if you are a narcissist, you don't want a narcissist with a big ego. No. <laughs> but if you have an empath, you do want an empath to have a healthy ego so they can share their gifts with the world. 
So you say that right now we're having more and more people incarnate who are empaths. Yes. Because this is the trajectory that's going to heal the world ultimately. Yes. So let's talk about that in the work that you're bringing forward in your new book. And then we can talk about what is the ultimate goal. I mean, it seems to me the church of nature and friendship and laughter is really the church we want to attend. Yes. <laughs> and kindness and kindness. like you said, friendship. So let's talk about your new book and, and what you're what you're trying to impart through. So basically what I want I would like people to know is that we've all forgotten how to be kind and how to be empathic. We've become very fear based. And fear makes us very divisive. And the reason why fear makes us divisive is fear puts us into a survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, it's every person for themselves. And so it makes us very divisive. And most of our mainstream systems of any kind, whether it's an education system, a medical system, mainstream media, and so on, their messages are very fear-based. And I don't think they're doing it consciously. Maybe they are, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It could be uh, well-meaning to take action quickly. And so in order to get people to take action quickly, we send them very fear-based messages that if you don't do this now, this will happen to you. If you, And so I think also in the age of scientific materialism, to be a cynic is to be a wise person. So you're already going to put yourself in the mode of rejecting anything that's outside of the box. A hundred percent. And this is something that I have a problem with, is that anybody who actually sees through the fear and who actually sees what is driving the problem in the first place, it's actually the fear of all these things that's creating the problem that they think they're trying to solve. But when you see through the fear, you're actually labeled as delusional or woo-woo or any of those things. And that's something that even I've dealt with, but yeah, 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 but, but I'm, but I would rather think the way I do because I get to live my life in it from a space of joy than to actually fall into that fear based living, which is what gave me cancer in the first place. Absolutely. And so, like you say, from educational systems down, yes, it is popular in the scientific materialist way to be critical of everything, to yes. critique and be critical. And when you when you see any headlines, doesn't matter what publication, doesn't matter which service anywhere in, around the world, it's all going to be of a critical nature, bringing up the worst in humanity. That And people confuse that with being a critical think, thinker. Yes. And this couldn't be more opposite. A hundred percent. Could you please expand on that for us? To be critical is not to be critically aware. Yes, so we have taken being critical to an extreme where we have become debunkers. Yes. And that's what I it have. doesn't matter what side you're on of anything. We're all debunkers yes. if you're buying into what's being put before us right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we have really become debunkers. And what we have forgotten, so people are so determined to be right that they've forgotten to be kind. And so when... Oh boy, yes. Yeah. And so when you have situations like whatever has been going on on this planet for the last few years, the what people have forgotten is that it doesn't matter what side you're on and which side is right or which side is wrong. What actually is causing the problem 
is how we're dividing ourselves and yes. how we're hating each other. Oh boy. That yes. is at the root of this whole problem, not who is right, who is wrong. Absolutely. And it's really clouding the field. Yes. The emotional field, which interfaces with Earth's emotional field, the mental plane, which is all connected, we're all connected with one another into this horrid cloud of confusion. Yes. And separation and anxiety and fear. That that's what's ruling right now. Period. That is what's ruling. And mm-hmm. and when and, we die, yeah. We we find out that we're actually all connected. Yeah, we're all connected. You found that out the hard way. Joyful but hard way. I was interviewing an astrologer yesterday and we were talking about this this cloudiness in the field and the nature of it, uh the fear fear based nature of it. And she was saying that as the larger Pluto movement happens it's moving into aquarius okay when it moves into aquarius it's a very permeable thought field and could be easily swayed and influenced so it's as though we're ramping up to that and technology is taking us there even faster so now the awareness of that that kind of fluidity of the mental field i think it's upon us now to take responsibility and start feeding it good nutrients yes. good thoughts good nutrients feeding it emotions that are, like you say, kind and helpful. So talk about that a little bit and how you recommend to people through your work in your book, they they reestablish healthy self-esteem and can start creating a cohesive field of emotion and thought. I love that. And I love the way you think. So what I actually feel is that um, right now, because of materialistic science and and the beliefs of the world today, is that we are so focused on science and technology and AI, we, that our, our souls are actually hungry, very hungry. Our consciousness, let's say our consciousness mm-hmm. is deprived and hungry. We're feeding our brain, but not our heart. Right. So what's happening is we have developed all this technology, but we are immature. Mm-hmm. Our consciousness, we're, we're consciously unaware. So currently, all this technology that we've developed is being used for negative and not for positive. In other words, we have more technology that could kill the planet than could feed the planet. Absolutely. Why is that? And that in itself tells us a lot about where we are in our conscious awareness evolution. We have a long way to go. So what we really need to start doing, and this is what I try to do, and this is what I hope my work contributes in doing, and everything I put out, everything that I put out in my name, I want it to raise conscious awareness, not just raise joy, that's important, and kindness and empathy, but all of those things even, they raise conscious awareness. And when we come from a place of kindness and joy, and when we teach people that it's possible, and when we teach people that that's actually all that matters when you die, that's all that's that, all that matters. matters. And that's a choice every moment of every day. Yes, yes. And when that can be seen as the strength, when instead of seeing ruthlessness as a strength, you see, that's the other problem, right, right. is that we look up to ruthless people. We vote them into positions of power. Mm-hmm. We need to vote in people who are kind, who are empathic. So when we start to see those and when we start to redefine what the word strength means, and we redefine it because at the moment we see empathy and sensitivity as a weakness. What if we decided it was a strength? 
Mm-hmm. And that people who are willing to be vulnerable and to show their sensitivity, and, and we saw them as strong, that would shift. It would soon shift once we bring all that into the education system and we bring it into mainstream media. And that would actually shift our consciousness. When our consciousness shifts, then what we build in our technology will shift. And I think what you're telling us is a preview of the new human and the new earth. I do believe that's the choice we will ultimately end up making collectively. But right now it looks a little dim. Yeah. But I think that is, that is where we're going. But it's uh, such a beautiful message that you share. So people can start taking that responsibility in a lovely way upon themselves. It's not a burden to be kind. No. <laughs> it's not a burden no. to be joyful and caring. It's not a burden. It's fun. It is fun. It's a lot of fun and connection. You know, it's a bonding with people and not needing to be right to that extent and knowing that everyone has their different ways of seeing things. Yes. Um, and, and you see another, another problem right now is, uh, what I call algorithms. Oh yeah. Uh, because people, the reason why people think they are so right is because when they believe something and when you're researching it on the internet, everything, every information that you're then fed is going to support is that. Is going to support that. Whereas one powerful experience like yours, one explosion of true knowing from the heart can change the trajectory, not only of you, but of others now in a flash where those algorithms have to be fed and grown like in a dish, Petri dish, in a very unconscious way to start leading people to outcomes that can't compete with the human spirit. So, and you're a beautiful soul, and I'm so glad I finally had a chance to meet you. Our time is up, but there's one more final thought you have. Let's squeeze it in. Well, I would just want people to know that the most important thing is to really, is it's to love yourself. It's to really love yourself, find your joy, do what, uh, follow your passion, do what makes you happy. And if all else fails, eat chocolate. That always works. That's, that's my backup. <laughs> At the end of each day, that's what I do. <laughs> Anita, thank you so much. Absolutely lovely being with you. Thank you, Regina. <laughs> Anita's new book again is Sensitive is the New Strong. It's available now and it takes the reader through the journey of moving through fear to love and into magnificence, actually. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Yes, yes, indeed, everyone. Oh, all right. This will be our last video of the evening. Mm. And the title of this one is mm, Dark Entities of the Paranormal. Unveiling the Mysteries of the Paranormal. Heidi Hollis brings to light her pioneering concepts of shadow people. The alien shadow, shadow spider, Mm -hmm. the grim reaper, and the ominous hat man. With a profound understanding of these demonic forces and spiritual intricacies, she shares how we can embrace surreal realities and transcend the barriers between worlds. Explore hauntings, soul trauma, and the etheric realms with angelic beings. 
as Hollis reveals how we can find illumination even amidst the darkest shadows. Delve into the enigmatic world of the supernatural with Heidi Hollis, an experienced occupational therapist and esteemed author on her podcast, Dark Becomes Light. And this is with George Neary. George Neary is the host. And I see Rama's already there, so this is 43 minutes, and let's get started. How's that? Okay? Here we go. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Heidi Hollis is with us, an author who named, defined, and trademarked the terms shadow people and hat man. She is also an occupational therapist and host of Dark Becomes Light, which is on the Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Heidi, welcome to Beyond Belief. Oh, thank you so much, George. It's great to be here with you again. I should say, yeah, I should say welcome back. How long has it been? It's been, I thought it was close to 10 years since I've been here, but I'm not sure. That's a while, yeah. How did you coin the phrase shadow man and half man? Well, shadow people were something I just kind of tossed out there because I got tired of always describing it to my friends and family about what it was I was seeing. So just like, you know, they're like shadow people, you know, and it's just kind of a blanket name to go over all of it. And you trademarked it. So when you hear the word shadow people and hat man, yes. do you cringe <laughs> when I hear from other people? Well, you, you know, I'm proud to know, thanks to being a regular on Coast to Coast AM sure. with you, uh, that people are aware of what's going on so they don't feel alone. But I cringe when I hear about people aiming to conjure these things up or other people saying, I'm the expert on this and, and they're telling the wrong things and people know it came from me, but um, it's been getting distorted because of, I don't know what this, this whole flux is. On, right? It is. And it's, it really it breaks my heart because it's causing harm out there. So that's one of the reasons why I trademark shadow people in hat, man. And, and I had to prove it came from me. So the, the copyright speaks for itself. But, um, yeah, it really was, uh, quite a process. And I wanted to like kind of pull it in. So people understood when they hear those two names, this is the meaning of it. This is where I'm going. And this is how it's supposed to help others. Um, it's really, um, it's been difficult to to see how it's become out there sometimes. Yeah. Let's talk about shadow people for a little bit. Yes. First of all, what is a shadow person? So it's never been a person. It's never been human. Sometimes people think that uh, these are, you know, a shadow of a ghost or something. That is not what shadow people are. They are something that can change form to look like a shadow streak or a shadow cloud. Devious? Oh, man. Nothing positive. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Very negative. Demonic, dare I say, um, but not quite from here either. So, What do they want? They want whatever they can get. Uh, they love to feed off from negativity. They love to feed off from whatever it is that makes a person tick, to be honest. So it's uh, 
They hold souls in haunted locations. There's there's a haunting going on. Usually, one of them you'll see one of them lurking around, and uh, they really they really aim to create a lot of havoc in the world. And what you see is a shadow, right, whisking by. You can see something like that, and you can also see something more definitive that looks kind of like a, a hulky man with its head directly connected to but its as shoulders. A shadow. But as a shadow, and if you see its eyes, they're usually slanted and they glow red. So, glow. <laughs> now, what about the hat man? Now, the hat man, when I first introduced that topic on your show, I kind of thought he was more of a of a shadow being. I thought that this was um, yeah, it's just another form with that a, they took. a top cat. Yeah, top well, cat. he changes his hat or he doesn't wear a hat at all, but he can step out from the shadows. And you can see his skin. You could see if he's clean shaven. You could see if he's... Uh, you know, got what is how his hair is. I mean, so he can change, but he is the epitome of evil. And he wears a three-piece suit, sometimes a trench coat, sometimes a cape, and uh, and he talks like shadow people. They might whisper, you might hear a moaning or something. But Hat Man, if you, if you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend engaging with him. But if you, if you talk to him and he talks back. You wish that you never spoke to him. Does the hat man have form? He does. He does. And I mean, he is um, as dark as they come. And if you ask him who he is, he will tell you he's the devil himself. And uh, God forbid he smiles. He looks like something worse than a shark's teeth. How did you come across these entities in the first place? You know, the very first time, I, well, I thought this was the very first time, but it turned out it wasn't. And apparently they'd wreaked havoc in my life before. Um, but the very first time I saw a shadow being following a, a friend of, of mine and myself walking in broad daylight. Didn't know what we were. I didn't know what I was seeing. She didn't see it. She she kept walking. And by the end of our, our uh, walk in broad daylight, I, I, I asked her, I said, look, I don't know what I just saw, but I saw this thing following us. And, and I showed the, a, a drawing of the head and shoulder shadow. I just quickly drew it out and no. she looks at it and I'm thinking she's going to think I'm nuts. And instead she goes, Oh, that thing. I, I don't know. It's been following me since I was a kid. So what about you? For myself, you know, my, my home that I grew up in, uh, soon after my mother passed, uh, became haunted and uh, everybody's like, Oh, it's your mother. Why would my mother try to scare her very young children? No. Um, I didn't think about this for many years, you know, about this haunting that we dealt with. But when I thought of the thing that attacked my stepbrother, it was black with glowing red eyes and it scratched his face. And again, it was broad daylight. And, uh, you know, scratched it badly. It, it kind of looked like cat scratches all over his face. And, oh. uh, and I'm like, wow, they, they were there then. And I just, Never, never thought about it, but everywhere I moved, I had a problem. Every, every place was, uh, something was knocking or moving or shifting and shadowy. Amazing. What do they want? What do the shadow people want? What does the hat man want? <clears throat> well, the shadow people work for the hat man. Um, they're kind of like a minion. You know, we make cartoons out of these things, but a minion is something that follows something super, uh, evil and hat man is, absolutely evil um he is something that he wants the soul of people and it sounds so cliche it sounds so ridiculous but you know for the beginning of time we've been talking about uh good versus bad and now it has come to us it has stepped out of the shadows quite literally to 
direct other negative things to go out and to essentially taunt, taunt and torture people until they just have no more fight. But um, Patman, he, he when he steps forward, it's at the point where when he's there after the person, I, I believe that the person is somebody really special that he wants. And uh, he could come once in 40 years or come every night for 40 years. And if he puts his attention towards somebody, he tries to get them to the point of literally saying, I can't take this fear anymore. I give up. And right when they say that, he will take his fist and punch it through their chest and try to rip their soul from them. So it's, it's disgusting what he does. Are shadow people what we see whisking by the corner of our eye? Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of people are like, you know, I see this thing and why is it more, uh, off to my peripheral vision? Why, why can't I see them head on? Well, you can see them head on. Um, they don't, you won't like what you see, but we have a, a more of a sensitivity in our peripheral vision. Uh, it's kind of like that fighter or flight type of response or, or if a ball is coming your way, you see that sooner. And uh, I think that's why a lot of people are witnessing shadow people from the corners of their eyes more. You write comic books. <laughs> yes, I do a paranormal comic strip. It's called The Outlanders. And, uh, you know, I pull from all the different types of things that go on in the world, from Bigfoot to ghosts and, uh, you know, poke some fun at it because so many times people talk about these topics and, and they feel like they have to talk with a flashlight under their chin and be so serious and, all I ever wanted to be growing up was to be a, a comic strip artist. And, uh, huh. yeah, and that's well, you it. you got that. I did. Well, yeah. And, you know, having the opportunity to blend all the things that I, I do uh, into what I love doing, helping people in the paranormal realm. So, Well, we've got some stills of some of your work. Let's yes. take a look at uh, what we've got here. Okay. And you can describe for it. What are we looking at here? Yeah. So these are the different forms that uh, – I guess you could say like the one up in, in the left hand corner, that's a shadow people. That's a head and shoulder shadow. And then there's like this grim reaper type of thing. People assume are another type that shadow people take, but uh no, they're not. Um And then this alien shadow, I get a lot of people say, I saw a shadow being and, but it had a hood on. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not a shadow being. That's a, an alien that wears a hood, but they have very round eyes and they're bright red. And there's another form that Hatman takes right there where he's got the top hat and he'll wear a trench coat, uh, I mean, a cape usually when he's got the top hat. And he could change up his outfit sometimes when he's looking like that. But the typical Hatman, it's the trench coat, three-piece suit. Uh, you might see a chained watch on his hip. And uh, one of his favorite hats is the gaucho hat. And then the shadow spiders, which George, those... Those things were the worst for me. Those are scary. Man, I mean. I they, hate spiders. Gosh, I, I swear to you, George, they could be the size. of a, It took up my whole ceiling one time. And uh, other times, tons of little ones. Okay, so this is a form. This is from my book. Uh, Scaring the death out of that guy, right? Yes, a little kid. Hatman loves to mess with children. And it is absolutely infuriating to me and you know it's like how are you going to sit there and scare a kid but Hatman has no boundaries even the frog is scared yes <laughs> yes <laughs> now this is a typical shadow being uh this is kind of like a 
head and shoulder shadow type. And um, they kind of work to get them to be less, uh, how can I say, reduce your human potential because you're in such fear. I mean, what do you do? You're paralyzed. His arms are out to the side. He can't respond. And just to scare and put that pressure on his chest so he feels like he can't breathe and his eyes are turning red and just absolutely paralyzed. That is so typical of uh, hat men or shadow people. Do these entities generally approach somebody in their bedrooms? You know, that is one of the most common ways, but it's not the only way. But it is one of the ways that they break a person down. And I like to tell people, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm so terrified. How do I get over this? And I'm like, think about your human potential. First off, they have to paralyze you. Come in the middle of the night when you're dead asleep. and Wake uh, you up. Well, yeah, wake you up. But it's like they've got you pinned in this this most vulnerable state. And then they're like, oh, now I got you. I mean, what a what a. What a way to go. What a cowardice. What invites them in in the first place? You know, I a lot of people are like, you know, oh, you know, one time I played with a Ouija board or, oh, my goodness, you know, I used to do drugs or I was drunk the first time. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people can attract these things to themselves. They can't. But guess what? The number one, the number one thing that I'm finding what attracts them are people who are artistic, who are very insightful, who may have, um, different abilities, even a little bit psychic. So I find that they're trying to get those people to shut down who they really are by putting them in fear and like saying, I don't want to see this. I don't want to experience this. So they're blocking off that part of themselves because what they're seeing is not good. Do they enter people's dream states, Heidi? They do. Oh, God. They do indeed. It's like once the the person is feeling like they can't take it anymore or they've gone and done this blessing that I tell people to do to try to get rid of these things, they'll infiltrate their nightmares. And imagine that you're having a nightmare and you wake up like, oh, thank God that I'm done with that nightmare and it's in your room. So it's just another mind game. They're trying to find what your weaknesses are by instilling those nightmares. If you're going to have an encounter with a shadow person or the hat man, which would it be? (laughs) Shadow people are a lot easier. Hat man is something that will really change your whole your whole way of thinking. They want this your reality. soul, don't they? They do, but Hatman really, really gets in there, and um, because he's solid, he's not like shadow beings. He can grab a hold of you and tell you things about yourself, and throw you up against the wall and beat you. Are you glad you discovered these things? <laughs> uh, you know, discover is a strong <laughs> word because. I experienced what my friend was was dealing with, and um, it was kind of like a contagion. Suddenly, I have shadow spiders, and uh, I didn't know what what was going on. But I, I'm proud of the work that I've done and bringing this awareness. And um, a lot of people think I just learned this on my own, but that's not the case. And I know that's something we're going to talk about more, but. Um, Learning the definitions and what they're up to, why they're here, why they're doing the things that they are, that was taught to me. And um, it actually goes beyond just this lifetime that I remember agreeing to do this work that I'm doing now. I remember when you first started talking about the hat man and shadow mm-hmm. people on our program, on our radio show. Yeah. And I'm listening to you with the audience calling in and everybody is in fear Oh, yeah. Over these subject matters. I mm-hmm. mean, my God. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Scary as all get up. Oh, yeah. The people. Now, when I first started talking about these things, I was told by the beings that taught me about them that this was going to become a worldwide phenomenon. And I would serve as a person that would warn them on what to do in case of. So I knew it was coming. I just didn't realize until I got on your program how widely it had already spread. And, uh, you know, it's just the emails sort of flooding in and they haven't stopped since. It's everywhere. It is, yeah. These beings, mm-hmm. who sends them to us? The devil? You know, it, it, I would say devil. Um, these beings don't come from here. They come from another place. Dimension? Uh, you could say dimension, but like we have a light source. Well, they have a dark source. Now, this this is information that I was told by these alien beings that instructed me on what these things were. Remember the movie Ghost with the late Patrick Swayze? Yes. <laughs> Every time one of those people in that movie did something wrong, yeah, some ghouls that look like shadow people or the hat man mm-hmm. would come out of the sewer system or out of the street or somewhere and try to grab them and take them. Is that what this is? I can, you know, when I, I think about that movie, I, I can't help but to think that they experienced these things themselves. I mean, they didn't just start because I started talking about them. Others had experienced them. And I, I think that Hollywood often reflects their personal life stories as well. So, yeah, I think that's honestly kind of a, a minion of sorts for darkness. Yeah. How do you get rid of shadow people and the hat man? Well, that is a process, too. I I get a lot of people who say, you know, I don't get into that religious crap. I just saw the devil. And I'm like, hold on. (laughs) You don't get into that. I said, but you just gave a biblical term to something really evil. I'm like, then throw a shoe at it. You have to go into this calling in the light. What you see and feel is God to you. I'm Christian. So I say, you know, in Jesus name, you know, I do a blessing to go through. It does. And it's like, and it's really methodical. You have to go through your home and bless it a certain way. But I've had friends that have different belief systems. And again, calling on that element that you feel is God, that light source helps to dispel and disperse and keep them out of your home. And it does work. Um, I don't get many people writing me back to say, uh, you know, can I do it again? You know, how do I do this? Or how do I fix this again? But that's, that's one of the, the, the beauties of um, being able to be in the position that I am. If, if people Absolutely. have these issues, they could contact me and I could, you know, see what it is that they did, you know, why something didn't work. But it is so very rare. Heidi, where do ETs fit in? Well, those fit in uh, very, very uniquely because I, I, I'd seen some things. I'd seen a lot of UFOs. I was... Um, I've actually called down big craft in the past and you've you know, summoned them down. I have, I have. And I, you know, one time jokingly and it just dropped so quickly. I didn't know it would respond like that. We hit the dirt, you know, like why, why did that happen? But uh, so I had experienced stuff. I seen a lot of, a lot of big craft. Um, when it came to this, um, alien being that I, I learned the name was calf, C-A-F-T-H. Uh, it actually approached my college roommate first and she was hmm. super religious, Pentecostal. So oh, all girl. alien stuff is, is evil. Don't talk to me about that stuff. Yeah. And, um, this being came to her 
and started talking to her to the point that it started speaking through her. And and I'm in college and I'm witnessing this and I'm like, what, what on earth? And you know, what is going on here? And um, it showed itself to me while she was like almost in this, she calls it a meditative state that she was in. And um, when she was in that state, this being would speak through her. And uh, I, you know, I'd witnessed stuff like that before. Cause I, I had a, a UFO group for 15 years. Yeah, you did. A good one, too. <laughs> yeah, I had a good time with it. And um, I learned so much. And my friends that were in that group, you know, I'd see them get regressed. And sometimes when they're talking about their experiences, the being would speak through them. And I so I witnessed this before. But this is my super religious Pentecostal friend who was very much like, ah, you know, don't talk to me around, you know, about this stuff at all. So when this being presented himself and, and when she, when it's speaking through her, her accent reduced, she had a, a Spanish accent and I was just enthralled. I, I didn't, I didn't know how to react. And I was like, you know, who's speaking? And, and this being literally said, I'm what you would call an alien being. And I'm like, you know, trying to calm myself. And I'm like, whoa, can you show yourself? And, and, you know, I was thinking a craft would show up or something. And it said, well, we can't do that anymore because you, your America had the ability to shoot them down. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it said, but hold on. I think I can transmit an image of myself. And, and we're sitting in my car, right? And I am not kidding you. The car kind of filled with this hum and this pink, like fleshy creature just appeared. Between the two of us. It could be a magnet for all this, Heidi. Oh, it's stranger than that. Some of the the ETs are very benevolent. They're good people. Let's look at some of these. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. That's your buddy Kraft, huh? Kraft. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, You know, it's funny because I made a crack once. I'm like, oh, you look kind of similar to the Greys. Oh, he was so insulted. (laughs) <laughs> it looks like a gray. Well, he's got more rounded features and he's kind of pinkish and he actually can smile and use his mouth. Um, but yeah, he does not care for what the grays do on this planet, to say the least. Well, let's look at our next picture. Ah, uh, yeah. So this was another being that came to my friend. Um, it was interesting because she had an experience with this guy and didn't tell me about it. So for us? Yes. And so when conversations would change to something more spiritual, this being would show up. Now, I didn't get a chance to see him myself. My friend uh, got to see him, but this is how she describes him. And he has these little balls of light that are supposed to represent different souls. But he's a positive, upbeat alien, right? They speak of God. <laughs> They speak of there being a conflict in alien contact. They speak of, uh, they're the ones that educated me on the topic of shadow people. How does he help? And Hatman. Well, both of them, you know, I, okay, so imagine right after we had this encounter with Cap the very first time, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, we have all the, you know, we could ask all the questions to the universe. It's like, okay, let's try this. So my friend would get into this meditative state and, and see like, well, let's, you know, push that button again and see if this being will, will talk. And he would come through and I'd ask a question and nine times out of 10, he'd say, what well, wouldn't benefit you to know that? It's like, well, where are you at? 
how would you know if I told you the name? You would, you couldn't find it. So I, I understood. So I'm, I started, you know, I'm a, I'm in college and I started throwing like odd questions here and there. And, you know, most of them were blocked. And then I brought up a weird dream I had. And I said, I had a dream of the moon looking like it was going to hit the, the planet. Mm-hmm. And then a craft appeared and it pulled the moon out of the way so it wouldn't crash. And this was the first time I got an answer from this being speaking through my friend to say, well, I'm not in charge of dreams, but I'm going to tell you. We saw what the shadows were doing in bringing the moon to the planet to destroy it. And we moved it out of the way. And I said, hold on. Shadows? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, you tend to call them shadow people. We call them shadows. And they have been a problem throughout the universe. And they come from a dark source. Same thing. Yeah. That's the same thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And they spoke of... This having been a nuisance and taking over many types of beings, very much like, how can you say, how we get possessed. You see the exorcists and exorcisms that that go on today. Well, aliens have souls too, and they can be poorly influenced. And this is how we get some of this. You wonder what's connecting the different beings and what they're doing. So you've got the praying mantis got the grays, you got reptilians, and you're like, Nordics. yes, and, and they're like abducting and they're doing horrible things to people. And you're like, well, what's what's the common factor? <laughs> and I'd, I had no idea. And I was informed these shadow beings are infiltrating and they have dominated and taken over some of these beings that come here. Not all of them, but a big majority. And I was like, well, how can you tell the difference? And they told me uh, and my friend, um, well, their actions, you know, what, you know, are they causing harm? <laughs> are they paralyzing you like shadow people do? Are they, you know, doing experiments against your will? And I was like, oh, you know, of course, that's, it, it makes sense. How many people do you think know about shadow people? Oh, gosh. It's in the millions. It's growing, isn't it? It's in the millions now. And uh, when I talk to people about <laughs> anything weird happening in their lives, you know, I could walk into a room and say, who here has experienced something weird? And usually it's a ghost. I'm like, okay, what did the ghost look like? Nine times out of ten, it's Hat Man. It's it's that common. Now. That prevalent. It is that prevalent. And uh and it's just so it's disappointing because I didn't realize it was this bad already. But um I'm upset that people are thinking this is a game. Are governments affected by these entities? I was told that they influence so many different areas that this is not. Oh, great. Yeah, that they, I mean, again, it's like the devil on one shoulder whispering in your ear or the angel on the other one. It's like telling you different things. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, who? which one are you going to listen to? And it's it seems so cliche. It's like, oh, come on. You know, there couldn't be something so rotten. But you've got millions of people now, George, that are saying exactly they know these names they know these terms, and thanks to coming on your program and talking about this for so long, um, people are aware. But now the way that people are taking it, oh, maybe it's a guardian angel. This is a, a newer like trend, like, oh, he's just watching me. He's not causing me any issues. These aren't guardian angels. They are not guardian angels. And I said, if hat man or shadow people are just staring at you, they're studying you. They're trying to find a way in 
to, you know, looking at your weaknesses. They want to destroy you? They do. Well, it's, it's what's, what's the goal? The soul? It's the soul. And it's like, why? It's like, why, why do we try to dominate over each other? Because they can. It's a power. And they can get away with it. They could get away with it. And, um, and now seeing how, how big and horrible it is, something's got to be done. And, um, doing my best to try to correct <laughs> what's been going on out there because people are being told, Oh, if you drink some of this or if you take this drug, you could experience hat man. And I'm like, Oh no. What is this? They're inviting Hatman in? They are. People are contacting me asking how to conjure these things. And I'm like, why would you want something like that in your life? That makes no no sense at all. So That's crazy times. It, it is. But it's because of some of the people that are going out there saying, well, you know, I've had enough stories sent to me. I'm the authority on this. I'm going to tell you exactly what this is. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. That is not correct. And it, and it breaks my heart because people are coming to me saying, Oh my goodness, I saw your show or I saw your film. I'm like, I have none of that out there. Those are other people who have pulled it and try to make it what they want it to be. So that was why I had to do the trademark because it was getting so distorted. And uh, how do you bring it back home? How do you get people to accept the fact that there's something really going on here? Yeah. Well, that's. That's what I'm doing one person at a time, doing Dark Becomes Light, uh, the podcast, continuing to talk, continuing to get on different programs, uh, trying to set the record straight. And it's not so clean cut where people think this is the cutoff line for shadow people because they're seen right alongside of alien beings, alien abductions, hat man as well. Um, I actually got to understand something. Uh, somebody showed me a, a, a carving. And I didn't know what it was. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. Somebody's a great carving of Hatman, the original form of him. And my friend's jaw drops like Heidi. Oh, and I asked who did it. And I said, that's Aramon. Rudolf Steiner carved that a hundred years ago. I had no idea. The phenomena has been with us since the beginning of time. It has been around for a long time. And, um, and interesting enough, Rudolf Steiner said a hundred years from when he created that, that bust of Hatman, that Aramon, he called him Aramon, would come to surface a hundred years from the time he made it. And here I am discussing this. And I mentioned that I remember before this lifetime, and I do, not with hypnosis, not through anything else, but uh, I remembered agreeing to come and be born during this time period to do the work that I'm doing. And um, a lot of people are like, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people, you know, a lot of authors and researchers. And I'm like, how is this possible? This spontaneous recall like this. And it's, it's so rare, I guess. But um, I remember the whole thing and the battle is real. That's why I called my first book, the secret war, because People think we're going to see this glorified battle in the skies, but you go to it's bed at night. Angelic. It's yeah, and you're, you go to bed at night and you're battling for your life personally. Have they come after you, Heidi? Oh, they have. They have. How have you fought them off? As I said, I'm Christian. And I use the name of Jesus, and it works on aliens too. That and I've it tried works to. all the time. It has, yes, it has. How and, do you invoke the name? You know, I I, I say in Jesus' name, get out of here. You're and not welcome. They're gone just they like leave, that. but also I'm blessing 
my space because when your guard is down, you're sleeping, you're busy, you're doing something else. And that's when these things try to sneak up on you and try to take advantage. And it's really important that you put your ethereal foot down and <laughs> bless your space. And I, I keep my blessing with me. What I bless my space with is my, my cross necklace. And I go through my home and I protect it that way because when I've gone to work, my patients have been attacked. <laughs> so I had to bring the blessing with me so it would kind of keep its distance. Um, it's, it's been a crazy battle, but you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way but to be doing what I'm doing now. Heidi, why would some people want to summon up the shadow people and the have man? <sighs> people love to be scared, George. They really do. And I think a lot of people are really um, seeking something more in this life. They like to go out into the, the graveyards and do the strangest things. And, you know, I have eight books published. Only three are on these topics. And all I get asked about are the spooky stuff. You know, of I course. have a book on Jesus. I got angels and, you know, so many different things. But um, people like the spooky stuff. They do. And do they believe it? They do. But it, but I, they like to have that something to prove to them there's more beyond this life because people question if they even have a soul. What kind of folks do the entities contact generally? And what kind of entities do they contact, what, these people? What kind of people oh. <laughs> are, are affected by these entities? I find the people that are talented, um, artistic, gifted, those with synesthesia, which is only like 1% to 4% of the population and uh that's an element that, that shows how we are evolving actually I mean, we have this crossing of the senses in our brains and this has been like absolutely scientifically proven that you know sometimes people hear music and they see lights or something or colors in the air and, it, and it's those people that Go seem figure. to be able to see between the lines and know that something is going on and shadow beings don't like to be seen because they're not doing the job of happening properly if they're being seen. So they might be confrontational and charge right at you if you spot them out. And you kind of get marked, I feel, too, because that's absolutely what happened to me. I saw it following me and my friend. And the next thing I know, I'm seeing shadow spiders wherever I went. Um, yeah, I know. Put up your purse and there's shadow spiders. Oh, in there. oh, we have a uh, terrible. tape of a client of yours yeah. who talked about how you help them deal with these dark entities. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Melissa, and I, um, Heidi Hollis changed my life completely. Prior to finding her research and her work, I was being attacked almost every single night um, by dark entities, and I was searching for the truth. I needed to get down to the bottom line of what these things are and what they were doing, and through her research, I was able to find out. I'm, I Basically, I read her book, The Secret War, and it changed my life completely. And I feel like it equipped me with the spiritual weapons that I needed to fight against whatever it was. And I now feel like I'm weaponized because of her research. And so when something does happen, I can stop it right away. And it rarely happens anymore because like once they know, the dark forces know that you know their game, um, they aren't gonna, they aren't gonna mess with you. So I'm grateful. She changed my life, and she's like family to me now. How did you change your life, Heidi? Uh, yeah, Melissa, she, what did you do? she was actually the first person that contacted me to let me know that my book, The Secret War, made a difference. Uh, she read it, 
and she put up her spiritual office and and laid down the law because she was experiencing these at a crazy level, the shadow people and the hat man phenomenon. It, it let me know that I was on the right track and that I was explaining things the best way. Because um, when I first was stepping out there, I'm like, people thought this was sci-fi. You know, what are shadow people? What, are, what is this this lady talking about? Yeah. But uh, I did my best to be clear and um, not be shy to say, look, there's a dark source and there's a light source. And they're, they are really battling over us. And it sounds, again, I keep saying cliche, but it is what it is. It's real. And there's, you know, I've interviewed uh, near death experience researchers and everything's love and light. You know, it's like all these positive experiences. I said, yeah, but I want to hear about the not so positive experiences. Dark stuff. Yeah. And I said, what, what are they seeing? And, and, and they had no idea about my background. They said, well, that's interesting because they see this man in a three piece suit and a hat. I said, I thought so. So hat man is showing up in near death experiences. Some of these more negative alien beings, too, that infiltrate people, they are also being seen at the end of people's tunnels when they're having their near-death experiences. You know, just ask around and keep your, your, your ears peeled for the truth of it. It's like I could talk about this stuff all day, but not until you go out and um, ask the right questions do you know this is a, is a real pattern. On your podcast, Dark Becomes Light, you deal with this a lot? I do. I do. I deal with a lot of different topics, everything from aliens to Bigfoot. Uh, but nine times out of 10, people are contacting me about shadow people and hat men because you know, I started this whole uh, craze out there. But um, Absolutely. yeah, it's been it's been really rewarding. People really help uh, others by sharing their stories. And I welcome people to the more details, the better, because it's in the details that we see the patterns. Like, I don't have all the answers. And and we're all learning together, right? So anybody says they have all the answers, run, is what I tell. <laughs> and feet don't fail me now. Right, exactly. So keep humble. What advice would you give people who are being harassed by these entities? You know, I, I tell people to go through their homes and methodically bless their home, their space, and to keep it with them uh, no matter where they're going. Because it's uh, it's like you're a target, always a target. And it needs to be corrected. Are we winning? Right now, it's looking kind of rough, I have to oh, say. Gosh. But I'm, it's why I'm up against uh, the wall sometimes and what it is that I'm doing, putting word out there a certain way. People are putting word out there hoping to make a buck or something or, you know, say they, you know, get a TV show. I don't know what they're, what's, what motivates people. I'm doing it trying to help people be okay. So when it, their time comes, they know what to do because it's not just a possibility. You'll see these things. It's a threat and they really are on that hunt for you. And as times are changing, as we can all tell, uh, it's getting really real. And uh, I hope that people will reach out to me uh, through my site, uh, shadowfolks.com or heidihollis.com and tell me what's going on because we're all paying attention. We're all trying to do this the right way. Do these entities know that there's people like you out there to fight them? Oh, gosh, yes. You know, I, I'm not at liberty to say, but let's just say I was approached. Uh, you know, I, I had an appointment, physician appointment. They knew my background and, you know, kind of fidgeting. And uh, they go, I need to talk to you about something. 
And here they were having shadow people and in their home and their kid woke up with scratch marks. And I said, Oh no, is it, were they three little marks? Why do they they scratch? It's a mocking of the Trinity. There are three little scratch marks look like a cat scratch and it's just to mock. And it's that one person that they're marking. That's what they're going for. So if somebody wakes up in the morning mm -hmm. with scratches and has no recollection of what happened, yeah. What do you suggest? I tell people then there's something in their home that they need to clear out, that it has to be done and dealt with because otherwise it's going to progress. And the goal is to possess. It really is to possess. Is, and it, to is it to kill? And I think they can. I think they can. Those people don't get back to me that have been killed. But there's been a lot of people who felt like they were about to die when they had their soul ripped out of their bodies, they have had a really hard time getting back after Hatman did such a thing. And were, when, mm-hmm. were these entities once human? Not those. No, no. Neither one of them. Shadow, Shadow people, people Hatman, not never human. They're not even from here. No, but they possess and they take the form of others. Uh, and in fact, one of the things that Hatman is doing is recruiting. So people tell me my Hatman had dreadlocks. My Hatman was freckled with red hair. I was like, that, that's not Hatman. Who were they re- recruiting? Humans? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Essentially building an army. and um, That's just what we need. Oh, it's it's so bad. And when they write me to say, look, Hatman showed me how to reap souls, I was like, oh, no. And it's it's just horrific. So, so bad. Are you happy for the future? I am because guess, guess what's on the rise? Jesus encounters sightings of angels as well. So is this the battle of all battles going on? I, I think that Do the angelic to, sightings offset the other ones. I think so. I do. I really do. I wish I got more of those, but it, there's a lot of books being written and a lot of talk about these encounters and uh, definitely a balance. And well, we know who wins the end in the end, right? It's like, Always the good guy. And uh, there's a new book I'm working on right now that's going to talk more on oh, that. You let us know when it's done. Oh, yeah. It's getting interesting, George. Your podcast you can hear on the iHeart uh, Radio Network. Yes. Dark Becomes Light on uh, Coast to Coast. Yeah. It's uh, the podcast network. It's going great. And I love doing it. It's uh, so rewarding. And the people need to have that, that shoulder to lean on and just say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm experiencing. And you know, uh, try to go through those steps because it's like I, they sometimes want to know why it started. You know, where, you know, I moved into this home, I renovated it or, you know. There may never be a why. They, yeah, it's not important. It's like, so what, their time's up. Sometimes these people get like crazy nightmares, like the, the physician I was talking about. Crazy nightmares just before I'm walking in because they knew I was they were going to talk to me about it. And it's like they never had nightmares like this before. So it's. It, these things know when they're somebody's going to come in touch with me or something. And I take it as a compliment, to be honest. I'm like, you know, if Hatman's coming every night to somebody, I'm like, wow, who are you that they're working so hard? I really do. Heidi, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you so much, George. This is a pleasure. It's great to know we've got people like Heidi Hollis out there to battle evil like the shadow people and the hat man and protect us. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. <laughs> oh.
Okay. All right. Let's see what uh, the message is from uh, uh, the light. Message to the light bringers. This is with Caroline, our sister Caroline. And Rama, you will just make sure that everything's in order for Rainbird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, the Archangels, the Angelic Legions, Star Families, Earth Earth Elements, Fey Elders, and other beautiful beings known as the Collective. And so, greetings, friends. This is Caroline. Who, who are family? I have asked Ascended Master Saint Germain to come forward to speak with us about world events, particularly the intense violence of action-reaction that's been taking place in Israel and Palestine. Hmm. Greetings, Lord Saint Germain. Make sure, make sure you, okay, okay. Um, Let's see. Greetings, dear ones. We are very happy to speak with you today. And I say we because in the higher realms, as well as on the earth, there is only oneness without separation. And so, with me now are all of the collective and all of your souls and higher selves with the higher perspective they share. What you are seeing occurring on your planet now is the last outburst of an angry separation. Uh, A theology by which I mean the us-and-them stance, in which there is an angry God who can only, only be uh, uh, oppressed in certain ways and who is eternally separate from humanity, judging all he sees and only giving a nod of occasional acceptance to certain groups or individuals who fulfill his requirements. This is, of course, the perfect recipe for dark behaviors of all all kinds, as that acceptance is based on fear, fear that as someone measures up to the divine one's expectations today one might not do so um, another day and so in time each will each will fail these tests created outside of them and held against them as though there were a perfectionist Standard that occupied, that applied to all, 
regardless of these level of soul growth and the meanings and intent of their soul part soul journey. This is a very low vibrational form of thinking and requires belief systems behind based on supposition and years of training outside of the actual presence that is spirit. Um, and we speak of spirit as that which is constantly moving, flowing forward, evolving as your son, for example, is clearly evolving in his own path of transformation and renewal. It is not so that all must hold certain beliefs, be born into a particular ethnic or religious group, or be adopted into adopted into such, or come from a t- particular place on the earth in order to be right, to be justified in any action, no matter how destructive those actions might be. Seems like everything's kind of woven together, you know. Those stories and Caroline's writings. and So, what you see occurring in the Middle East conflicts are examples of, as you say, in the peace meditation video, a war economy. And they are examples of the hegemony, the assumed supremacy, and beyond that, the sad, unseeing narrowness of the old prevailing government structures. These ones now endeavor to continue trying to control Earth, trying to control Earth's events as though they had not fallen off their throne when in fact they have done in the midst of powerful energies of rebirth flowing to Earth now and amid an awakening mass consciousness. There is literally no place left for them here. And so, they desire to ruin earth life however they can, creating trauma and feelings of hopelessness wherever possible to try to convince the human vibration and even the human genome that all is lost. And that despair is the only logical response. Yet as you could see from our perspective, as your higher selves do, you would see how this particular course of action, however dark and unthinkable it may appear, is actually bringing up to the surface much in human consciousness. 
individually and collectively that desires to heal. So, that far from spurring on desperation and low vibration, though that may be a person's initial response, they are in, inadvertently assisting millions in re-experiencing passing current life trauma, bringing it to the surface where it can finally be faced and released. This is one reason why they are being allowed to carry out these dark deeds. Oddly, it presents the issue of duality as being no longer, no longer livable on this planet. A great moment indeed, though we would not wish for these realizations to occur in such dire form. The ar- the the arbiters of the violence continue pretending that these actions issue forth from this or that country's right wing military or left wing militant groups when in fact these deeds are only masked only masked to appear as such. All of these actions at their source are coming from the same dark power base that is pulling away stunt available to express its denial and its rage at having lost its seat of power. And again, we would say that though all of you of the light may understandably feel that this is a dark moment on the earth, we see it differently. Your calls and requirements for galactic assistance have been heard and are being answered. Many hundreds of ships are located in the airspace above the troubled regions of the planet. You've verified that, right, Rama? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so turn the page here. Likewise, angelic interventions are occurring continually, again in response to your calls, to your calls to those of the higher realms, requesting assistance for all who suffer now, whether from conflict, extreme weather conditions, or their own inner struggles. It is not so that you have been left alone, to your own or anyone's devices while we stand back and do nothing. This could never be the case. Recall that you have all chosen a path before incarnating 
and that those who are caught in scenes of intense conflict have also chosen their path. There is a powerful presence of a special soul group which chose to be born in certain countries at this time, volunteering to assist in the upward movement of human consciousness, even as it meant enduring the shock of unnecessary conflict. All of you have also chosen your part in all of this. Despite the sadness and shock you feel now, you are our representatives on the ground. And as Earth representatives of your starseed families, multidimensional higher, higher selves and divine love itself, you are called upon to assist energetically with the confront, confront, comforting thoughts healing waves healing waves of healing waves of light and outcry for assistance to those in the ships which most of you are also on as you visited them etherically many of you often employ the transmuting violet flame and that is a powerful t- tool for shifting earth vibration and events now. Yet you are generally unaware that you are also here to transmute using the power of love, releasing the us and them paradigm, releasing the need for duality and to and its trauma in order to know more fully who you are and release the need to judge, to exclude, to vilify. This is indeed a miracle as you would view it for the duality of good and bad is all you have known for so long. In this crucial moment in Earth's and humanity's evolvement, all of you stand now as agents of transmutation, using your own energetic resources to lift the darkness and the shadow of Earth life back to its to the light to which all form forms return. So many of you travel etherically to troubled parts of the world in your sleep state that it is little wonder you rarely feel rested as you awaken in the morning or experience the eight or nine hours that has passed as though they were only two or three hours. In part, this is due to the nature of earth time shifting to a far quicker pace. Yet it is also due to the focus and concentration of your spirit minds and hearts on assisting so many 
who call out for assistance now. You are all highly involved in earth events now. Know that many who are apparently lost due to armed conflict will be given the choice to return to earth as that is where they feel their higher path is. Earth has moved to a new timeline in which that is possible so that not even the physical is fully lost in this apparently very physical struggle that humanity is on now. As you transmit and deeply plant into earth life, the light you carry from the higher realms and your own soul power, you increasingly experience moments of realizing that the veil between illumined truth and the old lies humanity was long trained to accept has dissolved. In that moment, you realize that the lies need not be noticed, listened to, or accepted as truth. Stand strong in the knowing that all you have come here for is unfolding now, and that as you hold divine love as the only true reality, you come home within yourselves to that which you have long desired, the establishing of a heaven on earth that that well exceeds human concepts of the higher realms. One more turning of the page, everybody. Will you be here to see it fully established, this new earth? You are the components of that beautiful new reality itself. Yes, you will still weep some days for what you see occurring on your planet. That need not occur. Yet, the choice to move to a higher form of earth life is in your hands. And so, you would say, is there love in your hearts and compassion for those who are so lost that they wound, they wound others as well as your love and compassion for the wounded? As so, then, the new earth is here already. Warriors of peace, you have made it. You have made it so. We hold you everlasting in that light which cannot fade, yet only grow more brightly in that universe that is your own heart space. And so, namaste, dear ones. We are with you and with all at every moment. 
Caroline Oceana Ryan. And the collective. And you know what I'm going to do now, right, Caroline? <laughs> I mean, Rainbird. <laughs> I'm going to pass this talking stick all the angels, the fairies, the feathers, the rainbows, the crystals, and every little pea person and big being and angel, archangel of light and love and peace and joy and Sasquatch and Manahuni and dragons that we go up the mountain where you live and have little conversations with. Remember that one? I passed this talking stick to you, Caroline. Rainbird. Sorry. <laughs> no, my name's Caroline, too. So there you go. Can't that's, get it wrong. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Wow. What a day. We, what a we day. covered it all, didn't we? <laughs> well, there's always more. Oh, well, then we'll have to come back next week. Yes, we will. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and lots of gratitude for everybody that joined us. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. All right, Rama. What you got for us? Um, This is... uh. Aurora Ray, Conscious Evolution, Awaken to the Fifth Dimension right now. All righty, here we go. Mm. All right, Fifth Dimension, here we are. I haven't said this for a long time, but I'm going to say it tonight. Let's invite everyone to come and join uh, tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, and Monday evening, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock um, Pacific, and um, join with our sister Cheryl Croce. And uh, she will lead us in a affirmation, meditation, transformative time for about three hours in the evening. And we'll give a little short spiritual update before that. So the number here, you can do this with all of us, is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. Again, 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946 74 Four one pound. We will see you there and on the bridge, everyone. And peace down. Dot nom. Dot nom T. Thirteen. Thank you. It's honey in the heart. No evil. And how's that go, Rella? Live long and prosper, right? Yes. <laughs> Aloha. See you maybe tonight, tomorrow evening, and. Let's get a couple extra winks. We got a little few moments here to do so. Namaste, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Aloha. <laughs>